Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. My apologies for starting late. Uh, it's, what, 7.50 now. I overnapped. And isn't it funny? I got texts, about five texts or ten texts, which just goes, <whistles> and usually I wake up for that. But uh, since people have these incredible phones, they're just absolutely amazing. You can talk for unlimited minutes. You can text for unlimited minutes. You got Internet on it. I mean, this, this little handheld computer is powerful than most of my com- laptops that I've got. Uh, and yet the irony of the whole thing is that people don't call each other anymore. Isn't that funny? And so, because if somebody had called me, it definitely would have woken me up. But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm talking about uh, with Rick right now um, from Southern Illinois, and uh, we're talking about. You said this, you know, up there in Illinois, that starts settling in. Are you north? Are you? Uh, let me see. East, west, south of the lake. You'd be south of the lake, right? Uh, uh, which lake's that? Uh, Ren Lake. The big, huge lake. Oh, Lake Michigan, you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean isn't that the lake up there? Because I went to boot camp and I had to watch right over the lake, and it was like that wind would come blistering up over oh, there. Yeah, you know, I'm, about, I'm about maybe 60 miles north of the Kentucky state line. Oh, uh, okay, we're in a different... Yeah, okay, I see where you are. Yeah, yeah. Cape Girardeau, yeah, Missouri. Huh? Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Okay. Oh, okay. I see. All right. Southwest corner of the state. I got you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, southwest corner, yes. Yeah, so it wouldn't be affecting you because the weather comes from the west, unless it's a northeastern. But still, you could probably, it probably affects your weather to some degree, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, we were talking about stoves, and you said you take, go ahead and repeat what you said a minute ago, because somebody might. Need it, and you don't have a problem with the fumes because it gets hot enough, right? So it completely burns. Oh, yeah. Fumes. No, it's just like a regular. Uh, well, you, all you do is you burn a candle, you know. Uh, right. But uh, I'm a kind of do-it-yourselfer guy, and they uh, they they call it a tetra tetra pot candle, where you take those uh, clay pots that you put your flowers in. You know, usually you see like a little hole in the bottom of them. Right, and uh, you take them and you set them inside of each other. Like you might have a ten-inch pot, and then whatever the next size is, like an eight-inch, and then a six-inch, and you put a bolt, a long bolt through all of them, and you leave about uh, maybe about a maybe a three-quarters of an inch in between each pot uh, as a spacer, so air can travel through that. And basically, what you do is put that bolt all the way through there. And then once you get it, you turn it over, back over like a bell. And then underneath there, you set a candle, and a regular old candle, like tea light candle or you know regular nice candle that sits on your table. And what that heat does is come up underneath the uh, those uh, clay pots and makes a radiant heater. 
And I've seen it to where it comes up to like, you know, 180 degrees. Wow. Yeah, and uh, it, you put about two or three of those in the uh, living area where you're at. There was a guy on a YouTube video. I think he was heating up a 600-square-foot room Wow, uh, with just one or two of them candles. But I've heard people where they take, uh, you know what, you know, your Crisco that you uh, cook with? Right. The, uh, the, the lard kind of like thing. But you can take that, one of those, and you just put your wick in the middle of it. And you can make a forty-hour candle with it. Run it twenty-four-seven. Wow, that's yeah, I never awesome. never knew that. So I tried it last year with one of them candles underneath that tea, those uh, clay pots. And uh, you did get if you didn't keep your whatever you used for a wick, didn't keep it trimmed, uh, you would get like a soot, you know, coming off like cooking oils, you know. <laughs> that would be uh, my concern exactly is the soot. Yeah, you'd get that off of the. Uh, you know that like a Crisco or shortening, but a regular candle you won't get nothing off of it, man. Wow, that's really really fascinating. Let me ask you a question. Um, uh, do you have access to wood or not? I mean, where you can cut and split oh, it yeah. and burn? Yeah, they got a bunch of hickory around here. All right, because I, I share with you a design, and anyone who happens to listen to it, because I was going to actually sell the design, but you know, no point, people being cold if they don't need to, but it's actually a pretty simple design. Um, I've heated up. Um, I have a, a place in Oklahoma It's probably uh, 33,000 square feet, and I would say probably, oh, I guess the the workshop area is, well, let me, hold on, give me, it's about, what is that, about 80 feet? It's about 80 by about 60 feet maybe, and um, high ceiling, which is probably another 30 feet high. It's two full stories, so yeah, it's about 30 feet high. So it's a large, oh, yeah. large, large open space, and it's got big, huge sliding door. You know, you can drive in and out. So it's like no insulation, nothing. It's really messed up. And I actually could take the chill off. It was never warm in there, but, you know, in the wintertime, you could take the chill off with the stove. Now, I have another little house that... Um, you didn't want to light this thing off more than uh, it would. Re- I would go into the house. It would be like I think my tests run. Several tests run was um, um, uh, somebody wrote here on here. Crisco was original machinery lubricant. Hmm. You probably shouldn't eat it. That's funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, so here's here here's a designer real quick. Picture it in your mind. You ready? You yeah. know. You know those the uh, propane bottles. You got the small ones that you can carry with you, and then you got the next size, which is a, a small, fairly small diameter, stands about waist high. Then you have the third size, which is about shoulder high. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's about a 90 pound tank, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, 90 gallon. How you know how they fill propane with pounds? But yeah, I've seen them. Right. Yeah, it's about like I say, it's almost shoulder high. Uh, it's if you, you can wrap your arms around it easily. I've got fairly long arms, but you can wrap your. It's not the big one that you you can barely get your. No, just just actually any size. It really doesn't matter. To be honest with you, the design is the same. And here's here's what got into my head years and years and years ago. If you ever take a, if you ever take a candle or you take a lighter and you turn it on, what do you see? What is the shape of the flame? Can you tell me real quick? It shapes like a cone, I guess, or an arrow point, kind of. There you go. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at that shape of nature, 
take that flame, put it sideways, and cut it in half, what do you got? You got a perfect airplane wing surface, don't you? Yeah. Ooh, imagine that. Nothing new in nature, okay? Ironically enough, when I used to design my own windsurfers, um, the skegs, which are the little fins that are on it, uh, and also your dagger boards on boats and keels and just about everything else, they generally have the same shape. Now, if you do a measurement and you find the widest part of the flame, it is a general ratio in nature, one-third, two-thirds. One-third from the lead, from that widest part of the flame to the bottom uh, and two-thirds from there to the top where it trails out. Like think of an airplane wing. Now think of, again, same thing. The widest part forward is one-third, two-thirds in the back. Now you can stretch it. Some things are stretched out a little bit, but generally that's what it is. And that's a, that, the reason for that is that that's an incredible shape that you can pretty much as a rule of thumb shape anything that's going to go through the water um, and, or airplane wing and so on, and, it, and that's the shape that you want. So if a flame, and where's the hottest part of that flame? Isn't it just about right at the, at the tip where it fades out, uh, that yeah. shape? That's where it's the hottest, isn't it? Yeah. So, and you know this from using a cutting torch, same kind of thing. So, and then it, there's a reason I'm mentioning cutting torch too. So, what happened was I'm sitting there looking at every stove out there, and every stove is box, okay, and it's short. Even the ones where they use a 55 gallon drum, they put the 55 gallon drum on its side. I'm thinking to myself, how is the flame ever going to get complete combustion? Because my concern was complete combustion so that we don't have pollution. That's my number one concern. So I wanted complete combustion, so I wanted to create it so that the flame could fully burn. So I start off with a bottle. Now think about the propane bottle for a second, and you'll see that that's a tall bottle, isn't it? And if if you lit something in there, that flame could completely combust, couldn't it? Yeah, theoretically. Right, so what what you do is the top part that has the screw-on and the valve, right? Right. What you do, I take the valve and all that out, and you cut what uh, a six, a four, a six, uh, what comes after the six? A nine-inch for a flue, usually six inches is all you need. You don't need any more than six inches. So you cut that with a, with a jigsaw. Now, be prepared to replace a lot of jigsaws unless you really get a good one or you're really good at jigsaw, and you drill one little hole, obviously, starter hole. And you use a jigsaw, you put your line on there for your six six inches, and you slowly go around. I actually used to make my own out of hacksaw blades. I'd grind them down until they would, and they worked great. And just be patient. takes a, takes a little time. In the bottom, turn it upside down now, and you're going to cut a hole. That's about um, three inches and uh, three inches across. Okay, so you get a small hole at the bottom, maybe two and a half to three inches. I I, I just I never really actually had a calculate some, but it's about two and a half to three inches, about two and a half, yeah, about two and a half inches from from uh, one side to the other. And uh, and then you, you take the top part that you just cut off with, where there was a valve and there's a thread in there, and you bend over the two edges opposite each other on both sides. You bend over a flange so it's about an inch, Okay. You take that inch, and you're going to use that a little bit later. The hole that you cut out the bottom, the two-and-a-half-inch hole at the bottom, we're going to uh, actually um, uh, weld that to um, 
a long uh, um, piece of rod. It doesn't matter if it's rebar. I ended up having a piece of threaded um, uh, with stock around. It doesn't really matter what you use. And what you do now is now you're facing it. Put it back so it's standing up and you're facing it. Again, go one-third, two-thirds. What you want to do is mark a line that's one-third of the way down, one-third of the way up from the bottom, and you're going to actually drop down, I found out, about one-third more. So you, you take that line, you measure it, and then you drop it down one-third more. And what you're going to do is you're going to cut a doorway. And what works best is to cut the flat line at the bottom, and then you're going to go up, make an arch, and come back down again. So you have about, um, I think it's a, oh gosh, again it goes, I can only do proportions because I don't have the measurements in front of me. But it's basically, let me see, that's nine inches. It's probably um, close to 12 inches total from the bottom to the top of the archway. So you're going to have a flat and then arch. You got it in your head? Yeah. So, and that's the, that's the shape. And you want to build, you want to cut a template. So you, you draw it. You draw it nicely and fold it in half, and then it should be a nice little archway. You can use a compass while it's flat, and you build that circle, and then you bring your two lines straight down for about uh, about half the about the distance of half of a circle, and that's your archway. Uh, it's like an archway if you were to walk through a doorway like that. Um, and you cut that out, and on both sides, um, you're going to put. Uh, you, what I do is I use bed, uh, you know how they have bed mattresses and they have that wire that runs all the way around the bed mattress? Not the frame, but the top mattress? Yeah. You take that kind of metal, it's, that, that's the perfect um, thickness of metal. Um, or anything will work, obviously, but that just happens to work. And what you do is you take a piece about three inches long and you weld it so that it's sticking straight out to the right and to the left side. And it's at the area um, just above, you're going to find out where the weight is. You want the area just above where it's a balance point. And then you put another two-inch. I actually made a different line, so the further down it was, it was longer, uh, then got shorter. And I did three or four of them. And you can position anywhere you want. You could put 12 of them on it. It really doesn't matter. Uh, one, which is where it's closed. So you start off with it closed. So after you've got that two side pieces uh, sticking straight out to the right and to the left, you then take a piece and you grind it down so it has a little bit of an edge to it, like probably a 15-degree edge on it, and you mount it right underneath so it's actually touching the piece that's sticking out and it's going up at an angle so that it, like, locks it into place. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It kind of. I think I'm with you. Okay. And then you weld one on each side. So that when you take that door, you will literally drop the two flanges onto the, the two pieces that are welded, and it'll, it'll drop right into place and lock it in there. And then you do that for different levels so that you can actually take the door and you can lift it up to a level, level, level. And then um, uh, at the bottom, I did a long um, – um, I got rid of it later on, but at first I had to do a long piece so it wouldn't fall into the stove, but it, it doesn't anymore. Um, it's, it's hard to explain. I'll send you the designs. But the point is, you take that piece from the top, you bend over the flange, you weld that to the front. Now you get a pipe that will screw in there. And there's your handle. The bottom piece, you'll run a hole. You, you, you run a hole through it. You, you put your rebar or whatever you are, attach the, um, the, um, 
the little hole that you, you cut out and uh, you attach it to that piece of metal and you counterweight it with anything. I just use two big nuts. And now you can slide that open and close. You can either slide it forward and back, which I end up doing running a rail, so you can only slide it back and forth. Uh, although before, when I first started, you could go right, left, anywhere you wanted to. And that's it. There's your stove. And you can put damn near anything in there. I mean anything. And it burns it so absolutely and completely. It's unbelievable. Run your glue off the top. You don't have have no flu or damper or anything on it? I'm saying the hole in the top, you do your flu and your damper and all that. Okay. Yeah, that's what the hole in the top is for, is for your your flu. So you do your flu. You definitely want your damper. Of course, I put a... um, I designed a, a, a counterbalanced flu so that it would automatically work. Uh, they have some. I think you can still buy them, but I actually designed my own. It works real well. And uh, all you need to do is put three or four pieces of paper over the hole. You just throw them in there. Put your kindling on top of it. Got to have good kindling when you start off, a nice little layer of it. And then you can start putting progressive pieces in there. Now, the beauty about this, and then I have a little tray uh, oh, you set the whole thing on two bricks. I forgot. Two long bricks. You can get those real long bricks. You set okay. the whole thing on two long bricks, and now you have a channel. And I just took some um, tin, and I built a little square box. And you and what I do is I take a piece of paper. I light the piece of paper, slide it up underneath that hole with a hole open, and within 30 seconds that flame is going, and you open the flue all the way. Oh, you want to put one piece of paper inside the stove first to get it to create a draw. So you will put like a couple pieces of newspaper in there real quick to get the draw going. And then you can put some pieces of paper in the front. You play with it where the mouth is and you're in the first position so it's open just a little bit. And that's how I get the flute. That's how I can light it from the outside. And you stick the piece underneath. And once that thing lights, that thing will start to howl like a damn choo-choo train. (laughs) Wow, I mean, you have to send me the send me the prints for that or I'll, I'll send you pictures of it. I'll send you pictures of it, even with well, a flame one. That thing will get so freaking hot you can actually see right through the metal. <laughs> but it wasn't melt because it's it's made out of that type of metal. It's really great. And I'll tell you the experiment I did. It was three below, and every for the first uh, I think about ten degrees. It would heat up every 30 seconds, one degree. And after that, after a while, then it was, uh, when it started getting close, it was like every minute. Um, it was a fairly small area, but still, oh, my. T- and you, like I said, you can burn. I was burning punk wood, and I'd go out, look at the chimney, no smoke. But it'll burn It'll burn anything you want. It's just amazing. Anyway, I hope I didn't lose um, uh, Russ. Russ, you on? I don't see him on here. Russ, 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 Russ. Let me text What do you have for uh, court uh, court stuff for this week? What was your... Uh, uh, I was helping somebody else. Material. Huh? What kind of material did you come up with for this week? I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. I apologize. Talking stoves. Do what? That's why we're talking stoves. Yeah, that's part of the reason. Oh, I got some. I got some stuff though. Um, I wanted to hold on a second. It's been such. I've been so busy this week. It's not even fun. I've been reading the hell out of some case law. There was um, charges, and I was helping this. The actually the girl who's supposed to be helping me type, 
ended up me helping her with her court case, which is really fascinating. Um, I'd never seen this before. And I, I looked for you at Monday's show when you'd come on that one show there. Uh, everybody was all talking. I don't know what kind of room you want to call that. But <laughs> Janine and I, we were uh, trying to listen to you when you are reading off some case that you were talking about. Yeah, but it was hard to hear you, man. And then that's yeah. when you just got, had to leave. No, that was that was a jo- that whole thing was a joke. In fact, I, if anyone has Mike's um, uh, contact information, I may have it, and I just don't know it. But I've been so busy lately, um, I'll make contact with him, and, and so we can mute people out. Because if you see what happens when you don't mute people out. Oh, that's like the back uh, the back alleys of talk shoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far they're being uh, good, so I don't have to mute the chat board. But the moment I get any anything on there that's either stupid or rude, I'm boom, it's gone. I'm, I'm muting it because I don't really care. Most of the people, actually, believe it or not, I have more listeners. Uh, same thing with my other with the other show that I was doing, um, the American Reconstruction Project. I actually had a lot more listeners uh, who listened to the recording because they just didn't have time to come on at the time. Um, but let me share a little bit of, I don't know if it's pertinent information, is helpful or not, but it's interesting anyway. And that is that I did not know um, until this week or last week um, that the there is a thing, the um, federal... Um, Hold on, I'm trying to get in on this computer. Shoot, hold on a second. Okay, I'm barely functioning right now. Is that you with the background, Rick, or somebody else? It's somebody else. Okay. Russ, are you on now? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Well, I need you to carry the show while I get my butt up and running and my computer's up and running and have something to contribute here. Um, but I, I'll share real quick what I was what I was talking about. I just found out, which I didn't know because it never came up, but these charges, it's really fascinating. I'm looking at these charges. It was like, you know, for an uh, open container in a car um, um, and uh, what was the other one? Oh, they had given the wrong name to the cop who came up on them hard, and they were actually parked on the side of the road in um, on the uh, BW Parkway, Baltimore-Washington Parkway, which apparently uh, Maryland seceded to the, to the United States. But what's fascinating about this was that the park police were the ones that I was like, what are the park police doing on the highway? But apparently they can, by default, actually maintain it because it was, um, I don't remember what it was, um, but it was really interesting to look at how they have it. Um, uh, they were using um, not U.S. code. It was um, gosh, I should have it. I don't even have it. But the, the the atmosphere was very different in a federal court. I've been wanting to go to a federal court. I mean, this is a district federal court, though. And um, everyone was pretty damn friendly. But I got the guys at, at the door to admit that it was an unlawful search and seizure. Um, you know, because I did it real friendly, like I was like, oh, you know, I said, you know, I got to do my thing on you, so I did my thing on him, which is, do you have a warrant? Do 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 do. And I said, well, you have a choice. And I said, well, not really. I said, if we're invited here, um, you know, we're actually required to be here, and if we don't, then we're going to be arrested if we don't show up. I said, and not only that, it's supposed to be a public place, right? So they they kind of didn't want to hear it. The guy's response was typical. He says, well, my paycheck says that this is what I'm going to do, so I'm going to do it. 
And I said, yes, but paychecks don't trump the law, do they? So, you know, I was trying not to make it uncomfortable and keeping it friendly. And then I made a joke and I said, you know, we're invited guests here. Here's our invitation. That's the way I always say it. I said, now tell me, do you do you uh, go through this process at your door when you invite people to your house? And they are joking. Oh, yeah. So it gave them a way out to joke. But um, um, it, w- it wasn't quite as uh, – the atmosphere was much more friendly uh, and, pr- and pretty nice. Um, but once again, you had the stage set up um, with a throne and the whole nine yards. And, uh, of course, it was just a preliminary – but what we did this time is we just simply said, I don't, I have, oh, I have insufficient knowledge. Oh, I am without knowledge. So I am without sufficient knowledge to answer that question. And the judge, well, what do you mean? What don't you understand? Do you have any questions? You know, I was like, no, I don't understand because I am, I have insufficient information to answer that question. Right? What was the one that you use, Russ? Is kind of yours is better. What is it again? The case I'm involved in. No, when you use that, you say I I am there's something similar to I have insufficient information to answer that question properly or something. Oh, that, that's when they that's when they they try to um, force you to enter a plea. You know, we got a we got something to say to them that stops them right in their track. Uh, they they ask you what they want to do, and when they get you in the court, they want you they want to rush you to judgment so they can get you into the trial as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things within the five minutes that you're in the court, they want to they want to ask you. How do you wish to enter a plea? And I, I tell them this. I am unable to enter an issue plea at this time due to the insufficient information on the charging instrument in order for me to frame a responsive answer. I'm here to challenge subject matter jurisdiction. I don't say anything else. All right. So we did that three times here up there in North Carolina, and uh, the prosecuting attorney uh uh, female, and uh, she didn't know what to do. I thought she had a yeast infection. I, I well, what's wrong with this woman? <laughs> so she uh, she wanted to know. She said that uh, that the state needs more time, and we should have said, well, who needs more time, you or the state? Because there is no such thing as a state of North Carolina versus a plaintiff. And under uh, the cases that I found, that they have to prove that there is an injured party under uh, what is it, the court cases here. Uh, where is it here? It's um, let's see. Diane says hi. By the way, Diane, I'm watching the board. We have um, yeah. guest seven apparently who's just exposed himself. It just see there has to be an injured party uh, under Gibson versus uh, Boyle, and then you got Sheriff versus Cullen. This these are all. Court cases that has never been uh, been overturned. They have to produce an injured party. What was that second case? It was Scherer versus Cullen. S H E R E R versus Cullen. That's uh, C U L L E N. All right, great. That's good information. You know they have, they have an injured party. Now, how in the hell could the state? <laughs> how, how in the hell could the state of anything be injured? I, I'm with you, brother. I'm absolutely with you. Some people don't get it, but I definitely get it. Um, it was you know, really here's, here's a question I ask him in court. Uh, judge, with all due respect or due disrespect, you're saying that the state of North Carolina is coming after me uh, of a crime. Can you or the prosecuting attorney give me the exact latitude and longitude of this entity called the state of North Carolina? Mm. They don't know how to answer that question. There is no longitude or latitude of a political fiction. It's a, it's a legal fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, it only exists in paper, in in the records, basically in the records of 
what they've created. I mean, that's pretty much true with all of it, and that's where a lot of these people are coming off, and they understand that, so they see the United States. Um, and what's interesting with these charges, it said it was the United States of America, and the last time I checked, the United States of America, all uppercase, was a corporate entity. Right. Uh, so I find that fascinating, too. Um, and, and you know, to me, they're saying that these were criminal charges, but you couldn't require a trial by jury. And I was like, wait a minute, the Constitution. So we ended up, uh, which I, I generally do because my strategy, particularly for this one, I don't have time to really hold her hand and she wasn't ready. So I went ahead and filled out the, uh, had her fill out the thing for her, you know, to get a public defender, who actually turned out to be a really pretty cool lady. Um, but the problem, the problem is that every time I brought something up, she says, that's been tried and they've stuffed it and that's been tried. She says, yeah, I've done it myself. Um, and it, it just, they don't, you know, as bad as things are that bad now. I mean, the Constitution has been so shredded that they don't care. And we kind of went back and forth. I said, no, the Congress cannot make and the courts can't make. Well, the Supreme Court says this, the Supreme Court says that. And I'm like, yeah, but even the Supreme Court cannot go against what the Constitution says. So, um, in fact, there is a case uh, which is Dickerson versus United States. And I can't remember who it was on the show a couple weeks ago that said that um, to support his assertion that there was a statute, uh, let me see if I can find the statute on here, that the uh, Congress put together, um, let's see if I can find it here, and that statute allegedly overrode the Miranda uh, case. Uh, here it is. Congress enacted 18 U.S.C. 3501, um, which in essence laid down a rule that the admissibility of such statements should turn only on whether or not they were voluntarily made. And I actually read the whole case. You need to read the whole case to get an idea how they go back and forth. But as I've suggested, again, for those people who do not know, I always suggest that what you want to do is take the case and scroll all the way to the bottom and look at the notes. First of all, it's one thing is always good to do. Look at the notes, which has the case law, and then look at the virtually the last paragraph, and then go backwards. And after you've gone backwards, you know, I go paragraph, read it. Up, paragraph, read it. And it sounds goofy, but it really actually does work. The reason for that is you can get an idea of where they're going first before you actually start reading. Otherwise, you can get lost. So let me read you the last paragraph. It's going to blow you by now. What's funny is, the the man that was on the show that was uh, supporting it says, yeah, all you got to do is, is read Dickerson versus United States. It's already been overturned. They don't have to Mirandaize you. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I was like, okay, let me go look this up and do the good thing of shepherding the case. We know about that, don't we, Russ? Because most people who use cases that you that just all of a sudden sounds like what they're telling you doesn't sound right, uh, go shepherd it and you find out, guess what? Uh, they're misinterpreting it. It's very clear right here at the bottom uh, right before they said reverse, it says right here. In sum, we conclude that Miranda announced a constitutional rule that Congress may not supersede legislatively. What? Following the rule of star decisis, we decline to overrule Miranda ourselves. Now, that's the Supreme Court. That's what they're bound by. So it's pretty clear, and you can go through the whole case and read it, and you'll begin to see what they're saying is because the Miranda ruling created a constitutional, a constitutionally correct requirement that even Congress cannot supersede it legislatively. Now, I thought that was fascinating. 
so that really worked today when she was telling me, oh, well, you know, uh, Congress did this and Congress did that. And then she went and said, well, but the Supreme Court can interpret it and state what basically the law is. So uh, I didn't get in, I didn't have time um, to really have a great deal of a long um, a discussion with her. But that's what that's what a lot of people believe in right now is that they can supersede the Constitution just by uh, either Congress writing something and then the uh, Supreme Court uh, agreeing with it or or not agreeing it whatever. And she says all this stuff has been challenged and it doesn't go anywhere. Well, I've looked at those cases and let me tell you what: when you really look at those cases, ninety nine percent of the time you will see like there was a case that somebody brought up last week. Um, and when you went and looked at that case, again, it was a complete misrepresentation. The court stated probably for three pages that it was insufficient. It wasn't, the court never made an adjudication on the issue. The court simply stated, you don't have enough evidence here. You don't have anything to sustain it. You basically haven't stated any claim here. Well, isn't that what it's called, Russ? Failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted? Well, what is a charge? A charge is not a claim, is it? That's right. Pretty simple. The charge, the charge, the, the claim has to be something valid. It's got to be tangible. And, and if you look at the, if you look at the case of Trinity versus Pagliaro, who came in '64, 1964, DCPA, which stands for the District Court of Pennsylvania, is found at uh, F Supplement on page 670 of uh, 647. It says. Statements of counsel or in argument are not facts before the court. What is it about these prosecuting attorneys don't understand that? Because every time you go into court and I sit there and the prosecuting attorney is forced to court decorum and the way everything goes, the prosecuting attorney makes an opening statement saying that uh, this guy is supposed to have a duty to do this, this person has to do that, he fails to do this, and then the first thing you should say when you get up you have to give them the word objection, Your Honor. The prosecuting attorney is making um, testimonial statements, and he knows full well he's not allowed to do that. So I'm going to demand that everything the prosecuting attorney said to be stricken from the record. And they usually take it off the record. They know better than that. But see, the reason why they're getting away with that is that the public doesn't know how to object, and they don't know how to do it timely. Yes. Because I was, I was talking to a guy today. Uh, the state of South Carolina versus this guy, and I used to call in uh, Yates. I said, do you have any evidence that this person exists at law or in law? So what you can do, if you've got to make sure it's a court of record. So you, go, you, you turn to the sonographer and you'll say, my name is John Clark, living man on the land. I am not the entity that is on their document. Yeah, there you because go. See what you got to do is called a you got to you got to do an answer and counterclaim. If you don't do that, I don't care what kind of case it is, whether it's civil or criminal. You got to do three documents. You got to do an answer and counterclaim. You have to deny everything. If you don't deny that, we are setting yourself up to take a fall. Number two, you send up a bill of particulars, which this prosecuting attorney has not done yet, and a motion to dismiss and strike. What's now, a bill? What's a bill of? Uh... Would you say that word, bill of the what? Bill of, the bill of particulars. It means you've got to state, you're, you're, you're demanding the prosecuting attorney to state with specificity and with particularity the elements and nature of the crime. So you get into a traffic violation. 
Why are they making a civil case criminal? They're doing that because they're saying that, well, we got elements that uh, he did that on purpose. He, he, got, he ran down the road fully intended to, to go over 10 miles over the post of speed. How the hell do they know? They don't even know what a cause of action is. We've got a cop on the stand, and we said, Officer, do you understand, do you know or understand the elements of the cause, the elements of a cause of action? And the judge jumped from that bed, oh, you can't do that. He said, excuse me, sir, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this dumbass over here in the uniform. So keep your mouth shut. I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Well, I did want, I did something different today instead of, uh, because actually they were just setting the hearing. But I uh, just, for some reason, um, I went up to the um, uh, clerk, the court clerk there before the judge came in, and I asked him, I said, is this a lawful court of record? He goes, oh, and he looked at me funny and said, is it being recorded? And he goes, yes. I said, okay, fine. He goes, who wants to know? And I just said, thank you very much and walked away. Um, so... I found that to be a lot more, uh, a lot less offensive. In other words, you don't want to try, you know, as much as they are the servants, there is a reality. You know, we had this discussion today. Look, there's truth. You know, you go read the unanimous Declaration of Independence. That's the foundation. That's which all forms of government are based upon. Again, if people don't know, we're going to do it one more time. You ready? And if you don't have this memorized and you can't say it along with me, then you haven't done any homework. Like I said, I taught a nine-year-old kid in one day to memorize this particular part of the unanimous declaration of the 13 lowercase United States of America. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed, which means part and parcel to you, endowed by their creator, which means nobody else, just the creator, with certain, meaning not uncertain, unalienable, cannot be leaned, altered, diminished, or, or anything. Okay, you can't you can't burden it, encumber it whatsoever. Unalienable, not unalienable, unalienable, which unalienable still has some power because it means you cannot be alienated from it. But unalienable means that the rights themselves cannot be uh, diminished, like I said, or leaned, like you lean a property. Okay, you can't put a price on it. You can't put anything on it. Unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Therefore, there's many of them, and just among the biggest ones we can pull up. That, to secure these rights, and for no other purpose, governments are instituted among men. So they created a concept from that point on that governments exist to, to secure the rights of the people. Okay, That, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, which is they're deriving their just powers because they're willing to give up their rights in order to serve, and that's why we call it just. We give them certain limited regulated powers because they're willing to be governed. So they are the governed. The people are not supposed to be governed. The people are self-governing. Go look it up, what self-governing means and where that whole term came from. The whole idea is that you are a man, you are a, uh, in a, uh, a creation of the creator, that we're made in the image of God that, that created everything, and therefore we can't be regulated by something that you created. I can't be re regulated by you. I can't be regulated by ten people in a room if there's only uh, nine people who can vote. No, the rights of one man supersede the rights of of. Well, they don't supersede, but they're equal to all of the rights combined. So if you had a room full of 50 people 
And all those people got together and said, yeah, we want to take your rights away. They couldn't do it because collectively they still have the power of one. And that's something people don't understand. You cannot, Hale versus Hinkle supports that, says that rights cannot be taken away except by due process of law and in accordance with the Constitution. So there's an A and D there. Anyway, hey, so... Um, my, my, I think uh, what I was going to say there, Colin, is back to, I think the key word, though, with me trying to study the or learn this common law and then in, in, into what you've been teaching since I've been listening to you, I think the key word in there is the people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, like Russ was saying about an entity, you know, or the cor- or the corporation. Absolutely. Go to the Constitution, Article 4, <clears throat> Amendment 4, rather, which clearly states the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects. So but clearly you have-, you have many persons. Now, the question is whether you have a person. Now, you have many personas or many personalities. The question is, do any of your persons... Are any of those created by and through the state? If so, there would be a record of it. You'd make an application to the state, wouldn't you? So that's the first thing is you go you go look up the all uppercase name, which entity, which that argument has been going around for a long time. Well, let me share a little something with you guys. Got a bill on another case I'm handling or helping out with. Um, and Oh, in fact, it's Shay's case. Um, I went and looked at it. And the bill, which is on the court, um, they had the attorney's name in upper lower case, and right below, and that was probably like, let's just say $2,000, right below it, I can't believe they did this, right there in your face, right below it, same exact letters except all uppercase, and it was twelve close enough to $12,000, clearly indicating that this is an attorney, which is actually the trustee of a bankruptcy. Clearly, there is a complete and absolute difference because you're going to write one check, which is going to be to the upper and lowercase name, and you're going to write another check to the all uppercase entity. So clearly, I have now proof positive right there. They can't deny it, that the all uppercase is a fiction. It's an entity. So when you go look at the chart, at the instrument that you've been invited to court or whatever, you can see it's always an all uppercase because they can't have jurisdiction over the man. This is the whole thing. If you listen to Carl, this is basically what he's saying. Be a man. That's not me. I'm not that fiction. I'm not that entity. And I don't have that person. I have no knowledge of of creating or having anything to do with that person, which is a DBA, basically, is what it is doing business as entity name. And people don't get that. Now, one guy looked at it. was a great, great um, YouTube on it. The guy discovered and found out that at any time that it's all uppercase, it's either an acronym or it's considered to be sign language. Isn't that fascinating? The whole video, I don't know. You have to go watch it for yourself. So, um, you know, they don't get it. Nobody gets it because they don't want to get it. It's not because they can't. It's because they don't want to. And they've been doing it for so long that they think you're crazy when you talk about that stuff. Now, I did stump the attorney today when I sat there and, and said that. She said, well, all I know is that we've tried that stuff. And she says, I've even tried it. Um, and and it doesn't it just doesn't fly. She says it's unfortunate. The truth is what you're saying, um, but the fact is that we've been basically taken over. So we went through the Constitution. A lot of it's just been completely shredded. She just kind of looked at me blank. Said, "Well, you know, we've tried it. it doesn't work." Um, I think that's why you have to be specific, though, in your papers, 
as like I saw that Bill Thornton, where he puts on there one of the people of the of Illinois or one of the people of Wisconsin. You know what I mean? That way you're kind of putting it right out there. No questions asked. There ain't no entity or nothing. This is it. Because back to what you were saying there with the 13th Amendment, the people. That's right. That's the Yeah, that's the fourth, by the way. The right of the people to be secure in the person who has papers and effects. Unreasonable search and seizure. Oh, the fourth. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I even asked her, I said, well, what about the Constitution where why do they keep forgetting the other half? Because they were talking about, well, if a cop pulls up on a car and they smell anything, they can they now have uh, probable cause so they can search the whole entire vehicle and tell people to come out. It's actually reading case law, and it's like, holy crap, they can't believe this crap. Um, that's why they dra- they can drag you out of the car because they're led to believe they can invade your space. Um, and and but we didn't ha- again, I didn't have time to go into detail with it. But I asked her, I said, well, why do they keep forgetting the other half of that? It says no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause and supported by affidavit clearly specifying the place to be searched and the things to be see uh, the, the the person or things to be seized. That's pretty damn clear. It's an and statement there, which means it's a requirement. And she just basically said, well, no, they don't need to do that. That's what the law says. And I'm just like, no, that's not it. And then she went to the su- Supreme Court cases, and, and you know, which without actually quoting me any. So I wasn't prepared to argue with her at that particular time, um, given how tired I was. Because so, with the affidavit, can a police officer make an affidavit, you know, basically his report, police report be an affidavit? without no other claimant or no other wrong accuser? Well, this is what's interesting. Now, I've gone around and I've gone back and forth. Maybe Russ can help out there. I have been told that technically they can't because they're acting on behalf of the state. So how can they do an affidavit? But they're allowed to do it all the time um, on behalf of the state, and they're a witness. So it's kind of like a catch-22. But I have been able to get uh, one time I was able to get their testimony uh, stricken because I said, wait a minute, he's coming in under a uniform. Is he coming in as a man to testify? It's kind of the same thing with the attorney. The attorney cannot testify to anything. Well, guess what? If you're if you're an agent of the of of the um, administration of, of the fiction, how are you able in, to be in a uniform and testify? You can't. You're what you're doing is at the very least wearing that uniform prejudices the court, doesn't it? Color of law, yeah. There you go, bingo! Wow, you're you're really picking it up. It's pretty easy once you get it, isn't it? Yes, sir. So, yeah, it's a color of law activity. But again, we have the truth versus reality, and what we have to recognize, unfortunately, is that the reality of the situation is that we've allowed this stuff to go so far because everyone just wants to be left alone, leave me alone. I want to go home. I don't want to take on any responsibility. I don't want to go suck my thumb, and I don't want to do anything, and I don't want to go to court with any of my friends, and I don't want to go and take any time off of work, and I don't want to study any law. I don't want to read any statute. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. That's why I came up with the term Americans, because I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't help you, and I can't save your life, and I can't put out the fire. I can't. It's freaking amazing what people do. You know, I think I, a lot of it. I think a lot of it, though, is uh, they're banking the court system and that, and the prosecutors, they're banking on your fears. They're counting on your fears, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole stage. I mean, if you look, you won't believe the staging that I saw today in this court. Big, huge, open, 
marble walls, marble floors, this uh, oval area. It was absolutely amazing, absolutely beautiful. It could be an art museum, for crying out loud. And you go into this court, the doors are huge and humongous. I mean, it just reminds you so much of the Wizard of Oz. And there's a reason why the Wizard of Oz did that. He was trying to tell people what was going on. And by the way, the ruby slippers, they made them change it because they were supposed to be silver slippers, which meant, and the gold, and the follow the yellow brick road, which was made out of gold. The whole point he's trying to make is you need to go back to gold and silver. But they thought that um, that, that would be too obvious. And, you know, Hollywood was controlled by, by the Jesuits by that time. Um, but but so, that, so there's a lot of symbolism in there. This has been going on for a long time, is what I'm finding out uh, more and more. This has been going on for a very long time. Um, but, yeah, I went into this courtroom, and it's, you know, big, huge cathedral, so wide open space. Two, I'm not kidding you, two-thirds of the space was for the two tables, and then there was a middle podium with a microphone and everything else. Then there was a good 35 freaking feet between the tables and the podium and that, you know, that area that they have for the judge first sitting in the middle up on the throne and then the secondary thrones to the right and the left, that area. There was at least at least 25 feet, maybe 30 feet, maybe, you know, 25 to 35 feet. It was really a long, because I walked it. And it was, I was like, what is, what is all this space for? What is this like the Roman, you know, this is where they're going to have the gladiators fighting in this space? I mean, what the, what's the point? Yeah, I think you know, it gives you that the so-called impression of uh, the death walk, you know. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, and, and the people behind the podium had to walk up to the clerk and get documents. And it was like, okay, I'm getting away from the podium now. I'm going to take a long walk all the way to the clerk up there so I can grab the pieces of paper. And I'm just like, you know, and which is unusual because usually the uh, court, um, I call him the court thug, Usually the court thug is the one that will, you know, hand the papers and do the papers because you can't approach the bench and all this stuff. And it might but be I, for security reasons, too, though. That was so my point. doesn't jump up on the judge. Well, that was my point. In every other court that I've ever been in, you can't, you have to ask to approach the bench. Otherwise, the, uh, the, the, the court thug is the one that will grab the papers from you and hand it to the judge or hand it to the clerk and vice versa. That's what he does. That's one of his jobs kind of thing. Even though that's, the reason for that is for programming, basically to get them to believe that they're supposed to serve the judge because they're deputy sheriffs. And they're not supposed to be there for that. They're supposed to be there in order to make sure that that judge and nobody else does anything to violate your rights. But we haven't educated those sheriffs and so the sheriffs haven't educated the deputies. So the deputies, they don't know anything. They're sucking their thumbs at the young ones, at the new ones. They come on the force and they say, oh, well, you're going to stand in court and this is what you do and you stand here and you see anybody with a hat on and you got to you got to act really mean and nasty and intimidate them right from the beginning and make sure, well, they don't tell them that you're trying to intimidate them. They say, well, don't let anyone challenge your authority. You know, they're, they're, they're masters at getting these these people, you know, uh, to how to manipulate their mentality. Don't let anyone, you know, uh, this and that and the other thing, and you're in charge here, so... That's what their whole focus is. They don't understand that they're there to, to secure your rights and arrest that judge if they um, um, see that he's doing something improper or somebody else uh, doing anything improper. So this is where we're at. Until the people wake up, until the people start doing something about it, this problem is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, well, we're, where are we at? Oh, I wanted to read this real fast for you uh, to confirm, and then we'll move on. This is what... Uh, uh, Deborah Swan, uh, the lady that I had on the show a couple weeks back, 
which he's been fighting this case, this slander case, for a long time. Uh, this is with uh, Brent Swallers. We had talked to him before. She had talked to him, and she warned him. She says, if you keep putting this stuff in there, um, like you're doing, they're going to end up bringing up charges of uh, paper terrorism. And sure enough, two weeks later, he was in jail under charges of paper terrorism. So, and all all he does is common law stuff. And he's really good. He knows his stuff. It's just amazing. Um, so, you know, this is why I have an opinion about it. This is what she wrote here. I'm just reading what she wrote. The government slam dunked him. She has a copy of what he filed in, in the court. This will show you how it is critical that when you file a legal document, uh, if you want to win, the only way to win is by controlling authority that is found in prior case law. The judge tells Brent over and over through the six-page response that his argument is frivolous because he does not cite any law or case law that back up his weak legal arguments. I tried to warn him the last time I spoke to him and tried to explain to him that what he is filing is not going to do any good. He told me how I was hurting his feelings and offended him. I feel sorry for him, but he just would not listen. This is a good example of why pro se, she's calling him pro se, comma slash sovereign common law do not win due to their hard-headed way of thinking that their personal argument will be the way to win, leaving out the critical rules of civil criminal Procedure, yada, yada, yada. So there's from somebody who's been holding these criminals off for almost three years now. And you can actually, she posted the um, the thing, um, that their conversation that she had. I won't bore you with a reading of it. If you review, can find, where can you find that at? Is there a link or a website or something? No, no, it's on my private Skype, but if you want it, I can link it to you. Um if you review the response of the government filed to Brent's motion to dismiss, you will see the points and questions I asked them about are the same points the judge mentions in their motion to dismiss. I was correct. If he would have listened to me and not taken me as if I was being mean or against him, then he could have approached this with a legal angle that the courts would have listened to. So what she's saying is it's, that's why she has them side by side. She has the court the judge stating things and she has the conversation and what she stated to him uh, almost, what, two months ago or three months ago. So it's kind of ironic. And she's a newbie. She's only just, she just graduated um, uh, from uh, legal East school. What do you call it? Um, um, what do you call it? Uh, it's like the first step. Um, I can't even think. My brain's not functioning. It's like a legal secretary. What do they call it? Um, uh, anyway, she went to that school. She wanted to find out. We talked about that in another show where she found out some very interesting information that they actually have. Paralegal. Paralegal, thank you. Paralegal course. That they actually have a section in the paralegal course of how to handle pro se's. And they even have a section on how to handle the, um, what they, they're calling the sovereign citizen types. So, and that was the first thing when I started mentioning the Constitution Day. The first thing, oh, are you one of those sovereign citizen people? Or the Moors. So they're on top of those. They're all over the Moor stuff as well. Hey, um, Russ, do you know anything about the Moor stuff? What that yes, I do. I have met them, and I was trying to straighten them out too. And they, they, they for, for uh, unfortunately, they think that they are walking around some kind of a body legal armor that's going to protect them because they got these documents on them. I, I, I came into contact with them again last year yeah. at uh, Starbucks. 
And I asked him, I said, what do you got there? He said, these are my documents from the the Washington Nation. I said, you talk about the one down in Louisiana with this queen down there? He said, yeah. I said, what good is that going to do? I said, what 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 status and character do you have that, that uh, overrides everybody else is, uh, in this country that's going to allow you to create your own license plate, create your own documents, and you just think you can go willy-nilly down the road and do what you want to do? He said, well, I said, no, you're not. I said, you're nobody special. Mm-hmm. And I said, your process is is flawed. I said, you're, the angle that you're coming at, you're going to get beaten every time. So I, I just kind of gave up on them because they're into this Maury science. I said, where in the hell is that? You know, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I'm not going to go into specific detail, but I just looked at it and said, it's nonsense. Come into court with that nonsense. Yeah. Well, particularly, yeah, it, it, it's like sovereign brush. Huh? Are these, these Moors, are, are they acting like, kind of like a sovereign rush? No, they're, they, they don't what I get, what I get on, I'm, I'm a history buff, and I get them on this. I said, do you understand? I said, are you telling me? Here's what I get them on. And they, and they, and they called me, and Uncle Tom, they called me uh, a race trader. I said, well, I said, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You're telling me that you are calling yourself a Moor. Is that correct? He said, yeah. I said, can you directly trace your lineage to the Moors? Do you know even where they came from? Oh, I, I think they came from Morocco. No, they did not. There were some that came from Morocco. Majority of them came from. If you look at the the, the map of Africa, if you look at the north uh, western Africa, and there's a there's a country called Mauritania, which is on the western side. If you look at the Moors, the Moors were uh, Arabic slash Berber people. So they they think that. Uh, I said, can you trace your DNA back to the Moors? I said, you can't even trace your DNA back two or three hundred years. So well, how how can you tell that you are a descendant of the Moors? Do you know what the word Moor means? Do you understand how the different ways you can spell the word Moor and what that means? They don't even, they don't even know. <laughs> so, I, so when I when I started pinning the ears back, they got real defensive, and they're calling out kind of names. I said, you can call me anytime, you can call me anything you want, but you're not going to win the court with that kind of nonsense. Look, I'm kind of observing here what, you, what you're describing them there, and I'm kind of, from what I've learned from Carl Lentz is there, is like, okay, when you go to court or whatever and you want your jury of your peers, trial, you know, trial by jury of your peers, he was referring to, like, the Eskimos, how they are, their way of life is. They want to smoke peyote or whatever. Well, they, you know, mm-hmm. that's their own thing. And I think what these boars are is coming in as a so-called, uh, what's the word, not tribe, but uh, Aboriginal. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what. It's I mean, do they do they really understand what that word means? Aboriginal. If you look at Aboriginal, the people yep. that were there before anybody else came. I mean, is that the real meaning of the word Aboriginal? If you look at the word um, Ab something, sometimes it means without, which means it lacks something. So there's a. There's a lot of interpretation of what that word means, and they, they really don't understand what that means. I said, you tell me that you're going to go in with that silly-ass fez on your head with that tassel hanging down. The police officer is going to walk up and say, sir, take that hat off in this court. If you don't take it, I'm going to smack it off your head. I came in, there was a black guy with a sunburn. I said, sir, you're you like a Mexican and a black guy. You need to take that sunburn off your head. You take it off. Yeah. They're not going to let you go in with that crap in there. Yeah. Well, the point is, is that it doesn't work. No, you know, and not like that. But if you want to be like the Indians, look what they've done to the look what they've done to the Indians over the over the period of time. They broke every treaty they've ever had. They just go out there and kill them and and wipe out practically half a whole nation uh, of Indians. They move them around, put them on onto. So is that you know that, when I first saw this stuff, I was like, do you really want to be 
uh, do you really want to be like that? I mean, it just you know, you're creating enemies. You know, where you, it's like the people who want to completely um, uh, disenfranchise themselves from from everything, and uh, you know, they want they want to uh, was it um, expatriate and and do all this other stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That means you're going to be a man without a country, a man without any laws to rely upon. You're going to be completely by yourself. So, do you have an army that's going to protect you? Do you have you know, your own court system and your own, you know, well, you know, if you go read it, they says that there can't be any other states, there can't be any other laws, which is actually what we have now because we have, uh, you know, basically a state within a state, but that's yeah. because corrupted. They're just sitting in the positions that were already created. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's been corrupted, folks. I mean, I don't know else how, how else to say it's been corrupted. Well, I'm trying to, uh, if you guys can help me right here. I'm at a roadblock or I'm at a hurdle in my thoughts of listening to you, both of you. What I'm trying to grasp right now, instead of just keep going on, is how does that go back to no man can tell another man when he cannot do believe uh, versus the Moors or versus the Indians? As long as you're not causing anybody to harm, injury, or loss, uh, how can you tell them what they want to believe or what they, you know what I'm saying? I, I totally do, and that's the thing that took me three years of my life to get, or four years, three and a half, four years, I was studying all the other stuff. I call it stuff. Uh, some people call it, I call it, some people now, I learn. I agree with the term patriot idiot stuff. you got the more stuff. You've got the, the common law, the uncommon law, whatever you want to call it. All of it ends up, unfortunately, going into the same circular file because it's just junk. It's stuff. It's some kind of imagination, and most of the people you look at have been started this stuff are in jail. And they've lost their family or they've lost things or they're still in jail, but they're True. trying to t tell you what to do. The fact is, I have finally sat there and said, look, the bottom line is it's not freaking working. And every time you go back to these gurus and you say, look, I did what you suggested and it didn't work. And you go, well, you did something wrong without ever asking what it is you did. And then they'll find, well, you did something wrong. And then you'll hear them over and over and over again, well, once you do this, then you better be very careful. Don't ever do anything. You give them jurisdiction. If you answer their question, you give them jurisdiction. If you find yes. out, you give them jurisdiction. Well, I don't want – is that freedom to you where you have to watch everything you say, everything you do? Because right now, you know, you go almost anywhere you go and you're going to find one of them. So sure. it's, it's, it's difficult. And you know that if they're after you, that they will just constantly uh, uh, cross your paths purposely to try and trip you up. They're going to trip you I up agree. before they trip you up. Right. It's just not worth the challenge. It's just not worth it. I mean, you do your little thing. To Now, what I do is I do use some of this stuff, but what do I do? I make my record. That's all I'm doing. I'm making my record. You don't want to listen to it. You don't want to accept it, but I know it's constitutional. I know that I can back it up in law. I know I can back it up with case law. But in the meantime, I'm just going to go ahead and make my record. I'm not going to argue, and I'm going to object when you sit there and deny it. I'm going to object again until you say noted. Now I've got the record. I can now appeal it. Now, Colin, when you're making your record, when you're, huh? making, when you're making that record, are you making that for future uh, arguments or uh, future uh, proceedings? Both. I'm doing, yeah, for future, for, what, for doing an appeal. Remember that that judge is just his opinion, and, and, and judges say that. I've had a judge smile in my face and sit there and go, well, you know what, if you don't like it, that's why we have appeals court. It's just my opinion. He smiled at me. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he was doing what his boss told him to do. 
Okay, that made sense to me. When you first told me there a couple weeks ago, Rick, you want to look at it as like the baseball game. You got inning one, inning two. There you go. You lose those those innings or whatever, that's fine, but it's to win the game at the end. There you go. I got it. Exact amount, and that's how I always, I'm always, always, always looking at the elements of a 40, of, of, uh, um, 42-1983, which is a deprivation of sight, which is what? Anything that is cognizable to the court of the United States, which means what? If you memorize or know the Constitution and a lot of the uh, United States codes, such as the ones I've given, 18 U.S.C. 241, 242, uh, I recommend you read 471 through 474 because that lets you know what they're doing is they're counterfeiting, uttering, and passing those counterfeit instruments to to the court and so on. Um, and if you listen to the way Steve lays it out, um, uh, Rico Man, we call him Rico Man, he laces his, his uh, 42 1983 with Rico all over the place so that he's hoping, and he, and he always sends copies of everything to everybody. It's another thing we had a discussion about, I don't know here, but with somebody else, that part of this whole process that works is you have to turn it into a political thing. Is that if you don't put it in political terms and and make it so that somebody's job is going to be on the line or is some kind of political thing, so he says he always sends them, he sends it to everybody he possibly can. Anybody who would be a supervisor, 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 you send it to everybody. You but would tell him that. Huh? Yeah, if you send it, you would tell me that. Get copies for everybody. Here, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. That's it. Because what you're doing is you're basically indicting them. Their failure to do something, particularly when you got case law and you got actual law, it's really, really difficult. Um, uh, it's really difficult for them to, 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 you know, throw it away and deny that it's right there. Not that they don't, but if you have a Supreme Court case law, usually you can, you know, you know, if you're going to go to the, the Supreme Court. Now, I don't know if we talked about it um, on this show. I thought the last show we were on, we should have talked about it. We're trying to. Was the um, the one out in the Bundy the Bundy case where the jury found him not guilty of all charges, which is different from uh, being acquitted. And I and to me that was a huge to me it's a huge case. Um, uh, <clears throat> um, when you have um, that many people being charged, put in jail after they just out and out murdered somebody. I mean, that if you watch the video, it was it was premeditated murder. A, a guy did a really great forensic on the YouTube. Look at the forensic of that murder uh, of of that guy, it's, it, and he actually lays it out beautifully. But you know, yeah. huh? Lavoy. Yeah, the killing of Mo- the the premeditated murder of Lavoy. Yeah. Um. So, um. Yeah, there's a lot of things wrong and. Uh, you know, doing all this crazy stuff, and I and I just call it crazy because it's 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 kind of like um, uh, I don't know. It's like telling your dog to sit down when you're three rooms away and the dog can't hear you. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I, I'm sure that Russ has a better one. Russ, you got something that you can um, humor the people with here, which is usually what it is. If you notice on these calls, uh, you're one of the few people. Rick, that's actually talking, you know, technical and is interested in technical stuff. A lot of the people, they don't want any technical stuff. They just want to be entertained. And, uh, you know, I went from uh, whenever there was controversy, I noticed that. Whenever there was controversy, yelling back and forth, we had a bunch of visitors on. Uh, And I found this to be true with the um, American Reconstruction Project. But when we started reading statutes and reading codes and reading case law, actually reading case law, even ones that won, 
Like if you go and you want to do a really good, a really good case, even though it's poorly written and poorly done, you can go and look up the Trazodant case. And by the way, Rick, if you haven't uh, received that from me, go ahead and send me another email. Truthmonger I sent, I sent you uh, two emails about it way back when we were first talking about the bulldozers was going to uh, tear that house down. You should send me a request for the Trazodant case, and I've sent you two emails. I haven't got it yet. Well, my so. bad. Send it again to Truthmonger Six. It may have gone into my um, spam, okay. but, uh, but do that, and I'll, I'll definitely send the Trazavant. And I have now, I paid $200 for this disc. It's well worth it, and it's full, I mean, loaded, chock full. Yeah, see, I thought I sent you and about five other people about a minimum of five cases. What I'm going to do is CC it, uh, try to put together a list of people that I can, anytime I send out uh, any of this good information that um, – You'll have it because of me. Yeah. Huh? I said, go ahead. Yeah, send me that uh, five cases. I haven't, the only thing I've gotten in my email from you is a bill. <laughs> I do not. I never send a bill to nobody. I sent you a George. That's a joke. That's a joke. I know. See, here, yeah, here's, what oh. that, uh, here's what that patriotic, that this expatriate nonsense, and I ask people this. I said, if you want to expatriate yourself, that's fine. It means that you're taking yourself out of something. I said, my question to you on the backside of that coin is, what are you patriating into? They can't answer that question. What are you What are you expatriating from, and what are you patriating into? Good they can't question. They can't. Did you see what I do? I, I look at it logically and I ask some specific questions. Okay, let me get this straight. You're expatriating yourself. You actually get yourself out of something. And you're patriating into what? I don't know. But they said, they asked me, what am I? I said, they asked me if I'm a U.S. citizen. I said, I don't have no documentation or evidence or to validate or verify my U.S. citizenship at all. But I will tell you this. I claim to be what is known in Article 1 under the uh, the U.N. Uh, articles. It's, it's called stateless person. Look it up. The judge asked me, are you a U.S. citizen? Are you a resident? No, I'm a stateless person. Sounds like they're in Article 1. They understand that. Stateless? Yeah, it's called stateless person. This is in Article 1. I looked it up in the United Nations chart. I think it's under Article 1. Look at the word stateless person. You're not claiming no nationality. You're not claiming no state. And you can come in that court as a stateless person. There's nothing they can do about that. This gentleman's on the phone. Are you from? Are you living in Illinois? Yes. Okay, you're living in Illinois. And they're going to ask you, uh, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to act like I'm the judge. I said, sir, are you a resident of Illinois? What's going to be your answer? I'm one of the people of Illinois. Well, he's, he's, he, said, he, said, he said, sir, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you a resident of Illinois? Who's asking? Of Illinois? Who wants to know? Who's asking? Well, I wouldn't say that because now if you answer him like that, aren't you, aren't you getting into what it's called? An adversary relationship. I don't do that. Right. When I tell them, I, I send an affidavit uh, in the court along with other documents, and I uh, and then the reason why I tell them I, it's not possible for me to be a resident because if you look at the word resident in their statutory definition of me, it means that you have to be in that state physically within uh, sixty days or ninety days straight. That's why no evidence that they can provide. They can't. They can't prove that you're a resident because they have. You have to. They have to prove that you have. You are living there with the intention of staying there. And I did that in court down here, and they understood exactly what I said. 
I said, do you have evidence that I have been in North Carolina for 60 to 90 consecutive days? Well, no. Well, that's my answer. So therefore, my status is, whatever you want to call it, is called non-resident. I knew you were setting me up there, Russ, with no keyword resident. I didn't. I knew that was the key. That's why I answered the way I did. But right, because resident. resident it means that in your statutory definition, it means that you're going to be there for consecutive days, and your intention to stay there permanently. And you cannot. That's why I beat him every time on that. Well, you're resident. No. Do you have evidence in the record? Can you show on the evidence of the court that I've been in North Carolina for sixty to ninety consecutive days? Well, no. Thank you very much for your time. Let's go get a sandwich. What if they could rush show evidence? They what? If they could rush show evidence that uh, our resident of ninety days, then what? I don't think I don't see how they can. Well, here's one thing though too. Let's keep in mind at least my research indicates that you can't you can't be a resident because you're not an entity. Only an fictitious entity resides somewhere, and the reason. Whenever you go and fill out to create a business, like I said, everyone should just for shits and giggles. You can only you, you don't have to hold on to it for a long time. You can dissolve it. Um, what what you want to do is go ahead and create a business, even a partnership, a small business, an LLC, anything. And you'll see that the requirements are, particularly if you go look up the requirements for a corporation, you're required to have a place of business where the business resides. For instance, you will always see in the court cases when it's a business. They'll say it it does business in Il- in Alabama, but the center of the business resides in North Carolina. What are they saying? Their head offices. That's where they reside. So far as the taxes and everything else goes, uh, that's. And here's another thing: they must have a business that resides in the state somewhere that is open from nine to five or normal business working hours during the day, so that people they can be addressed and. Here's another kicker, which is how this older couple uh, who had been fighting for two years on the foreclosure said they asked uh, what what was this entity, this bank, it was like uh, U.S. Bank N.A. something or other, and they said that entity didn't exist. And the attorneys for the other side said, oh, yes, it does, it's a trust. And so they then said, well, doesn't a trust require it? Well, not only does a trust require but all business entities require what? A registered agent. Just like you must have an attorney represent the fiction. You have to have a registered agent. So they sat there and said, well, who's the registered agent? And they just about shit in their pants because there wasn't one. So the first thing that that you could ask technically on this all uppercase entity, you say, who's the registered agent for this entity? Uh, 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 uh. If there's no registered agent, then then how does it exist in law? And that's what people don't get, and it's the argument that nobody wants to come forth, and that's why I'm taking so much time to put this together to make sure I have all the dots and tittles and every avenue. This is a chess game. It's a chess game. It's a chess game. You have to think three moves ahead. You know, I use the base. I'm man's question. He said that if they did produce evidence, I say bring the evidence forward, and when they do that, you know what's the first thing that come out of my mouth? D-E-N-I-E-D, denied. I'm going to deny it. I just gave what see, Cole and I talked about that yesterday. It's called affirmative defenses. That's what people have got to understand how to do that, the affirmative defenses. 
Yeah, that's basically what, remember, and I think this is why I'm being attacked by these shills, and, and I'm pretty much concluding because of the fact that the same three or four people are running around to all of the talk shoes, not just mine, but they uh, came, they, they, I came under heaviest attack right after I did the show where I figured out what this common law stuff that everyone's been talking about. When you actually boiled it down and looked at what are they doing, you had to realize that what they are doing is nothing less than standing on affirmative defenses. All right, here we go. The board is now being blocked because people can't act responsibly. So you see, you just bring it on yourselves every time, and and you're not hurting anyone else because the good people aren't aren't jabbering on there anyway. Now, so, Russ, Russ, uh, this is Rick, by the way, Russ. Um, the, the this Article One of United Nations. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. That's something new that I've heard. But how does that fit in with the regular Constitution? Because it seems like this UN stuff that you start to hear about now, uh, it's kind of like a world uh, kind of government that's kind of like going to take over or whatever you want to call it. But when you start bringing up you know, under Article One, you're under under Article One of the uh, UN. I'm a states statesman or a, a stateless person. Well, the uh, reason, reason why I throw that at them, because if you look at the Constitution, what's the senator, um, uh, Colin, if you know exactly where it says that the Constitution has to do with treaties and other things that the United States government have gotten themselves into, that treaties supersede anything else since 1945? I don't know about that, but I do know on the Constitution where it says this Constitution and the laws that shall be made and the treaties that shall be made under the authority yes. of the United States shall yes. be the supreme law of yeah. the land. Yeah. That's Article 6. And uh, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. There Pretty deep. So here it is. Here's the one I was talking about earlier. I just found it again. It's Article... Hold on one second. Let me scroll up. It's Section 2. I believe it's Article 3. Yes, Article 3, Section 2, Number 3, states the following. The trial of all crimes except in cases of impeachment so it has the exception there they know how to use that word except so if they meant well except for the ones where you want to negotiate except for the ones where you want to uh, plead out no it doesn't say that it says the trial of all crimes except in cases of impeachment shall be shall be by jury now People go and love to play with that word shall, and I've heard Lynn say shall is sometime in the future, so I shall do this. I was like, fine, I shall make payment to that sometime in the future. That's a wonderful, fun, clever way of doing it. But in law, for these people, they're bound by the word shall, which means must. Am I correct on that, Russ? Yeah. Okay, the must. Uh, must be by jury. That's what shall means. It, it's all in court. It's old English. That incorporates, that's why if you look at the Bible, thou shalt not kill. Why is it? Well, it means you, you, you should not have killed. You should not kill today, and you better not kill tomorrow. So to me, what seems to be archaic language, S-H-A-L-T, which is very similar to shall, it basically is all-inclusive all time. Okay? It includes the past, the present, and the future. So it's like all-inclusive. That's how I, I believe uh, that makes the most amount of sense. So here it is right there, 
the trial of all, and I asked her about that. She just like, well, you know, that's not how it is anymore. And I'm like, well, I don't agree because somebody needs to bring these actions to a 42-1983 and if necessary, bring it properly before the Supreme Court and, 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 and box them in. That's the only way to do is to box them in with their own law and own case law, you know. But that's the beauty about this case uh, that I just read to you, which is United, uh, uh, where is it? No, that's another one. There's Daryl I was looking at. Um, this is another misnomer here uh, where they're saying operating or being in actual physical control of a motor vehicle. See, this is what this lady was saying today. Oh, no, the definition of driver is anyone who's in control of the vehicle. Well, they took out the word motor, and it's extremely important, as you know, you know, Russ, that, that you cannot change one dot or one tittle and they cannot interpret what the statute says or elongate it or stretch it out. Well, that's what they've done, and I heard it today several times, where they just kind of drop the word motor vehicle and they just use the word vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I heard it several times today. There was only one charge that I heard today that was even remotely valid out of all of the people that were in there. The, there was only one, and that's where the guy was recklessly endangering uh, the public or, or the you know the people, and they have every right to protect the public. But the rest of them was just the typical. We've got this uh, uh, CFR rule, and uh, you're in you're under our jurisdiction kind of thing because you're on the lands that we that you know. And, and they actually believe. Check this out, Russ. They actually believe that the federal government owns land. They actually believe they own it. I'm like, really? Show me the title. I said, first of all, go back to when they got the, um, what was that, the uh, Louisiana Purchase. What was the the uh, the um, the the United States uh, was actually merely a trustee. They can't own it. They're only trustees. Am I correct on that, Russ? That's correct. And they had to, required by law, within a period of time, they had to, disenfranchise themselves of any interest of the, of the land whatsoever, and that's why you could buy a shitload of land back then for next to nothing because they had to divest themselves of any interest in it. And there's all sorts of case law that wants that property. And then I ask this question too. If somebody has divested themselves, they have no interest in something, how can they turn around then and create a new title to it, which they, can, which they can't do? It shows you it's a criminal act. So let me go to this one case. Oh, yeah, the case I was talking about. So you see, it's so important to get words and terms right. And I used to really dislike that. You, if you listen to earlier shows of two or three years ago, I used to rant and rave about that. And I have to apologize because it turns out that this is the only thing that makes sense. Sit down for a minute in an imaginary world and imagine that you are going to create a new, um, you're going to create a new country and you're going to create a new form of law. Let's say we, we, you know, we have the right to alter or abolish, right? Well, let's say that we did that. Let's say that we abolished this form of every form of government we have, the constitutional form of government, everything. We just completely abolished it. What would you put in its place? Now, remember, anyone who's read Animal Farm, and it's a short book, uh, one of the required readings, one of the first required readings in college, and I thought it was a stupid at first, and you have take Animal Farm, which is you, you can read it in probably a couple hours, and also I would suggest reading um, Lord of the Flies, you know what I'm talking about, right, Russ? Yeah. And Rick, you, have you read either of those two books? No, I haven't. No. 
I suggest you read them because what they are is they're actually stories that it's a study. I'll give you the Lord of the Flies. An airplane crashes with a school of prep kids, okay? All right. Is that southeast Ohio? I guess I'll have to mute you out. No. Russ dropped off. No. No, you're here. Who was that? Oh, well, somebody came on and did that and then dropped off real fast. Oh, these guys are amazing. Okay, so anyway, Lord of the Flies was there was a plane load full of prep school boys. I guess anywhere from 12 to maybe, you know, anywhere from 9 to 14, I think it is. And it crashed into this island. And what it was throughout the whole thing, they did, they showed how um, you can create a, a malicious and mean leader and they will annihilate the nice guys, okay? And at the end of the show, uh, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but at the end of the, at the, end of the movie, now, there actually is a movie on it, so you can look it up. It's, but it, what it is, it, it, it basically shows exactly what people do um, and how they can create their own laws. And when you and pig farm, I mean, animal farm is a very short story of where the animals, and obviously it's trying to allude to something, that the animals sat there and said, "Oh, we don't like the humans," so they went to this whole long thing about how they got rid of the humans. And only animals, they could run their own show. They didn't need the humans to run the show. But what happened was they everyone had their own job to do. The horse, the big, huge horse, was the biggest puller. He was the best worker. And blah, 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 blah. Everyone had a job to do, best suited to their abilities. And the pigs apparently seemed to be the most intelligent, so everyone allowed them to do all of the legal stuff of the paperwork. Well, it wasn't. And they, but one of the animals noticed that the Constitution, the new laws they had created, which were printed on the outside of a barn so everyone could see it, that one day it changed. And one of the first things they put on is all animals are equal. And it changed to, but some animals are more equal than others. And pretty soon, uh, you know, they were in a worse situation than when they were under the humans. And again, it's a good example of exactly and precisely what's going on today that even though we have an alleged civilized society, it still is uh, a wild, wild west out there. And that's actually what we, the conversation I had with this attorney, um, you know, that that's because she's really uh, thinks it's ridiculous that, you know, marijuana is, is unlawful. But she, if you listen to her terms, she'll say that they're going to make it legal. How, excuse my language, but how the hell can you make something that the creator created that grows out of the earth, how can you make that illegal? It doesn't make any sense. And, well, excuse me, how can you make it legal? Right? I can see how they make it illegal because that's what they do, which is just a, a misnomer. But how do you make something that exists legal? It already exists. It's in natural form. In fact, I use that um, so far. It's been holding them at bay for a couple of years um, when they wanted to uh, charge me for mowing the yard because my grass was, t- the grass was too tall. And I sent them back. I said, well, you need to send this bill to the creator for allowing the grass to grow because it's, it's not my grass. I didn't plant it, didn't put it there, and uh, I'm not the one that made it grow. So you need to talk to the creator. You need to, uh, for them, I use the word God because that's, that's their, you know, this is a little township that's more corrupt than any other. It has more churches than any, than any and more square foot than I've seen in any other place in the world. So uh, I, I lost track. Where were we at there? Rick, man, we're, I, I'm, uh, I've been following. I'm just hung up on Russ's uh, 
UN Article 1, I'm sitting there, I mean, I'm subconsciously listening to what everybody's saying, and I'm just trying to... You can Google uh, stateless person, and it'll take you to the link, and it, you can, yeah, that's what I do. I, you, you, use, you pick and choose what you want, and, and what Colin is saying is it has to do with what capacity are you operating in, and what capacity is the state suing you in, and what is the state's capacity to do so? Um, I'm my what I'm trying to ponder, uh, uh, like you know, like chess play three moves ahead or whatever. How, uh, with the jurisdiction, the entity, the corporation, the administration, by using that Article One UN, uh, is going to keep me from being in their jurisdiction? Well, that's what I do. I use that for a specific purpose. See, they're going to try to drag in there by force. And what Mark Stevens said, I have to agree with that. What is, let's get to the definition of government. And we all, there's there's many, many definitions of government. And I like Mark Stevens' definition of government. He says, government is force and violence is what it is. Yeah. It's all there is force and violence. If they don't. If they think that you are not obeying their statutes, they're going to have someone with an armed uniform, I don't care whether a local, federal, or state, that's going to be taken into custody because you uh, breached one of their statutes. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, with uh, forced policies. What did George Washington warn us 200 years ago? He says, government is not law. It is not reason. It is force. It's a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And, and I tell people that all the time. They still can't comprehend what those words mean. It's force. It's not eloquent. It's not reason. It is force. And he's absolutely right. He said that 200 years ago. The dangerous servant and a fearful master. When you go in there, I put my affidavits before the court. I have not had one, not one, incident when I took an affidavit in the court, any type of an administrative hearing, Showed him an affidavit, and I got set free. He says, Mr. Thompson, you are you are free to go. Thank you very much. And I went home and picked some more cotton for the master. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I'm looking what up I, right what now. I told, what, I, what, what I told Colin the other day when we got on the line a couple of weeks ago, the judge is going to ask you questions that are going to make you make testimonial statements, and I, and I block him on that. He's going to ask you, a question such as, is this your current address? Are you working right now? Where do you live? Stuff like that. And I say, sir, I am unable to answer those questions because if I answer that question, will it be construed as given testimonial statements before trial and it stops them every damn time? In other words, I'm using my right to remain silent. Not incriminate yourself. Well, just I'm right because see, when I go into court, I do not use the Constitution I, I don't claim the Constitution as my defense. I use it against them. They're the ones that are called the Constitutors. They're the ones that that, made, that that took the oath to themselves. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Lysander Spooner? Mm-hmm. No, no, sir. No. You got to get online and photo, and you got to get online and read that. And you can actually, matter of fact, you can download. It's only what 18, 20 pages. The name of the article is called. Um, no treason, the Constitution of No Authority tells you exactly what is doing, what's going on. And, and I read another book that actually uh, supported that uh, I read a long time ago. The History of the Great American Fortunes, written by Gustavus Myers. And he talked about the same damn thing. The Constitution doesn't apply to nobody. It only applies to the people who took the oath. 
Yeah, they're bound by those laws. Thank you. It doesn't apply to me. Mark Stevens says, and I, and I would take it in the court, and we asked the judge, I'm going to plead guilty to every charge, and I'm going to play double the amount of the, what, the, what the statutory fine is if you can provide me evidence that the Constitution and the laws, statutes, regulations, codes, procedures, and ordinances apply simply because I'm located physically on the land. And we get them every time. But that ain't that what they can say is you are not a citizen, and therefore like that. I don't uh, argue that. I don't use the word citizen because a citizen means what? What does the word citizen mean? Uh, Colin and I have talked about that before. You cannot be a sovereign citizen because it's an oxymoron. How can you be claiming to be sovereign within yourself and be a citizen subject to something else? You can't. I agree with that. Yeah, that sovereign citizen. Yeah. Yes. Good, good call on that. Uh, a second ago, when you uh, what you what you said, um, and I just I just lost it now. What you just said, it was good call. You, 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 you what you said, I, I just managed that. I have it right here, Lysander Spooner. The Constitution has no inherent authority or obligation. It has no authority or obligation at all, unless as a contract between man and man, and it does not so much as even purport to be a contract between persons now existing. It purports at most to be only a contract between persons living 80 years ago. I guess that's when he wrote it was 80 years afterwards. And it can be support, uh, supposed to have been a contract then only between persons who had already come to years of age, years of discretion so as to be competent to make reasonable, reasonable and obligatory contracts. Furthermore, we know historically that only a small portion, even of the people then existing, were consulted on the subject or asked or permitted to express either their consent or dissent in any formal manner. Those persons, if any, who did give their consent formally are all dead now. Most of them have been dead 40, 50, 60, or 70 years, and the Constitution, so far as it was their contract, died with them. They had no natural power or right to make it obligatory upon their children. It is not only plainly impossible in the nature of things that they could bind their posterity, but they did not even attempt to bind them. That, that is to say, the instrument does not purport to be an agreement between anybody but the people, anybody but the people, then existing, nor does it uh, either expressly or impl impliedly assert any right power or disposition on their part to bind anybody but themselves. Let us see its language is. We, the people of the United States, in parentheses, that is, the people then existing in the United States, in parentheses, in order to form a more perfect union, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defenses, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain, do ordain, and establish this Constitution for the United States of America now. What I believe he's missing there is a key. Not, I, I'm not disagreeing with anything that he's written, but I believe what he's missing is the key. And the key is that it, that, that contract that they're talking about was by and between those people, but what did they do? They created, if you look at the unanimous declaration, uh, it was creation of a trust that put all forms of government under those principles that to secure these rights, governments are instituted. Um, so for me, I don't have a problem with the Constitution. Here's why. Go ahead and look in one place. You show me in the Constitution one place where it says that the people 
are regulated by it or in any way contained. There isn't any. There you go. So the Constitution doesn't regulate the people, never intended to regulate the people. So there's not a problem on my part. Just like I don't have a problem with Hewlett-Packard being a corporation and it's got its own rules and regulations or McDonald's that does international business. I'm not an employee of McDonald's, so they can't tell me that I have to wash my hands after taking McDonald's. See, you just mentioned something when you were reading that. It said said to form a more perfect union. Do you see what's wrong with that sentence? Well, they're talking about the union of the people in the states is what they're talking about. At the time, there were 13 states. The unanimous declaration of the 13 united lowercase, which says states of America that are united together in this principle and concept. And there's nothing wrong with that. Look, there's nothing wrong. Think of it as a church for a second. Okay, the Church of of the Constitutionalists, or the Church of the of the uh, of the uh, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. Okay, I always and that's what I will put, and that's what I think Carl is trying to tell us a little bit too. Is that he says, you know, I believe I don't think he does. He use the word I believe or I wish. He used the word I wish. <laughs> I use the word believe, and the reason believe is because no corporate entity can believe. It can't enter into a contract. It can't believe anything. It can't give consideration. All of those things that we as man can do, they can't. Hale versus Hinkle. I love it so much because it's so descriptive. His power to contract is unlimited. He owes no duty to the state since he receives nothing therefrom, which means what? No contract except the protections of his life and property. What is that telling you? There's no specific contract that requires you to do anything in order for the state to be required to protect your life and property, no matter who you are, whether you're a more or a smore or whatever the hell you want to be. Why? Because it is an entity that was created with certain parameters, it, just like if you do a business. When you file for a business, the first thing you're going to have to do is lay it out. What is your business that you wish to do under the state? And you can only do, what is it saying? Here? You can only do that which he's licensed to do by the state and that's in his corporate charter, which means he's limited, limited, limited. Our power is unlimited. So how is the thing that we created to help us, what does it say again in Hale? All corporations are creations of the state and all create are creatures of the state, my, my bad, and all creations of the state are presumed. Now, the word presumed does not mean like we go, well, you're presuming that I'm a citizen. no. Presumed here means that you have a, listen to the phrase, reasonable right to rely upon, okay? It's presumed to be for the benefit of the public. That means all y'all, everybody. So how is it possible that you can have any kind of thing that is created by, through, or whatever the state, which is a created entity, that does not benefit the people? You can't have it. That's what it's saying. Guess what? Let's go to the Constitution, which is a wonderful document. It holds and it binds them. The judges, both of the Supreme and the inferior courts, shall hold their office during what? Good behavior. Anything less than good behavior, including if you don't know what the Constitution says, which you're, you, the office that you hold, notice what I'm going to do is separate again. The office that he presumes to hold is bound to. Therefore, the moment that he presumes to hold the office, he is bound to that office, isn't he? And the the just powers that he has 
are only because he consents to being regulated, ruled, and abide by all of those things. The contract that he's under, which the first thing he's required to do when he joins this association is what? Swear to support the Constitution. There you go. That's it. It makes perfect sense. Lysander Spooner is not saying anything wrong. But try going into a court and saying, oh, the Constitution ain't got nothing to do with me. Yeah, okay, great. That's wonderful. And that's, See, and that's the key. That's, that's, that's the key, I believe, also, is the word consent that you said there, is that uh, with the citizens, okay, the citizenship, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're, Oh man, I'm trying to break this here to where it's the the wide the fork in the road is like that citizen. As soon as you accept the citizen, therefore you have to go by the so-called privileges or go by the because we we can agree that citizen. Okay, well I, I know where you're going is I I think anyone knows where you, I know where you're going is, but let me let me debunk you here for a second. Okay. Show me in the Constitution where citizens are regulated. They're not? No. I keep trying to say that people won't read it. Look at the 14th. It's so clear. Okay? It, now, the, con- the, the Constitution allegedly grants Congress, a group of body of, of, of people that become persons, it grants them certain powers to do certain things, but those powers, once again, let's go back to the Unanimous Declaration of Independence. I mean, the, excuse me, the Unanimous Declaration of 13 United uh, States of America, which is what? It says, and... Uh, establish, whenever any form of government becomes destructive, these ends, it's the right of people to alter, abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. Again, what is it saying? And, and, and let's go to foundational principles again. Everything goes back to contract law. You cannot have a lawful contract, not just legal, it cannot be lawful contract if it can or even purports or has the possibility of harming another, can you? No. No. It's a contract, a compact, a treaty. You cannot have a contract. My definition, uh, which I've passed by a lot of people, has all the elements. A A contract is a lawful agreement between two or more people that is, excuse me, a mutually... a Lawful, mutually beneficial uh, uh, agreement between two or more people. It has to be mutually beneficial. Otherwise, you defeat it. That's why a unilateral contract is not enforceable. You can't make a contract that harms anyone. Well, you're anyone. You're someone. You're not a no one. So when it says it hurts, that it harms no one, since you're not, you know, who's no one? No, you cannot harm anyone. You're you're anyone, you're someone, so you're anyone, any one of the people. It's presumed to be for the benefit of the people. So there you go. It says clearly that the only reason that government is created and exists, this is the religion here, this is the belief, this is the foundation, this is the rule, this is the rule of law for that entity. This is the trust. It cannot, first of all, harm, and in fact, it must do good and it specifies what it's supposed to do, that to secure these rights. So where is the law, folks? Where is the law found in every state? Where is the, where is the true law found in Illinois?
I was going to say the Illinois uh, Constitution. Okay, I, I, that's a good question. That's a good answer. But I'm going to get more specific. Okay, the question is, where is the real law found? I'm going to give you a little hint here. In North Carolina, the statutes are called NCGS, North Carolina General Statutes. What do you mean by that? What, can you tell me what that means, North Carolina General Statutes? What does that mean? I don't Well, it means, it, it, it means it's just statutes that are generally provided with general interpretation. Where the real law is in North Carolina, like any other state like Illinois, the real law is found in NCGSA. That's where the real law is. Illinois, what do, you, what do they call the statutes? In Ohio, they call it the ORC, Ohio Revised Code. Now, what do, what do they call the, 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 the laws in Illinois? They call it Illinois Statute, Illinois Revised Statute. What do they, what do they call it over there? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's let's go back to let's go back to the, the North Carolina the NCGS, which is the North Carolina General Statute. Is that the law? If, if they're going by, you go into court, they're going to say you are guilty under N the North Carolina General Statute. Why is that a lie? And, and and Colin knows where I'm going with this. Why is that they cannot prosecute you under the general statutes? The statute's not a law because it's not been enacted. Well, uh, that's correct, but I'm getting a little more. I'm getting a little more uh, closer to the answer here. I'm going to. That is in the first two letters, isn't it? Well, the real law is found in this. What is called the NCGSA. Would anybody know what that A stands for? Nope. Annotated. Thank you. Where's the annotated at? Do you know what the annotated means? It's on the base. The annotated version of the, what the real law is is on the footnote of the, every page because it, it outlines two things. And you're going to nail every prosecuting attorney and the judge with this. We're looking specifically at two different things. Statutory construction and the legislative intent. You get them every time, folks. We did that in Ohio. Beat the shit out of them with that. Shoot me, Jeff. Let me get this straight. I'm going to more depth because I've said this many times, and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that intent is ten-tenths of the law. And that's why well, whenever I, I, I kind of take an issue with that. Well, the, it, it's, it's much more specific. When I looked at it, the guy who actually turned me on to that was eight years ago when I went to um, Richard Cornforth's seminar. I got all his books, got all his tapes, and he was actually right on point because his daughter just got out of law school. She didn't even know anything about um, subject matter jurisdiction. They didn't teach her that in law school under Trinity versus Pagliaro. Didn't know anything about that. And I said, Richard, show me. Where is the real law? He said, where it is right there. It's, it's the annotated version. It's called a footnote of an every page. It tells you specifically the legislative intent, who they're talking about, and statutory construction, the way it's constructed. And, and like Collins said, they are misinterpreting the real law. What they're coming after you in Illinois, they're coming after you under the general statute. That's what it is. It's the general statute. just what it is. It's general. It's not specific. Statutes and rules, yes. Yes. See, people tell you all the time, I ask anybody in any state, where, where, where's, the, where's the law in your state? And the lawyer's going to be the first one to tell you, well, that's the act of legislation. That is not the law, folks. It's nothing but an act of legislation. Where is the where is the enabling act in each statute? If it doesn't have an enabling act, it's not law. Tell me if I'm wrong. It yes. has to have... Here I found it under law. It's called G. 
uh, general statutes of North Carolina annotated? Is that the one? Well, it actually should be North Carolina general statutes annotated. Well, if it's annotated, then that's where the real law is. And annotated means what? Uh, annotated which means, I forgot what it means. It means that it's been, uh, it, okay, the annotated means that it shows the statutory construction and the legislative intent. That's exactly where the law is. And it also has case law that goes with it usually. Thank you. Thank you. You get a free apple pie. Thank you. An apple pie and a spanking. That's what you get. You get that for free. <laughs> Somebody else wants a piece of apple pie. Apple pie. I was talking to an attorney. I was talking to the attorney in um, Monroe, North Carolina, two years ago, and I, I I talked to him. I said, "Excuse me, sir. Correct me if I'm wrong. Every statute that comes out of North Carolina general out of the General Assembly in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, with all members of this of the Senate or whatever it is, House." Um, uh, we call that uh, in session. It has to have an enabling clause. Is that correct? He says yes. It has to have an enabling act or clause. If it is not, it, it if it's what, what what Ralph Winterroad said. It's not substantive law. It cannot be enforced or regulated, folks. Very simple. Yeah. That's why when you look at Title Twenty Six. Under the IRS, most of the crap they throw at you doesn't apply to you. Excuse me, sir. Could you tell me where that's found in the Code of Regulations under the, what do you call it, behind the, what, I forgot what, what Winter Road told me. I got his information there, but it said behind the, uh, some kind of a statutory or whatever, it's congressional uh, books or records or something like that. If it's not found there, it's not substantive law. It cannot be enforced. Most of these statutes in states cannot be enforced. They're not law. Let's take the let's take the, the thing today, the um, CFR Code of Federal Regulations, which she which this girl's being charged under. The first thing you see, and I just got I just found out about this, so you know it was like wait till the last. I actually only learned about it last yesterday. Uh, it was the first time I actually saw the documents last night about seven o'clock, and I worked through the night trying to read some case law on it um, to get an idea about it. Um, but what, the first thing that I would need to do is to go look up the, uh, uh, the CFR and find out what the authority of it is and where it came from, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you can look under the USCS. No, you can look under the USCSA, the United States Code Statutory. I, mean, I think it's called the USCA, the United States Code Annotated, and that's what the law is because – what Rob Winterwell was telling me said is it's, it's called the behind the table of contents of the CFR. If it's not there, if it cannot be cited, you're not guilty of any crime at all. It's not substantive law. I'm looking it up right now. If anyone has a computer, it's really quick to just type stuff in. You, you know, no U.S. CA Master Series of Leaders, no. You're right, right, Colin, when you look at this, when you look at this statute, it has to clearly define the entity that the statute applies to, because Mm -hmm. statutes only apply to what entity, folks? What do statutes apply to? Something created by the state. Well, thank you. They're called juristic persons, which you're not, folks. I'm sorry. Let's get some more pie and get some spankings going on here. Well, I'm going to look up juristic person here just to type it in. Yeah. 
Now, what I'm doing right here, what I'm doing on this on this show, is showing people exactly what you can do. You have a little computer. I got to happen to have a laptop with a keyboard. I just typed in juristic person, uh, and it gives me suggestions, meaning examples, meaning in Hindi, uh, juristic person, uh, Thailand, juristic person office. So I'm just going to leave it, bang it in there. It comes up. I think I'm. this is Google. I believe it is. I'm not sure which one I'm using here. Definition, juristic person, a body of persons, a corporation, a partnership, or other Thank legal you. entity Thank that you. recognized by law as the subject of rights and duties, called also artificial person, conventional. Ooh, that's interesting. Conventional person or fictitious person. Thank you. That's a juristic person, legal personality. How many times have you heard me say that? Persona, personality, a juristic or artificial person, Latin coming from persona ficta. Also, Thank you. juristic person has a legal name, a legal name, and has certain rights, protections, privileges, responsibilities, and liabilities in law similar to those of a natural person. The concept of juristic person is a fundamental legal fiction. Thank you. And those entities also have three other things called duties, liabilities, and obligations that they impose on you folks. And how do they get that? Here's how they get you under that citizenship. You know, this gentleman was talking about citizenship. How do they obtain citizenship from us to, to bring us into, uh, what do you call that, uh, in order to become enfranchised with the state? How do they do that? It's coming well, up this Tuesday, folks. I, Thank you. I, I it's coming apologize. up Tuesday. It's coming up Tuesday. Yeah, as I say, by your voting or by your social security. Thank you. It, it, it's a dead giveaway. Every time you look at their documents, you are agreeing. And when you check that box at U.S. says, aren't you enfranchising yourself to, for a corporation or some kind of a franchise and privileges? Yeah. That's why I tell people, you got to be careful what you sign, and you got to be careful what you say. I tell the police officer, I'm not. I, I, I'm sorry, sir. I cannot continue this conversation. Anytime you ask me any more questions, I'm going to. I know I, I will not answer questions until my attorney is present. Well, what's your attorney's name? My attorney's name is Harvey Buttcrack. <laughs> what's his address? Well, it's one two six Bullshit Boulevard. You're coming out of Sheepshit, Idaho. There it is. Well, actually, yeah, that's what this girl got charged under was uh, was it falsifying information and interfering with an investigation because she gave them a he asked her for her name she gave him a, a a different name. Was that was that was that falsification? Well, he gave her and and he couldn't find the name onto the computer and, and then so what? Her. Yep. Anybody harmed? Was anybody harmed? Well, I agree with you. Uh, I don't think it's any of your damn business. I don't know. First yeah, thing I right. do is I say, who are you? That's the first thing I say, well, who are you? You know? That's right. Did Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall because he had diabetes? You figured, you figured that one out. Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall what? Because he had diabetes? Yeah. I mean, well, that's just something simple as that. Did he fall off the wall because he has diabetes? Because I know he was fat, but did he have diabetes? That's why he fell off the wall. You tell me. Well, I want to know how the hell he got up there in the first place. Yeah, me too. Just like that judge. I want to know how the hell that son of a bitch got up on the throne. And he's not yeah. standing at the same level we are. That clearly tells you that there's something wrong with it, just the staging, you know? 
I'm going to read something. I just, I just, got, I have no idea what it says, and it may be right, maybe wrong. We can have a discussion on it. I just looked up uh, one. This is obviously not law stuff, but it is. Let me see. It's called the the Republic USA-TheRepublic.com review. True history of American citizen or U.S. citizen. So I couldn't find. I put in uh, U.S. citizen versus man. Nothing came up. And here it actually says author unknown, but who knows. There appears to be a general misunderstanding by people in general as to the difference between a natural person and an artificial person. This document will explain the difference. John Joseph Smith is a natural flesh and blood person created by God. All uppercase, John Joseph Smith is a U.S. corporate artificial person, U.S. citizen created by the government. In basic English grammar, a name spelled in upper and lowercase, such as John Joseph Smith, upper and lowercase, is in indica- in indicative of a flesh and blood man or a natural person. Person, in general usage, a human being, i.e. natural person, though by statute term, may include labor organization, partnership association, corporation, legal representative, trustee, trustees, in bankruptcy, or receivers. Black's Law Dictionary. Now, remember, that's just somebody else's definition. Not every, nothing is in stone. This is all people's opinions. Uh, on the other hand, a name spelled in all uppercase, John Joseph Smith, all uppercase, is indicative of an artificial person. Artificial persons. Persons created and devised by human law for the purposes of society and government, as distinguished from natural persons. Corporations are examples of artificial persons, and that's Black Six again. U.S., here we go, U.S. versus Antony, A-N-T-O-N-Y, 24, Fed 8, 29, 1873, quote, the term resident and citizen of the United States is distinguished from a citizen of one of the several states in that the former is a special class of citizen created by Congress. Isn't that interesting? The United States is defined in Title 28 U.S.C. Section 30015A as a federal corporation. So when people hear me go, the United States is a corporation. There you have it. It's a federal corporation. It is also a municipal corporation. Municipal. In, in, in narrower, more common sense, it means pertaining to a local government unit, commonly a city, a town, or other government unit. In its broader sense, it means pertaining to the public or governmental affairs of a state or nation or of a people. Now, that's again blacks, and you notice they left out critical stuff. <clears throat> the thing about the legal stuff is they always tell you the truth, <clears throat> but they tend to leave stuff out. Like I said, today they were leaving out motor in front of, and not saying motor vehicle, and they were using interchangeably driver. <clears throat> but they did use the word driver, or they used the word, um, they're supposed to, in, in a statute, you always see motor vehicle or driver, which has already been defined. So the federal corporation in the United States that pertains to the public affairs of the people would be a municipal corporation. The federal government pertains to the affairs of its sovereign people. Municipal corporation, a body, corporate consisting of the inhabitants of a designated area created by the legislature with or without consent of such inhabitants for governmental purposes, dot, dot, dot. A municipal corporation has a dual character, the one public and the other private, and, and exercises corresponding twofold functions and duties. One class consisting of those acts performed by it in the exercise of delegated sovereign power for benefit of people generally, 
as arm of the state, enforcing general laws made in pursuance of general policy of the state, and the other consisting of acts done in exercise of power of the municipal corporation for its own benefit or for the benefit of its citizens alone or citizens of the municipal corporation and its immediate locality. Again, that's blacks. So blacks is leaning towards trying to get you to believe stuff. They don't come right out, but they're leading you towards it. A municipal corporation is an artificial person, as shown above, and consists of the general inhabitants called citizens. And these artificial persons, citizens, were created by the legislature, not by God. A corporation can be a citizen itself, and that corporation can have its own citizens. A corporation also has its own officers. When a corporation is dissolved, then the officers of that corporation no longer exist. A government has its own citizens and employees. When that government is dissolved, then those citizens also cease to exist, since both officers and citizens of the corporation are both artificial persons. Now, did that clarify or make it more muddy? Still more to go if you want to listen to some more. Should I read on? No thumbs down, so we consider that thumbs up. Silence is consent. Corporate citizen, corporate status in the state of incorporation, blacks, sixth edition again. A municipal corporation in its broader sense, such as the United States, consists of the inhabitants, U.S. citizens, they have in parentheses, of a designated area, federal United States. And a corporation can, through its legislative branch, create artificial persons who are termed citizens of the municipal corporation. Can an artificial person create a flesh and blood natural man? No. Can no. a creator create a being superior to itself? No. Or can an artificial person only create or make another artificial person? And there you have it. I claim that when the municipal corporation United States created a citizen through legislative act, that that citizen is then a corporate U.S. US citizen. A corporate U.S. citizen. That corporate citizen's name is spelled in all capital letters to indicate that it is an artificial person, as distinguished from a natural person whose name is spelled in upper and lower case letters. That's why I use the term people instead of person. So it's, it's, not, it's not easily confused. That corporate citizen is subject to its creator, the United States government, and is subject to its exclusive jurisdiction. So there it is, Constitution of the United States of America, 14th, Section 1, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So there's your second requirement. Are citizens of the United States and other states wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall any state deprive any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. A citizen of the United States is a corporate citizen with corporate status, created by the corporation called the United States, and is acting as their agent for the purpose of collecting revenue. This citizen has only privileges and immunities under the 14th. A natural person has, un, in, in a, see, he even mis, miswrote it. He has inalienable, but it's actually unalienable rights secured by the Constitution. A person with corporate status would have corporate income. 
Um, a little bit more to go here. Collective entry rule. Braswell, B-R-A-S-S-W-E-L-L, versus United States, 487 U.S. 99, 1988. This doctrine, known as the collective entity rule, has a lengthy and distinguished pedigree. What is the collective entity? A collective entity is simply a corporate entity. Since the status of U.S. citizen can be created by naturalization, let's see what naturalization is and determine if a U.S. citizen is part of a collective entity. Naturalization, the process by which a person acquires nationality after birth and becomes entitled to the privileges of U.S. citizens. In the United States, collective naturalization occurs when disintegrated groups are made. No, designated, sorry. Occurs when designated groups are made citizens by treaty. There's the word you were looking for as Louisiana Purchase, or by the law of Congress as an annexation of Texas and Hawaii. Person, scope of delineation of term necessary for determining to whom 14th Amendment of Constitution affords protection since this amendment expressly applies to person. Let's review the definition of artificial person. Artificial person, persons created and devised by human law for the purpose of society and government, as distinguished from natural persons. Corporations are examples of artificial persons. That's again six. The 14th Amendment applies to persons and persons in legal uh, parlance means all artificial persons in distinction from a natural person. Collective naturalization occurs when a distinct designated group inhabitants are made created citizens by a law of Congress. These artificial persons were created and devised by human laws, 14th Amendment U.S. citizen, for the revenue purposes of society and government, and have their names spelled in all capital letters. It's actually all uppercase, by the way. These designated groups are made or created corporate citizen employees and are distinguished from natural persons. A natural person, with his name spelled in upper and lower case letters, has in, well, it's actually unalienable rights and is not a corporate U.S. citizen. An artificial person and corporate citizen of the United States has his name spelled in all uppercase letters. A natural person cannot be an artificial person at the same time. The theme of the collective entity rule states, Braswell versus U.S., but individuals, when acting as representatives of a collective group, cannot be said to be exercising their personal rights and duties, nor be entitled to their purely personal privileges. Rather, they assume the rights, duties, and privileges of the artificial entity or association of which they are agents or officers, and they are bound by its obligations. Under the collection, that was a quote, by the way, from that case. Almost done here. One more, two paragraphs here. Under the collective entity rule, if John Joseph Smith, upper and lowercase, contracted to be a representative or agent of the corporate citizen, all uppercase John Joseph Smith, then he would not be able to exercise his inalienable rights, unalienable rights, which are his personal rights. Joseph Smith, Joseph, uh, John Joseph Smith, upper and lowercase, in parentheses, American citizen, is contracting to be the agent John Joseph, all uppercase, U.S. citizen, thereby waiving his inalienable rights. 
Now, I disagree with some of that. I'm going to finish here, but I want a quick note. I disagree. I do not believe that you can waive any rights, period. That's my opinion. After the birth of John Joseph Smith, a new artificial person was created, John Joseph Smith, uppercase, by the 14th Amendment under the collective entity rule. And we naturalized. Yeah. Hold on. Let me finish reading. Um, Last paragraph. After the birth of John Joseph Smith, a new artificial person was created, all uppercase John Joseph Smith, by the 14th Amendment under the collective entity rule and was naturalized as a corporate citizen of the United States. This did not destroy the natural person, but simply created a second, separate legal entity, a legal fiction, artificial person. This legal fiction was created as an agent, U.S. citizen, of the corporate U.S. government to engage in commerce and collect revenue for the government, federal, state, and local. You contracted to represent this artificial person thereby waiving your unalienable rights. A sovereign flesh and blood person is an American citizen. A corporate U.S. citizen is an artificial person and is a governmental agent or employee. Which one are you? Now, uh, we've had this discussion ad nauseum. Again, I have my own particulars um, on on this. Um, But when you look at it, you can actually see where a person is defined specifically in every statute, and it only applies to persons, okay? Now, it doesn't say natural persons, and you can find some places where it does say natural person. So that seems to clear that up. I prefer to use the term people instead of natural person, but that's what they're using here is natural person. Um, But again, I don't believe you can waive any rights. As he said, it doesn't destroy the natural man, but what it does, it puts you in that little box. Well, actually, what it does, it doesn't put you because you're still the natural man, but what it actually does is makes you the surety or the agent for or the authorized signer for the all uppercase name. That's why I recommend my solution, this is just mine, is every time that I need to sign anything, the first thing I do is I put B, Y, colon, so I'm making it clear that I am not the surety. I am signing as the authorized agent of that entity. And that's how I personally handle it. Go ahead, anybody who has something to contribute. Uh, once again, I will mute you out if you're going to be disruptive. As you can see, the board has been shut down because people are being disruptive. So go ahead, who has a, uh, who has a comment on this? It says there's a Carl Lentz on here, and it's spelled correctly. Uh, you're not... You are unmuted, so if you wish to say something, by all means, go ahead. Hey, Colin, uh, this all that information you read about the citizen, can you uh, send me a copy of that? I'd like to read that some more on my free time. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's pretty well. It's pretty well laid out, and you know we've gone around. That's why I always ask, there's, there's, I did six questions. And the first question I asked them is, where is the evidence that the all uppercase John Joseph Smith exists in law? Guess what? They can't show it. You know why? Because in order for it to exist in law, what must exist? I can stand in front of the mirror, I can stand in front of you, and you can see me. Correct? How does the all uppercase John Joseph Smith exist? And where does he exist? Or where does it exist? There's no... 
you're red there. It does exist. Sure, it exists, but where does it exist? What is it? Only on paper in the corporation. Bingo. So there must be a record, a written piece of paper. There must be some application, right? Because everything has to have a beginning. And as he said in the annotated codes, annotated statutes, sorry, the annotated statutes will always say at the beginning what the purpose of this creation was for. The purpose is there for a reason. Again, all contracts that I ever did, I always put what the purpose and intent of the contract was. That's the intention clause. What was the intent? Why? Why did they bring this about? Why did they create it? What was the necessity? That tells you what the purpose of it is for. So once you understand that you have to have it in writing, it has to be an application, the first thing I say, I go to the Secretary of State's office and I I give them the all uppercase John Joseph Smith, and I say, do you find it in your records anywhere? And guess what? They don't have it in their records. It's not in writing. And it but has I, to be there. I believe it was created, though, Colin, uh, just for the fact to make it difficult to get out of the jurisdiction. There are many people. Now, I do, I've heard that there are birth certificates now that are in the all uppercase name. I happen to have one that was an upper and lower case, but that birth certificate would not be a certificate of live birth of, of the man, which is an announcement to the world, but is in fact the creation. The birth, it is literally the birth of a corporate entity. But here's the question I have. Where's its corporate charter? Where's its purpose? Where's its reason? Where's its uh, um, yeah, purpose and, and reason? It's not. It doesn't state there. It's only making a statement that this thing came into existence, whatever it is. So it's not even a technically a, a complete legal entity either. It's missing. Because once again, if I have a corporation and it's John Joseph Smith, it, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go and look up, and this is what I did with KOD Enterprises in my case in Oklahoma. Went and Actually, I didn't. Somebody else did, thank God, and looked it up and said, hey, looky there, their corporate charter has been suspended for failure to pay taxes, the charter taxes. You have to pay taxes. Now, let me answer your question. I'm going to use... Uh, 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 Russ's things. I'm going to ask you folks, okay? Show me where the um, 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 where you have made payments every every year for the existence of that entity. Because if you're a corporation or any kind of business entity, you're required to be registered with the state. And you're going to be paying some sort of fran- uh, some kind of franchise tax. It's not real large as I found out, but it's still sufficient enough that you have to pay a tax for that corporate entity to exist. So if, you, if, you're, if you're not paying it, then you're going to be suspended. And that's how my whole case in Oklahoma was all about. When the one thing I was able to stand on, not all the other stuff which had meaning to me, but what really what mattered to them. And that's why I'm trying to say there's a difference between the truth and there's a difference between reality. And the reality is, is that we're so far away from the truth that we have to deal with reality. So even though you can, these things are reality, they will ignore it. They won't listen to it. They won't hear it. And because you're in a, in a franchise court, basically is what you're in. But you know as well as I do, they got guys that would go out with guns and beat you up and drag you in. 
They'll send a warrant out. That's why you're under threat and duress. But is it you? No, technically it's the fiction. And the lady today said the same thing. Well, you gave up jurisdiction by showing up. When you stepped into the courthouse, you gave jurisdiction to them. Well, how can, and then I said, no, how can we, how can we, uh, how can we uh, under, not under threat and duress when we say that you will be arrested, that there will be a warrant out? Well, they're not going to go arrest a piece of paper. And I've seen and heard of people going in there and saying, here's the defendant. I'm here to present you, to turn over the defendant to make sure because, and oh, and I went to this the other day, that what it comes down to when you sign that thing, a uh, receipt of the ticket, which uh, the summons to court, what you're doing is you became essentially the bail bondsman, right? And that instrument, which going back to my thing of the uh, 18 U.S.C. Uh, 471 uh, creating a uh, 474 creating a counterfeit instrument or security instruments. Why? Because what you did when you signed that ticket is you are swearing that you will assure that the defendant, which is the all uppercase entity, will show up in court on that day. You so contracted in, huh? You contracted in. You con- there you go. You contracted in to, to be the responsible party. And then when you show up and they call the name and you answer, like today, I've watched the whole process. And the guy says, do you understand these charges? I had my, the, the, lady that I, the young lady I had said, no, I do not understand. I do not have sufficient knowledge to answer your question. I do not have sufficient knowledge of the terms used in order to understand it. And the judge, of course, played it off. Like, well, I don't know. I've explained it. Any questions that you have, I'm willing to answer. So well, I, I don't know what, why you can't understand it. And then, you know, she wasn't fully prepared, so she said, well, I, I can't answer. I, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, use my right to remain silent. So the judge said, well, you don't understand it, but you're, you can't tell me because you're going to. He was making fun of her because she, he knew that she didn't fully understand what it was that she was trying to say. And it was a real simple thing. I don't, I don't live in your world, but she, I'm, you know, it's, this is again going back to to what Carl's talking about is man, I man, I woman, I man. You're of man. You're not of this thing here. You're not the surety. Again, there came question number two. Question number one is, show me the record and the evidence that this fictional entity exists. The all uppercase entity exists. Because it must exist on paper. And this case law says if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So that's the first thing they can't get over. Number two is, show me that it's in good standing. What? All business entities have to be in good standing. All legal entities have to be in good standing. They're not in good standing. Guess what? Because the state cannot authorize something that is doing something unlawful or is not in good standing. It goes back to... Uh, uh, the Article 3, Section 1, I believe it is, the, the judges of both the Supreme and the Inferior Courts shall hold their office during good behavior. There you have it again. So it's all, you, can't, you have to have be in good standing. They can't show that it's in good standing. They can't show the certificate. Where is the certificate? The certificate of existence. They can't show it. Go to, the, go to like I said, the Secretary of State's office and I get a letter of non-existence which means that they don't have any record of it existing. Well, if, it, if the state doesn't have any existence of it existing, why is the state using it something that doesn't exist? That's falsification of official documents. Hello. And now you start focusing on what they're doing, it gets it away from you, and you go after them for what they're doing, which is falsification of official documents. Then the second question is, well, who has, where's the evidence that I am officer or agent of that entity? Is surety 
uh, uh, either the shirt, no, the um, the uh, excuse me, the the fiduciary or other officer uh, obligated or ba- or bound to that fictional entity. Where's the contract? And that's a double-edged sword there, which I've been using in these foreclosures. Okay, you say you're representing U.S. Bank. Show me the contract. I don't believe you. Couldn't the contract be uh, fulfilled with that simple thing as a driver's license and signing your name on there? I don't believe so, no. That's my opinion. I don't believe so. It can't be a contract. It's impossible to be a contract. Because you don't know the other side of the contract, for one. Well, well, is it, well let's, let's take a look at what type of contract is it. Kind of contract I think the defense for that could be uh, uh, it wasn't given full disclosure. And what else? It never flies. What What's the simplest thing you can say? Well, if it's a contract, where's the other party's signature? A contract well, is by and between, by and between, by and between. Well, where's the other? Be- where's the by and where's the between? Well, there's a signature of a state official at the top left-hand corner. That's not a signature. That's, that's a... Um... Uh, what do you call that? A uh, electronic signature? Uh, what, how, what, what is, how, how does that work, folks? Well, actually, in law, you can do an electronic signature uh, if they have authorized to do that. But that's at the top, not the bottom. If it was at the bottom, then they're signing on to it. The same thing when you have all of these mortgages. Where's the signature of the lender? By and between the lender. It's an incomplete contract because there's no signature, which means it's unenforceable. It's a unilateral contract. The unilateral contract is, is, is basically unenforceable. You can give a gift. You can sign it over. That's why they tried to turn it into a negotiable instrument. That's the first thing they do. Is they, they use it. They convert it into a negotiable instrument. It's not a negotiable instrument. It can't possibly be a negotiable instrument because why? It's not payable on demand. And they can get by with it by what uh, Russ was saying earlier, that a lot of people don't use that simple word, objection. There you go. Well, one thing we're missing here, when you look at the elements of a contract, um, Colin said it possibly would be a unilateral contract, which means only one one part of it is. But there's also a terminology comes into play. It's called party superior to contract, and that, that's, that can't be enforceable. It's a party superior to contract. It was not... No notice about if you look at this at the clauses inside of a um a mortgage contract or a, what is called a deed of trust uh what do you call that it's called a cognovit note take a look at that folks and take a uh, google that and find find out what is called a cognovit note and what that is is that there are clauses throughout the, all the pages of the contract that that the bank took away from you because there's an old saying in in sales. What the big print giveth you, the fine print taketh away. Now, another thing we'll be looking here is that when you look at that, you got the lack of full disclosure, you got cognitive notes, uh, you got a part superior to conduct, but what we're missing here is called lawful consideration. Look at the word consideration. What does that mean in law? Go into the Black Soul Dictionary and look at the word consideration. What was exchanged uh, in order to get, what did the banks give this person in order to secure a mortgage? He's going to this this party on the other end of the line is going to is going to pay back Federal Reserve notes and plus interest, and that's part of lawful consideration. Where did the funds come from, folks? Oh, I'm holding it to these questions. So you, you know, go ahead. Anybody else who wants to try? Because I, I this is this is my forte. Now we're talking my stuff here. 
Here it says consideration, and I disagree with this, consideration payment or money, a vital element in the law of contracts. Consideration is a benefit which must be bargained, bargained, bargained for between the parties. That's uh, dictionary law. Law dictionary. Well, my eyes are going down again. Let me get my glasses. Are matters of a contract held in equity courts? Say again? I said, aren't the matters of valid and verifiable contracts held in equity courts, not foreclosure courts or well, traffic courts? Well, foreclosure courts are equity courts. They're supposed to be. No. Okay. So you're, you're the... You wrote the Constitution. You wrote the judicial system. Mary Colin. This, this is Terry Lynn. Can you, um, what that means, I mean, the foreclosures are all in special procedures. And what was discovered is that pre- special procedures are equity court. Thank you. Appreciate that. And once again, you heard, just, just for anyone who doesn't know, he asked a, a pertinent question which was fine, but then he made a comment which was derogatory, so he has now been muted out and lost his privilege, because here it is a privilege, and I am running the show here, and I've already stated that we don't do that here anymore. We don't allow that, because that's what we can do. Uh, Consideration, legal definition, consideration, something of value given by both parties to a contract that induces them to enter into the agreement to exchange mutual performances. Bam! I like that one. It's beautiful. So, again, it's like Russ was saying, what's missing here? Consideration. I look at it, the word considering because it says for $10 and other good and valuable consideration. I look at it slightly different. I look at it more from a spiritual side, which is where was, can you, can, can, can a piece of paper consider something? No, it can't. And we just got through discussing and saying that these fictional entities exist only on paper. They don't have brain cells. They can't sit there and consider something. And, and that's another thing about land. There must be consideration because the one who is the uh, secured party, is not secured party, I'm sorry, strike that. The, the one that is the uh, entitled holder, the one who is the, um, has, has the right title and interest in the property, is the one that can give the consideration. He is granting. That's why they call him the grantor. You are basically essentially acting as God. Our creator gave it to us and then uh, gave it to us and then we, for our exclusive use while we're here, and then we can transfer that exclusive use to somebody else. Transfer. Because why is the difference between transfer and assign? Transfer because you transfer not only benefits, right title interest, but also obligations and responsibilities to take care of it. What does it say again? We're supposed to be the caretakers of this earth. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why, you know, I jump all over people and go, you can't be an American. You have to be an American. Because that goes again. You have obligations and responsibilities in all parts of your life. You can't have a child and then abandon it. You can't create a, a government and then allow it to become corrupted. Okay, it's the same thing. And you can't allow others to be harmed by something either. We have those types of of, of basic uh, obligations to one another. You can't harm or allow somebody to be harmed. It just doesn't make sense. So here we have consideration. Where is the consideration? There was no consideration. There was no exchange 
from the alleged lender. The alleged lender never gave anything of substance or value. And that's how I was able to box this attorney in today uh, because she didn't get it. She said, well, they had the house. They gave the house. I said, no, they didn't. They never owned the house, did they? So, oh, I said, go to your deed of trust. It says right there, you are lawfully seized of the property and authorized to put it into the trust. If you're not lawfully seized of the property ahead of time, because, and then, and then I explained to her, and I said, look, when did you lawfully own the property? You lawfully own the property when you signed the contract with the seller. The contract is between you and the seller. The seller has now given you title to the property. And you have obligated, in exchange for your obligation, which is, which is consideration, your obligation, and here we get into the hairy stuff, your obligation to make payment. You then went to what you believed was a lender in order to do what? Fulfill the obligation to make payment to the one that gave you consideration, namely the property. So the bank never owned it, never had it, never had interest in it, never does. Even when you gave them the deed of trust, you didn't give them the property. The property was put into a trust with a trustee, just like a will. You didn't give the, the, the Maserati or the Lamborghini to your great-grandchild who hasn't been born yet, did you? What you did was you put it in a trust, and you have told this man, the trustee, to do certain things with that Lamborghini at a specific period of time when these conditions exist. Those conditions, if you go look at the deed of trust, never can exist. Because if you go look at the deed of trust, it's very, very clear. It does not secure the note. It says that it secures the debt evidenced by the note. So there must be a debt and they must have the note, and the note must evidence a debt. And it doesn't. None of those things are there. So that's why it's not. It, there is no consideration, and there never was any consideration. This is so huge. Again, how can I enter into a contract with the state for a driver's license? Where is the state's consideration? So I'm getting back to your question. I'm coming full circle to your question there, Rick. Where is the consideration of the state? What does Hale versus Hinkle say? He owes no duty to the state since he receives nothing therefrom but the protections of his life and property. What are they saying? If you, were to, if you were required to give the state some consideration in exchange for the protections of your life and property, then that would be a contract and you would be obligated. But what does it say? He owes no duty to the state since you receive nothing else except for that which the state was created to do, which is to secure your, uh, your, 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 your life and your property. And your property, by the way, is your rights. Your rights is property. It's something, it's something that you have exclusive use and right to. So your rights are there as property. You can call them property. So it becomes very clear when you start understanding that how is it possible, this contract that you're talking about, where is the consideration? There's no consideration. If I create a piece of paper, how am I going to contract with a piece of paper? doesn't make any sense. And again, Helper Zinkle, his power, which means the man, his power to contract is unlimited, whereas the power of, uh, there actually doesn't say any power, his right, but not his, 
the right of the entity known as a corporation is limited to what it's been delegated to have. Is this making sense, Rick? So the driver's license, what is the, are they licensing you to do something that you were not unable to do before? No. No. Well, they're just giving you a privilege, as they say it. Oh, but what are they giving you? Nothing. Are they giving you two arms and a leg so that you can get behind the wheel and, 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 and travel in a car? No. You already had your arms and legs, and you're all, you were able to travel in a car before, operate a car, or use a car, make use of a car, be in control of a car. So what are they doing? They're actually taking something away from you, aren't they? They're licensing something. Your money. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But they're actually licensing and causing it to become licensable or regulatable. There you go. Regulated. That's right. And that's why it's, but they're not regulating you, the man. Technically, so they're... Your driver's license is an all uppercase entity. That's what's being, that's who's being licensed. So when you act in the capacity of the all uppercase name, then you're being licensed and you're being yeah. regulated. You're bringing, that, that, that all, you're bringing that all cap to life. Yeah. It, yes, in a sense you are. And But when you sign it, you're signing as the agent on behalf of the all uppercase entity. And I bypassed that argument because I know that never gets us anywhere. And I went to the other side of it, which is engaged in a regulated activity because the statutes only regulate certain activities. Not only does it only regulate persons, and I can make that argument, and I do make that argument, but I don't stand on that alone. I just put it in there because once they don't rebut it, if you make that the center of your case, they're going to just, just completely bamboozle you and they go all walk all over you because they don't want that exposed. But I still put it in, in my documents but I don't make that the centerpiece. The centerpiece is show uh, sh um, what, I, what I'm asking is show me where I am an agent of this entity. That's what I'm going to put in there, and they can't show it. Show me the existing law; they can't show it. Show me that I am a uh, agent or officer. Where's the contract? Where's my pay? And again, I had a long conversation with with Rico Man again, and he went through one of the things with these tax. These property taxes is your is supposed to be based upon the income tax return. Showing the business entity it was engaged in the income that was derived from the use of that property. Okay, so one little question: When you said where's the evidence there with the driver's license and that, it couldn't it be in that one question that's always asked: Are you a U.S. citizen? On your driver's license in a form, they always ask that. Are you a U.S. citizen? When you check that box, yes. Therefore, you are in their so-called uh, the laws and rules and, and that. Well, you can check the box no also. That's what I did. I checked the box no and still got the license. Right. Yep, me, too. me too. Now, if, they, if you do check the box by accident... Um, Yes, and what you can do is that what I've done is you send them what is called a uh, revocation of signature and power of an attorney, and you got to file that in the um, the county recorder's office, and you got to send it to the Secretary of State and the General and the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. And the reason why you want to have that filed in the county recorder's office, the federal rules of evidence on 902, it becomes a self-authenticating document. It works every time, folks. Hey, Russ, i got another way of doing it. You know what that is? Getting spanked. 
I lost my license. Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. And then I just go down and I pay five bucks and I get another one and this time I check no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can there's many ways to play there, folks. Well, I think the other one that Carl Lynch uses a lot. Can you prove that I was at that time while I was traveling and uh, moving my property to point A to point B was operating under them license at that time? I don't, I don't like that particular type of argument. I, I don't particular. I heard that before. I don't particularly like that. Right. Nah, I don't like that. I don't particularly care for that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, using using it, you got to... I'm using it in this case because I can show that under the charges, but the charges was under 46.2. 46.2 only regulates motor vehicles, comma, trailers, comma, semi-trailers, which are defined. Well, you so look at what Colin said earlier. When you look at the word drive and operate, what exactly does that mean in their statute? If you're behind the wheel, what are you doing? How do you operate a motor vehicle by putting your hands on the wheel and operating a brake on the gas pedal. How do you do that? What, what do you mean to operate and, and, and driving it? I don't understand the word drive. How do you drive something? Well, actually, actually, when you go read the, the, the whole code, the motor vehicle code, it's really interesting. The only time they use oper, operate is when they're talking about somebody who is operating a motor vehicle in a business. In other words, if you have a business and you have a fleet, of cars, and this is actually described. I'm not just making this. This is actually described. I'm putting a little bit plainer English for you. But when you have a fleet of cars, taxis, buses, and the like, or vans, that are used in the transporting or transportation of passengers for compensation on the highways or roadways, you are now, every one of those employees are called operators. Other than that, they're called drivers. Isn't that interesting? So it only answers it very, very specific. You have to read it several times to really get it. And I got yelled at for Steve the other day. I said, yeah, I've read it. I'd probably read it about maybe once every two or three weeks. He says, no, you need to read it every day for two months. I'm like, what? And, of course, I cried like a little baby um, without putting myself over the couch and spanking myself just because I was like, I don't want to read that much. But that's what he's saying. That's how familiar you have to be with it. And, and he's right. The more I read, the more it becomes evident what's exactly going on. Operators are only used, that term is only used when somebody has a business and one of the people is operating one of the vehicles of the operation which is engaged in the business of transporting passengers. So it's really interesting. Otherwise, you use the term driver. So a driver is defined in the statute very clearly as to what it means, which is somebody who's operating a motor vehicle trailer but, well, actually, you'll be towing a trailer. Actually, yeah, only motor vehicle. Um, anyone who is, uh, as they say, behind the wheel or in control of a motor vehicle. Well, a motor vehicle is something that's used in transportation of passengers or property over the highway. And how do I know this? Because it's glaringly clear, as I believe if you go back, well, how many weeks I did it, or the first 15, 20 minutes of the show, I actually read the, the codes themselves, and you could see clearly over and over and over and over again that it had to do with a person that was doing something for compensation on the highway or roadways. But when you go to the definition of highway and roadway... I don't care if you're wrong. I just really want to help people. Yeah, yeah you're wrong. Wrong again. Wrong as always. All right, here we go again. Facey, facey, facey. 
There we go. We're going to have to mute him out because he's... So what you actually look and you can actually see quite clearly the definition, the actual definition on the actual statutes, I mean, on the actual motor vehicle code itself says, the area between the shoulder and the shoulder that is open, meaning unregulated, open to the public, not a person, the public, for vehicular travel, not motor vehicle, not driving, not for transportation, not for compensation. None of those words are used. And it's the only time in the whole entire, because that's the beauty about word, you can go through and search for the word public. It's the only time, two times you'll find it. Go ahead. Red orders. Yes, I know plenty about void orders. All right? Can anyone understand this? What? Somebody's yelling, but I can't understand what they're saying. No, it's really hard to understand what they're saying. Yeah. Well, obviously the way they were yelling, it, it seems to me they weren't contributing. They are just being uh, belligerent. So anyway, so, you know, everyone can do their own. You know, people can say that I'm wrong. They can say Russ is wrong. They can make all those comments, and that's fine. That, that's, their, that's their right to do that. And go ahead and do it your way, and then share with everybody else your wonderful successes. And, uh, and I'd be glad to have you come on as a guest speaker, and then you can tell us your whole process and how you succeeded and where you are today. And, um, and that's great. We don't have that. Um, I have a lot more failures uh, and frustrations for three and a half years, four years of trying to do it, it some of these nonsensical ways, and it wasn't until I actually turned to the statutes uh, to rescue. And, and let me share this, the, the quick story why I went to statutes. Yeah, okay, so that, anyone who sees Carl Lentz, K-A-R-L space L-E-N-T-Z, or is an underscore there, Clearly, it's not Carl Lynch. You just heard him. That was the voice of the fictitious. I've heard that it was a fictitious. So you just heard the voice. Uh, so anyone who sees Carl Lynch, you need to mute him out because he's a disruptor. It's not the real Carl Lynch because I know how he talks, and that's not it. So anyway, what I'm saying is let me share with you how the, my epiphany came about, nobody else. I was doing the quote-unquote common law stuff, the UCC stuff, and all this other nonsense that was out there. And I kept running into brick walls. And what happened to me is I was reading something um, where it was talking about the Checkers Court, which was actually called common law, uh, or equity court. We talked a minute ago about equity court. Um, And the equity court came as a result of the king's conscience. In other words, I, I read this one little statement in there when I was doing my research on it, and I'll never forget this because it said that when the statutes or the codes or the common law, what was called the common law back then, which is actually in writing with it, under the statutes and codes, properly enacted, uh, early on, that they were insufficient, that they found that a one of the people or a person, or however you wanted to phrase it back, I don't remember exactly how the article wrote it. I wasn't awake to that extent at the time. Um, they, it said they found it to be insufficient. There was not enough relief in the statutes, no matter how many are codes or whatever in the common law for them to find relief and to be properly compensated. So they created a thing called um, um, equity law. And equity law began, it was called the king's conscience. 
and they were known, it was known as the checkers court because the, the judges that were roving judges, this is another issue, the roving judges wore checkerboard outfits. Now, it worked wonderfully because they were not corrupted by the local, um, local um, um, I guess you would call it mafia, whatever, the local idiots, the local controllers, the local bullies, because they were roving. Unfortunately, today, they've actually woven equity court into almost every court. They can wear different hats. And you've heard stories about that where the judge gets up and leaves the court. Then he comes back again. He comes in a different capacity, leaves the court, comes back again. So we've heard those stories, and they're great stories. I don't promote them simply because uh, in order to get the judge to get up and leave the courtroom once, nevertheless twice, nevertheless three times, and defeat them, is far beyond mine and, and, and most people's abilities there to do that. doesn't mean it's not true, just like there are people. Apparently, Carl Lentz is able to win and work this, this common law stuff. I have more people in jail. I know more people in jail trying to do that, which uh, some people seem to be extremely skilled at doing. Not everybody can do what it is that I do orally either in court. And that's why... So let me go back. When I read that, and I, and I saw that it said that the statutes and codes were insufficient no matter how many times you prosecuted. In other words, what they were saying was that there may be five or six or seven different codes or statutes in common law that you could go after them and still not get full remedy. Well, what I realized was, hey, wait a minute. We still have in existence codes and statutes which we can rely upon. And that's what I said, let's go back to basics. When you got nothing else, when the, when the higher law, which is the, which is the equity law, is no longer working, then you need to go to that which you can stand upon, which was statute and code law. And that's when I started learning. That's when I started reading. And the more I read, the more I went, oh, holy crap. Oh, holy crap. This is even more stringent than what I was asking for. You know, they were talking, they're talking about 20 years in jail. And all I was asking for them was for me to pay it. They could be fined in 20 years in jail. I was like, whoa. So I began to find that there was a lot of remedy in the statutes and the codes. Now, here's something interesting, and I've mentioned this before. We can act like babies and kick our feet and be allergic to being a U.S. citizen. I get that. That's not the highest form. But guess what, people? Even a United States citizen has rights. Even a corporate entity has rights. And this is where Steve is getting them. Without ever saying it, he's not into all this, but this is what he's doing. If you watch what he's doing, he is enforcing the law even as it's written for the person, even under the rights and privileges of a person, a fictional entity. And you can see it throughout all these cases where you can see that, that they did not come in as a man, they came in as a person, and they won the case. Why? Because the law is there. They're bound by the law, and you can show how they're violating the law that they're bound to. Oh, it's delicious. Thank you. Any? All right. So let I'm gonna I'm gonna what is it? I'm gonna go ahead and open the floor to anyone else who wants to make a comment about this stuff. And does this does this make sense? Look. If you can't get the diamond ring you want, for, you know, the 14-carat diamond ring, does that mean you don't get married? No, you just stay within your means. It just, To me, it just doesn't make sense why you wouldn't use that which is available. 
And why is it that it, we want to be allergic to this person? It seems to me that this person, this fictional entity, is something that we should be using. We are not teaching. In fact, something maybe that's something the common law should do uh, is to go and teach how, as a man, under common law, you have the right to be secure in your person. So let's go look at this person that's created. And I believe Julie and some other people have come up with it. What they're doing is they're registering the name. What a brilliant idea. I know other people. I know a man that copywrote the name. He took possession and took complete control of it by copywriting it. Unfortunately, after he did that, did the expatriate stuff and so on, they ended up killing him. In my, in my view, I believe they killed him. So there's, there's a line, again, we've got to be practical here. But it seems to me that it's a reasonable thing to register the name, take control over it. I don't fully agree with the concept of registering yet, and I haven't done it yet. But taking control of the name, I see no reason why not. It's there for our use. If people would get their head wrapped around everything that exists is for our use, what does it say? He owes no duty to state since he receives nothing therefrom but the protections of his life and property. So that means that we're entitled... Okay, we're entitled to those protections, and so is a person. Here's the right of the people to be secure in their person. What does that mean? That your persons, the persons, those persons, you are authorized signature. You're the agent of, you still has certain due process love law rights. It's very hey, clear. Hey, Carl? Yes. Hey, uh, I have a question uh, about this uh, registering the name. Um uh, you know, it's, I guess it's my understanding. This is all complicated. You guys are like really, really super smart, and uh, this is real hard to understand. But that the all caps name, you know, the birth certificate and all that stuff. If um, how do we register a name that we didn't create? Who who owns that name? Who owns the all caps name? Well, that's who a very good question. Who, who gave you the permission to create it? Well, now, that's even a better question. Uh, who gave anybody permission to create it? And what was the author? Here's the kicker. Watch this. You're going to love this. Where does the term authorize come from? The term authorize comes from the, from the root word author. Who was the author of the all uppercase name? That's a good question, isn't it? And there you go with question number one. First question, I ask, show me that it exists first in law. Second Show me where the contract is that made me the fiduciary of that entity. Where's the contract with, with, with that? So we have those two questions that they can't get over. Who was authorized? Well, clearly, it says quite clearly that we can create anything we want. We're creators. So we don't need authorization. A person needs authorization, but the man doesn't. He needs his power. The contract is unlimited. How how can you register a name that you didn't create? Somebody else created it. You know, it, it, it at least the way that's the way I see it. I, I don't, and this stuff is really confusing to me. And I try to learn as much as I can. I got paper spread all over the place. But all right, you know, let, let's go from the beginning. You know, I was born right or birthed, however you want, whatever word you want to use. Uh, and at, at that time, a birth certificate was created. Um. And I don't have any copies of any documents. I've tried to get them from the uh, Department of Vital Statistics, but all they do is give me a certificate. I don't have any originals. You know, does, does our do our parents fill out an application uh, for a birth certificate? 
Um, yes, I, I think I think nowadays they just create it. They they automatically create birth certificate and assign you a social security number as soon as the child is born. That's my understanding. I believe I, I believe you're right now, but um, my birth certificate, for instance, is in the upper and lower case. And um, what I did to take control over that was um, I got my mom to sign an affidavit that the only reason she signed it, again, going back to intent, was um, in order to provide me, the child, when I grow up, to have all the rights, liberties, protections, immunities, uh, and all the benefits possible uh, at no, without obligation. I put that in there. So that's how I did it. That's, that's my way. Now, I'll tell you another technique. Um, I actually used the all uppercase name birth certificate and the fact, oh, I'm sorry, not, not the, uh, yeah, the birth certificate, I used the birth certificate, forgive me, uh, strike that. I used the birth certificate itself and the fact that they would not give us the original as evidence that it was not, the pro- it was not my property. And, and when I say my, it was somebody else. I was somebody else who was willing to be a guinea pig, an older gentleman in Florida who used to do trust. He says, yeah, that sounds great. It works for me. I'll be the guinea pig because he had everything in trust. I couldn't touch him anyway. And it, it, we just did it as an experiment. And I don't recommend anyone doing this because it was for knowledge purposes only. But what we did is we sent a, a letter requesting the birth certificate because it's my birth certificate. Well, they wouldn't give it to us. So we did this whole long dissertation, again, laying a foundation of the chest thesis, laying a foundation, same thing you do with any case law, any case you're going to bring, and laid the foundation to show that they refused to give us the original. Therefore, we established and we got them to admit that it was not my birth certificate, but it was their birth certificate. And guess what we found out? The comptroller, at least in Maryland, the comptroller of currency right there is obligated to maintain all possessions of the state. So the first thing we did by laying down the foundation several times, kind of like with the tax thing, show me the cities, show me the cities, show me the cities, where is the law that allows you to tax property that's not engaged in any commercial activity? And when they don't respond, you're now laying a foundation that they don't have any because they can't provide it. So we did the same thing. We said, well, this is your property because it can't be mine because otherwise you'd be required to give it to me. So after laying that foundation, we then went to the comptroller of currency. Now after establishing a law by paper in the private, but still establishing the law or the fact, you call it a fact, that the birth certificate was clearly the property of the state because they were holding it. Okay. And um, they, the, the, the comptroller of currency, by, uh, in his duty description, which we looked up and did our research and found out what is, what is his obligations and duty of that office, not the man, but the, the duty uh, of that office, and therefore the man who holds that office, the person who becomes a person, regulated by that office, his duty was to maintain, and you look up the word maintain and put up the definition of maintain, all possessions of the state, all property of the state. Well, guess what? Everything that had an all up, every bill that had an all uppercase name, we sent it to them. And said, here, this is for you. This is yours. Because that all uppercase name is the property of the state. We established it was the property of the state, including the birth certificate. Of course, we sent it back, and that's when we reminded him of what his duty was. We quoted it. Now, you won't believe this, but it's true. $42,690-some dollars, I forget exactly what it was, it was close to $40,000. Now, we put everything in there. Now, I've done things with the IRS and got things paid, all sorts of stuff paid. I've done all sorts of experiments, 
and I've gotten anything that was a debt paid or discharged, excuse me, discharged. But I was never, through all the other experiments I did, I was never, ever able to get a cable bill or a phone bill paid, and I couldn't figure out why. They pay all the other ones or discharge all the other ones, but not the cable bill, not the phone bill. I couldn't figure out why. Well, in this particular, everything got paid, phone bill, cable bill, everything. The mortgage, there was like $30-some-thousand of mortgage. It was about, uh, 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 you know, like uh, eight or $9,000 in credit card, uh, debt, debt, and debt. And the and we got the um, phone bill and the cable bill paid uh, discharge as well. And I thought, what was different about that? And stupid me, I couldn't figure it out. For the life of me, could not figure it out until two years later when I was behind on my cable bill and they were going to cut it off. And in the conversation, I was asking questions, and he said, that's because the bill is paid in advance. I was like, oh, holy shit. You know, could have had a V8. Hit me like a ton of bricks. The cable bill and your phone bill you pay in advance. Therefore, it is not a debt. So all of the other instances where I used or did an experiment using the, the requirement for them that all Oblig- all debts are obligations of the United States, and therefore I got them discharged. It was not necessary this time because I was not coming in under that. I was coming in under that it is the obligation and duty of the state, one of the actors or officers of the state, to maintain. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, too. I'm answering your question, and I'm going further with it. So why is that important? Well, this is really important because, as Steve is talking about, if you, let's look at it from another point of view. Let's say that you were uh, liable to pay income taxes on everything that you did. Well, let's look at that. You, as the uh, officer agent of that entity, are required to maintain the man or the body. Let's just look at the body. Not We won't call man, we'll call it the body, yeah, the physical body. Can I, can, okay? I, can I interrupt you? Corpus. No, no, no interrupting. I'm going to finish okay. here. Because this is one thought. And you always do that to me, and I'm not going to let you do it again. Please don't make me mute you out. Wait till I'm finished with my thought. My thought is a little bit longer than other people's, but there's a reason because I've got to go all the way around. So what if, if what is true, let's look at it. Everything, let's say you get wages and your wages are income. Okay, so that's money that you came in, and you have an obligation to maintain the body that does the, ex, does the work. Well, you'd have to buy it food, you'd have to buy it clothing, you'd have to buy it soap, you'd have to buy it a toothbrush, you'd have to buy this and 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 that and that and that and this. And, of course, we all know that this body, it has a spirit in it, so it has to be kept happy. So it has to go have some fun. So in order to maintain it, you have to maintain it with certain things like going to the movies and doing this and doing that and doing the other thing. Actually, you can actually find this in statute law. It's called husbandry, okay, acts of husbandry which is where you're doing things to maintain uh, your home and in the form of a husband, which is also exempt if you're a taxpayer, that those areas are the home, the areas of your abode where you're, where you're, um, um, where you're living, is tax-exempt even if you are a taxpayer. So we have that backed up. So, again, if you look at it, everything that you do for this body is tax-deductible. So you would end up in the same situation anyway. Does this make sense now? So it all comes around, okay, this fiction, now you ask the question, this fiction, this this entity, did you create it or did you not? 
Well, the question is, have you ever heard of abandonment? If you, and this is the thing, this is why we have records. That's why one of the very first thing, and, and when you go to Dartmouth College, it talks about this, that the land records were created long antecedent or before the creation of the state, okay, the establishment of the state itself of this fictional government. The people had already set up a, a way to record things. Hey, do you own this property? I'm going to buy this property from this guy. How do I know he owns it? So you go to the public land records, you can see that it's been on the public land records for five years. It's never been challenged. Nobody has ever refuted it. Therefore, you have reason to believe that, oh, yes, and then you can go back and say, well, who owned it, who owned it, who owned it, all the way back to the original patent. But the primary reason that we put it in the public is we're announcing, hey, I'm the owner of this property. Hey, I'm the owner of this property. Anyone got claims against it? Bring it forth now or ever, or ever hold your peace. So in a way, that if I was going to do the registration of the name, that is what I would do first. And this would be my process. I would first lay a foundation to secure my right, title, and interest in the name and that, put it out in public. Put it, I believe use the same one they use in fraud closures, which is the three weeks running. You put it in the public newspaper. And I don't know how you put it in the federal. I put it everywhere. I just send it to everybody. Anyone want to make claim to, the, to this all uppercase entity, yes or no? And if not, forever hold your peace because I'm going to make claim to it. And if that actually is in law, if you look at land, if you go and live on a piece of land for a, period, a long enough period of time, you can then file for ownership of that property because by default, nobody's said otherwise. So does that answer your question just a little bit? Uh, a little bit. It's still very confusing. I just don't understand. Well, I mean, it, they created a name, but what's the what's the value of this name? This fictitious all caps name. What's the, who puts the value on it? The way I understood it's not like it, land. It's not like land that you can. You know, well, actually, actually, anything you create has value. The the value of it depends upon what you're able to. That's what they call a fair market value. It's considered that which a willing seller is willing to sell and a willing buyer is willing to willing to buy. So there's your value. What is the value of the all uppercase name? Well, certainly they're using the crap out of it, so it has tremendous value. The fact that we want control over it so that they can't keep using it and making us the surety and make these payments, I would say it's extremely value, which is valuable, which is why I do believe we want to make claim to it. How do they make you surety of it? I, I, that's, I don't understand it. How, 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 how do they make you surety of Well, that's actually real simple. When the all uppercase name, let's go to the driver's license, you look at that because no one ever reads. But what you'll see on that is the all uppercase name. You won't find that on my doc, on any of my, for, uh, excuse me, on any of my mortgages and stuff because I always insist you won't find it on the land records. I always insist it's upper lowercase. Now, on the driver's license, the exception, because I could not get them to change it. But that's why I put BY there. I explained this earlier. That what you, what, what, when you sign your name, you are saying, I will be the surety of it. That's what you're doing. You're signing to be the surety of the all uppercase name. But if you put BY in front of it, you're saying, oh, no, I'm not the surety. I am merely the authorized signer. Now, look at a check. If you that line, that signature line, go take a magnifying glass and put that magnifying glass over that line, and you're going to see it's microprint that says authorized signature, authorized signature, authorized signature. Many times it says authorized signature only. 
So once again, people don't even know that you're the authorized signer of that account. That account was created. Now, go back to the account. I can create an account, and I can authorize you to sign, can't I, all day long. So you're an, merely an authorized signer until authorized proven. Now, if somebody wants to say, is that your account, you could say, no, it's not my account, but I am the authorized signer. And that's where I was getting to with this all uppercase name. So, but if you're the authorized signer, you should be able to use it. And, I, and I'm still working on that. But I'm giving the concept of... Oh, and, 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 Hello. Somebody's got noise there. So, oh, uh, it, it, I'm sorry. Okay, it makes so, sense to me that if you can then go back and say, oh, no, that is mine because I either registered, I created it, or I, I filed it, whatever it is, that makes sense that you can show a record that, oh, yeah, that not only am I the authorized signer, but I have right title and interest to it because I'm the creator of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but only if you register it, right? It's like if you well, I'm not, sure I'm, not, I'm not sure registering is exactly the right thing to do. I said I'm, I'm still investigating the actual right thing to do because I want to look at what the term register means. I don't. I believe when you register, it's the other way around. I believe when you register your car, you're actually turning it over to the state. So I disagree with that term register, but the principle I agree with, which is to basically take control of it. So... It, to me, there's something else, and I'm still looking into it, as to what register, how you register, what purpose. I would rather file something into the land records as ownership of it. Because to me, when you register it, you're registering it with the state. What happens with your car when you register it with the, car, with the state? It's like, well, the state now has control over it because you registered it with the state. Colin, or, you have no clue what you're talking about. And who just said that? Of course, they have no clue. I have absolutely no clue, but uh, you got something else. I'm going to give you about three and a half seconds to come up with something and stop being insulting and come up with something that is more viable that uh, you do know what you're talking about from firsthand knowledge and from your personal experience. The way okay. I, this is Rick. The way I understood it, Colin, uh, or to answer that guy's question, I don't know how true this is, but there's a YouTube video called Claim the Name. I watched uh-huh. it about a year or so ago, and apparently, in an analogy, when you're born, okay, and you're coming through your mother's, you know, the birth canal, well, it's, it's put in a way of like admiralty law. You're really mm-hmm. not landed, but when you are born, okay, well, then you, you're born in the world, well, then there's a certificate of live birth, but you're still considered cargo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the therefore, that record the vessel, is too. Right? What's that? I, I said uh, I think I, I read a little bit about this, where it's it's like the vessel, it's like the boat. The yeah. All caps name is like a vessel or boat, and and that's what puts you in admiralty or. Well, it doesn't put you uh, uh, the all cap name until they take the until that doctor or hospital takes that certificate of live birth and then send it to the Washington D.C. at twenty twenty miles square. Well, then they create the birth certificate and therefore you're well you're still limbo and cargo but you're the trustee uh the tr- it, that's like a trust and then until you claim that name which apparently you can go to the county clerk's office where you were born that certificate was originated and then there's a form you can fill out and then uh claim that name 
Why uh, did you have to do it in, in the state in the state you were born on? Yeah, there was a guy on there, uh, Angela, uh, my private audio call about a month ago. His name was Kevin something, and he, I even talked to him on there, and I asked him, "How do you do that?" He goes, "You got to go to the clerk, county clerk's office, to where uh, the birth certificate, you know, where's that? Where you were born, where the live birth was, and there's a form you fill out that you can claim that name then. But see, until you claim it, you could be uh, 40, 50 years old." and still not be so-called matured enough uh, until you reach an adult. Well, until you claim that name, it can just sit there indefinitely, you know. They're kind of like, they're kind of like your parents uh, in that aspect of that, of that name until you come maturity and claim that name. Otherwise, you're just pretty much your parents, the, the, uh, yeah, that that I can verify because when Luella just kind of spontaneously said, um, um, "I don't give you whatever, I don't give you power over me," and to my knowledge, you're not my legal guardian. That you could see the judge's face light up. Um, uh, so there is definitely something to it. I don't know a great deal, but I know enough to talk about it and to suppose things. But I haven't done these experiments on that. I'm in the process of investigating it first. And but to me it does make sense. Uh, let me give you this: the international law. Um, what was it called? It was called the uh, um, um, not international law, the flag. That's another thing. Um, what was it called? The Secretary um, um, uh, AV Trust. We had a whole discussion about that. A lot of people trying to use that, and and the solution, as usual was later on, if you read the whole thing, people don't read on. They just read a little bit, and usually it's all misleading until you get to the end, and then there's a conclusion. But when I went into the Sesta KV Trust, I noticed something, and it said that should, first the first requirement was that they were required to send a search party for either the living man or the body, the dead body. And they oh, were yeah. required to do it three times, and it said overseas, that they were to go overseas. And the reason was practical. Back then, men went to fight a war, or they went to do business overseas, and they might not make the trip overseas, like, you know, three months. Uh, you know, people might not come back for years. But somebody was handling their estate while they were gone. And that's where they came into estate planning and so on, because they had to have somebody. That's where the trust came up, because it was a necessity. And it also came up because uh, when somebody died uh, or could not be found, that they first gave it to the church, and then they found out the church was kicking the family out of the house, and then they gave it to the state, and then they found the state was doing the same thing. So that's when they created these trusts. Okay, All this stuff came for a reason. But under the SESTA-KV Trust Act, it says that they are required to send three search parties overseas and look for the body of the living man. Now, what it says is, if they, after this three times, they are unable to find him, he shall be presumed to be dead, and then they will dispose in a trust manner of his estate. And, But, keep going. Later on it says, but if he shows up and turns up and shows that he is alive, a, a living man, he then can get all of his property back. So I would say I agree with what you're saying in principle. How to do it, what are the nitty-gritties, I'm not fully sure, but I would agree in principle 
that what we have to do is, first of all, raise our hand and say, by the way, I am alive. I am alive. And if you listen to some of what Carl Lynch is saying, be a man. What is he saying? Be alive. Hey, I'm alive. And they don't want to recognize that. Again, I, and I would ask you, Rick, um, and everybody, including myself, to continuously not say I or me when it comes to the old cop's name. It is a separate entity. It's not you. It's separate from you. It's something that you have, or although you, it's something that exists until you have it, I guess is what we're talking about now. But it's not you. They're not getting you. They're getting the all caps name. They're causing you to be probably the trustee of the name until, until the, uh, the, the true living man shows up and says, I'm alive, I'm alive, and then you can make claim to it. So, again, this is all theory, uh, and, and I think under principle it makes a lot of sense. I don't like the idea of registering the name, though. I just, I just don't because then I believe you're giving it up. I do believe in making claim to it um, and putting it out there and allowing anybody else who has any interest in it to come forth and make their claim. Failure to do so, uh, gives me, then I, I could do it. And anyone could do that. Uh, you can do that with anything. If you find something... Doesn't matter what it is, and that's actually, if you look at these mortgages, the banks under these under these um, uh, deed of trust says that if you abandon the property, the bank can go get it, and it's sometimes only as little as thirty days, and that's why they want to get the people out of the fictitious stuff. The people who have refused to leave their home are still in it. The people who left their home, the banks did it. They went in there and, and changed the locks and sold, you know, blah blah blah. So there is some truth to that as well. So this, is, this makes sense to me that, yes, we need to make claim to the name, or at, but before we do that, we want to go ahead and request anyone out there who has a claim to go ahead and make a claim to it first. And there's going to be, that, to me, that foundation is huge because that's going to require those that have been using the name, I believe you could go back and collect because none of those entities, and I would send a letter which is the same thing I did with the foreclosure, same kind of thing. I sent a letter to all the alleged interested parties and made an offer to pay the full amount due and owing. None of them responded. How do you do that, Paul? And how do you make make a claim to something? How do you you just go and say, like, hey, I found gold, I'm I'm making a claim? It's real simple face. It's real simple face. Uh, you know, I sit there and I make a claim that you, you know, that you're disruptive, and then you go and disruptive, and everybody in the public can see, yeah, you've been disruptive. So my claim is verified. That's called. That's why it's called a when you make a claim in court, you can make a claim, and then there's a thing called a verified claim, and you always want to make a verified claim. Why? And it's just what also what what uh, what uh, Ju- Julie is doing. It's a verified bill. It's a verified claim. They don't have a verified. Who verifies this claim? You know, same thing with what, what, what Carl allegedly is going, who brings a claim against me here today? Who brings a claim? Okay, well, who's going to verify That was not phase one you did that against. Do what? Oh, I don't know who that was. Joe Nicholas is not me. All right, Colin, so make sure you, you understand who you're talking to before you start making false claims, you loser. Oh, there you go. There he goes again. <laughs> See, you just couldn't resist putting that thing at the at the end. You're a loser. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, I'm a loser because I'm going to lose you. Bye. So if that's the definition of loser. See, I just made a definition. I just made a claim. I can make you can make any claim you want, but is it very? Yeah, where, where do you, where do you do it at? You 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 got to go to you got to go to court. You go down the the the, the court the, the 
you know, uh, um, report recorder. I would use the I would first thing to use use what's available to us the new as I said the newspaper. I would use the mail. I would mail um, a request to any of these parties that have been using the name. I would send it to the United States. I would send it to the United States and their agents. And if this is the wrong office, please forward it to the proper office. I would do it to the state, uh, the one that has the birth certificate, to the state that you're born, the state you're in. Anywhere that I would actually do the DMV uh, or MVA, whichever it is in your state. I, anybody who's ever used that name or seems to have control over their power, I would anybody, anybody who might have interest, and if they fail to say that they have a claim, then you are actually verifying your claim. I now, think he was being a Colin. How well, do you how do you get it verified? Well, would you be the verifier? Now, here's another thing: Are you not signing? Is there not all sorts of evidence that verifies that you, at the very least, have been the authorized signer in be, on behalf of that name? So, if you're the authorized signer, it seems to me that you could authorize are the actual owner working on behalf of. You follow me? So you could actually, and in fact, there's somebody who did this recently said they've had great success. What they did is they signed on behalf because they are the authorized signature. They signed a document as the authorized signer making them, the man or woman, the power, absolute power of attorney over all affairs of the all capital all uppercase name. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, being the creator. Well, you don't have to necessarily be the creator, but you are the authorized party to authorize the sign. So, as the authorized signer, they sign the document, by all uppercase name on behalf of the all uppercase name. The all uppercase name then on that document was the establishment of the of absolute power of attorney to the upper and lowercase man. And that stops them dead in their tracks because you're not only the authorized signer, but you have absolute power of attorney over the all uppercase name. Oops. I've heard that they've been real successful with that one, and that makes a lot of sense to me. But I Who like the idea. Huh? Who was that that you heard has having success with that? It's, it's been a while. I get, I don't mean to be be rude, Rick, but I mean I've got, I've got Skype groups okay. up the butt. I've got, I'll find it. I'll try to send it to you. You know, there's only you can only put your attention to so many things. That's why I get so angry at these disruptors. It's like, come on. I, I just thought you might head off the top of your head. It's cool. Oh yeah. No, actually, I don't. I'll, I'll find out again. Um, but uh, but but that has been and it makes perfect sense to me. Hey. I'm the power of attorney. I have absolute power of attorney. You know, to me, it also means that you have certain responsibilities as well, which is why I haven't done it yet, because I have to look into what the responsibilities are. Because when you have power of attorney, you have responsibilities as well, and particularly if you're still the surety. It does not negate you being a surety. That's why I like the idea, the concept of registering the name. I'm not. I don't believe in the quote-unquote registering uh, that activity, but the concept of basically taking possession of the name makes a lot of sense. Now, technically speaking, if you pick up a rock and you put it in your pocket, did you just steal or can you make claim to it because you picked it up and no one else said, hey, that's my rock, you can't have it. So we make claims all day long. Um, you know, we make claims that we, that, that, that we can do all sorts of things and because it's not rebutted, uh, we, we go ahead and do it. No one stops us. 
And that's kind of what they're doing is they're stopping us where we have a right to do something because we have not established our right to do it. And I think once you establish your right and your power, again, go to Hale versus Hinkle, his power is unlimited. That's pretty clear exactly right there so I can verify it. And that's where we open this conversation is that if you want to win and you want to go ahead and, and, and give some case law and law that substantiate that they're bound to to respect that. This is interesting is that when you go into the law, it's not your enemy. You actually find that you can verify, validate that they are obligated to um, recognize whatever whatever it is that you're claiming. And that's the beauty about it. Hey, it says right here in Hell versus Hinkle. I can stand on that. Hell versus Hinkle says right there. The Constitution says it's right here. Or it doesn't say, excuse me, it is written. It is written. And are you not subject to it? Yes. So to me, you know, this is real simple stuff. Go ahead, Rick. Hey, John, uh, you want to try one more time? Actually, no, no, you already burned it. Sorry. Now, he's got his hand up now. He's trying to be polite. This is old game that they play. They act like they're polite, and then they turn around and do it. You already burned it. Can I ask one more question? Who is this? This is Joe. Are you going to be rude and give nasty no, comments I, or no? No, no, no. I've been asking you about the birth certificate. I, I, I'm not being rude. I, I'm okay, just curious. Go ahead. I'm just trying go to get the answers. Ahead. That's all. Uh, ahead, no, my question is, has anybody actually, like, uh, traced, the birth certificate all the way to the you know the, the the treasury or the federal reserve you know you know when they when the birth certificate is created um it's sent to um the department of vital statistics it, it doesn't stop there right it's got to go somehow it's got to get to uh the district of columbia where they they create that fictitious or log it in has anybody ever traced Trace the documentation on on how that gets gets there, and that 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 fictitious name uh, is created, and that, which makes you uh, you know a citizen or so called of of the District of Columbia, the fictitious United States. You know you know what I'm asking, or is that? Do I think it's an excellent question? And I have done as much as I could do with the amount of time that uh, I was able to spend on it. Like I say, I traced it all the way back to that they are, um, I talked to an older lady who had been around for a long time and had wonderful knowledge, and I actually found out that um, that allegedly they're worth um, close to $25,000 on the black market. How much? $25,000, I believe it is, or was it 250000 God, I can't remember. It's been so long. I did all this stuff years ago. Um, and, it, and my memory is just not what it, you know, on it because, God, what am I trying to, uh, what did I do, what did I do? Okay, traced it back to that they are the record keepers. They, they do not own it, but they are the record keepers. And the whole thing of the vital statistics was in order to put the uh, the name into so it could be not only regulated, but it was the primary reason for the vital statistics was so that they would know how how much money needs to be set aside? It's like any other business. If you if you're responsible for taking care of four kids, and that's your job because you know that you have a, a daycare center, and then you're going to have another child come into your daycare center, 
you need to know those statistics so that you know, okay, we've got another child, what's the age, what do you mean? Well, that child's under under one year, so we're going to need diapers, we're going to need this, we're going to need baby food, okay? It's just a matter of practicality. And most of the stuff, when you, like I've said a thousand times before, most of the stuff, if you understand how it was originally set up, it makes a lot of sense. It's the only way that you would probably do it if you really sat down and did it. The problem is, and it keeps going back to the same thing, the problem is that those in office have corrupted the intent of what it's supposed to do. If everything was working the way it was set up and the way it's supposed to, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be all happy-dappy. So this is what we've got to understand. What is it how it's supposed to work versus how what, how they've convoluted it? That's, well, that's I, think they, I think they set it up to deceive us right from the beginning. It, it was not set up to benefit us, that's for sure. It, it was set up to steal from us, not to benefit us. I used to believe that. But the more I read law, the more I read case law, the more I see, oh, no. And, 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 and look at it this way. Uh, somebody came on the show a while back, and we were having a great conversation, and they said, well, look at it this way, folks. Why is it? that we have case law that we can rely upon because somebody busted their ass in order to go to the appeals court, the appeals court, the appeals court, to the federal court, and then appeal and then finally to the Supreme Court. And, that, and having done it only to the Supreme Court in a state, it's arduous. Like I said, my, my estimate was at least two years and $10,000 just in paper and filing fees. That's not labor that's none. That's ten thousand dollars in ink and paper and filing fees. That's how much dedication. And we're talking eighteen to twenty hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days out of the bloody year to accomplish that. But somebody did that. People get legislation because the intent is right there. Because where did it come from? Let's look at the fourteenth. Because the fourteenth was, hey, we already had. The the, uh, the freedom of the freedom of the Why am I not? I got everybody muted except for Northern Virginia and Rick, and still somebody no, yelling. Okay. Most people are are unmuted from from the board I'm looking at. So. Well, here's what Colin. I'm Colin, yeah. this is Terry Lynn. Uh, Colin, this is Terry Lynn. Hi, Terry. How are you? How are you? Good. Um, I wanted to just kind of maybe clarify a couple things from our research from a few years ago when we were doing the assembly stuff. Um, What was discovered is that um, the uh, birthing process is basically your considered um, produce or product. Uh, When you come through and the mother is the informant and the doctor and nurses are the witnesses Mm -hmm. of that product coming through. Now, you notice when the birth certificates come about, this this discovery was discovered a little bit later, but the birth certificates are in the all caps name because they're declaring you really dead as a living being because you're not competent to handle your own affairs. They've already taken you before a court, and they keep asking the baby, are you competent to handle your affairs? Well, the baby can't answer. So when the baby doesn't answer, um, and there's this really funny a little video that used to be out on YouTube about how that whole thing worked. Um, so basically, when you're on the track of, of claiming that you're alive, you're the living man, and that there had to be a mistake that was made, then we can lay claim to what we were originally called, what our mother originally called us, 
um, which when you look up the definition of a name, um, is not a name, <clears throat> but we are called something. So um, uh, anyway, that was what we went through our discovery on um, when we looked really thoroughly into the birth certificate and the birthing process. And I could also verify that um, through my mom, who was a registered nurse and also was a delivery nurse for uh, part of her residency and part of her initial being an RN. So when I talked to her about it and she looked back at everything that happened, she said she basically confirmed that whole process is for the industrial, the military industrial um, complex. So when that happens, it's all under the military industrial complex. Um, So when you're on the track of doing the registering or recording of our name again, um, it's actually got to be with the Secretary of State of the United States, not just the state that we were born on. So I think that's an important part of that process or the process that we're thinking um, as we move forward with that thought process. So, um, And then the other thing I wanted to just go back to, remember you were talking about the upper and lower case name being in the receivership. So that being the case, when we're talking about these trusts, and also um, upper and lower case and the upper case. Um, and we, we signed by colon and as the authorized signatory. Uh, it also puts us in the beneficiary position. So if you're a beneficiary, you cannot be surety. And if you're surety, you cannot be a beneficiary. But if you're a grantor, you can be a beneficiary as well. Um, and then the other thing I found, looking up the North Carolina General Statutes. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. Oh, my God, this is so good, so good. So thank you so much. <laughs> um, um, will you lose your thought if I interrupt you? No, not at all. Okay, good. The first one, the first part, um, I love it. I'm going to have to listen to it again because I think I forgot my question. But the second part, I oh, no, the first part was, was really powerful, what you just said. And I was like, oh, you dumbass. Not only do you have to do it with a state, but the United States, because it's the United States that's actually really um, basically taking everything over, as you said, the industrial uh, complex. I, that's brilliant, and that's oh, you're so right. Oh, so we need to have a conversation about that. The second part was um, 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 uh, surety versus beneficiary. Right. How do you in your signature? Because I'm putting by, and you're absolutely right. Just because I'm putting by does not mean that I couldn't be the surety. It could still be the surety. You're right. So what what little symbol can I put there? What B for beneficiary? Um, no, um, my my uh, as we researched it a little bit further, it's actually the semicolon, not the colon. Oh, uh, the the colon is an end. If we use the semicolon, it, it continues through the. To the the actual autograph, ah, which is an upper and lower case, okay, right? Okay. okay, let me ask you a real. I know it's tiny detail, but it's so important to me. Now, is there a difference? I've had a discussion. There's been no real instance on it. But what is your opinion on? Is it uppercase B, lowercase Y, uppercase B, uppercase Y, or lowercase B, lowercase Y, or doesn't it matter? Um. Well. We found that all lowercase, lowercase b, lowercase y, and the semicolon um, was actually the better. Okay. 
way to do I, it. Uh, but I yeah. love the semicolon that makes perfect sense because, okay, well, you know, and here's the thing. Walk walk me through it again because my understanding of my use of colon, and I am terrible at English. That's why I, I have to be taught this because my understanding of colon, like for instance, I say shopping list, colon. And to me, the colon means uh, the shopping list refers to everything that comes after. That the, 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 two, the two dots means it includes everything that comes after it. That's my understanding. Uh, the semicolon means that, it, that the beginning part is a complete thought and in conjunction but still a separate thought is the thing that comes after it. So I'm a little confused. So let's have a little conversation with that and, and share with me your research because I don't know. Yeah, oh, good you want to do that? You want to do that at another time, or you want to talk about it right now? Um, you want to make a note and and do it, come back to it because I know you have more to share. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll, set it well, aside. I did because okay, because I want to also go back and I uh, know that there was someone that had a problem on the on the chat regarding residents, and I did want to share that it's right here in writing <clears throat> that um. In the general statutes, North Carolina general statutes, annotated uh, states and definitions, residence means domicile or principal place of business, period. That means nothing else. That's it, period. Bingo. Everyone understands what bingo means, right? Ding, 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 ding. You got it. You win it. What is it? Uh, he says, well, let's have a sandwich. I said, you just won the booby. Oh, fantastic. Read it one more time for hardheads like me, please. Sure. Residence means domicile or principal place of business, period. She wants a pie and a free spanking. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I did want to get back to that and share that because it's really very, very important in knowing who we are when we go into these places or are forced to go into these uh, courts and places where we really don't belong as a living man or woman, but we're forced in there. In there. So um, you have to know who, who we are and where we are. <clears throat> and that still goes back to that birth certificate issue. It's, it's a really a big circle, and it's... Um, Sometimes can be daunting, but it's kind of fun when you figure it all out. And, or still working on figuring out. It's like putting a puzzle together. Um, yeah, it's kind of especially the, when you uh, get several. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's kind of like the, uh, oh, you know, like the circle of uh, like a, the, the food chain pyramid, you know, where well, it's just all, it all does come back. Come in. You want me to open it? Right. I'll open it. Hold on. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you can also find in the definition, in your annotated general uh, statutes and definitions is a great place to go because it does really define definitions that they're using. Uh, so just wanted to let you know. It's, you know, licensing, occupational license, just basic license. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, to go back and look at those. Um, back to this colon and semicolon. Colin, I think you nailed it when you stated it, but you don't realize how you stated it. Okay. Uh, go ahead and keep talking because I'm going to start. Mute. I'm going to mute. Okay. Which one are you? I got okay. all. I, I, 
I'm truth be free. Truth, truth underscore be free. Excellent. I'm Angie. That I'm always learning. I'm not making any noise. I have myself muted out on my end. Okay, I've got. Let me. I'm going to do a roll call here real quick. I have. Uh, I know Rick, and of course Northern Virginia. I know who that is. Then there's you. Truth be free. Uh, then there's Money Mike 5000. I'm doing a roll call. If you answer up, then I'll, I'll know to leave you unmuted. Hello, Money Mike 5000. No response. Hello? No response from Money Mike 2000, so I'm going to mute you. Uh, Joe Nicholas, West Virginia. Hello? Yeah. yeah, I'm here. Okay, do you wish to remain unmuted? Uh, yeah, I might. I might ask another question. Okay, fantastic. I'll mute, I'll, mute myself, I'll mute myself out for now. Okay, thank you, Joe. And then there's Always String 7. Always String 7. That's you, Yeah, I have myself. Okay, say <laughs> This is Always Learning 7. I'm at the top. I have myself muted out on this end, so. Okay, thank you, hon. All right, go, go ahead, Truth Be Free. What's your name again, hon? This is Terry Lynn. Okay. I don't know. I sound like we met before or maybe... Yeah, we, we know each other. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm really bad with names and stuff, so forgive me. Yes, please go back to the semicolon, what you were talking about, what I said and didn't even know I said it, which is typical. <laughs> well, okay. Re- remember how when we're doing buy and, then we're, and it says, you know, authorized signature only or authorized signature... Um, okay, so by and semicolon is a continuation that they're, you know, that it flows. It's going to flow right through to that upper and lowercase signatory as beneficiary. By colon is actually a, it's an ending. You can, you can still use the upper and lowercase autograph after that, but it's, it's not going to mean, it's not going to have the same meaning as far as the, colon and semicolon. So there's basically a colon, um, what's the best way to put it? I'd have to look it up. Colin, you and I might not have to get on a different call so we could go through this. But it is very important on the um, punctuation and, uh, you know, the, um, what's it called? um, I'm going to say military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually putting in yeah. colon semicolon. Here, I'm going to read what I yeah. got. If you got something, jump in there. You can interrupt me. Uh, for oh, example, you can use either a semicolon or a colon to join two main clauses, but you can only use a colon to join a main clause with a noun. Huh? Here's an example. Squiggly missed only one friend. Colon. Aardvark. You couldn't use a semicolon in that sentence because the two parts are unequal. Whoa. Okay, now that's from Grammar Girl, semicolon. Leo, semicolon, and colon. Uh, The use of these punctuation marks are often confused. Students, comma. Okay, I'm going to open that one real quick. Let me see here. Uh, where is it here? Uses of the semicolon. To join independent clauses in compound sentences, 
that do not have coordinating conjunctions in parentheses and or but nor for so yet in parentheses and commas as connectors. Words like however, moreover, thus, and therefore are often used as connections in these sentences. Comparisons are often used to emphasize a basic idea, semicolon, however, semicolon, they are more often used to explain something complex or unfamiliar by showing how something we don't understand relates to something we do. Aha, that's a little bit enlightening. Next point, there was no running and no shouting, semicolon. All the children behaved very well, semicolon. Therefore, comma, they will all get a treat. Interesting. Uh, next one, yeah. working, working mothers pay an average of $53 a week for childcare, comma. This means that many women pay nearly half of their weekly salary to daycare centers or babysitters. That's beginning to make a little more sense. It's kind of like what you said. I, I, I said without knowing is that it keeps them connected, even though they're connected concepts and thoughts, even though they're also like it says a compound sentence, a compound thought, interrelated. But I'm, I right. need to find out about the colon now. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got? No, that's that's. I mean, you're right on. I mean, that's that's basically. Pretty much what we had discovered. I mean, I don't know if you've had Michael Joseph on your calls or, you know, some of the other folks that have done the research and, you know, that we've been on the same page and doing a lot of the research together and um, using it, you know, um, when you find anything, basically, and uh, having the success with it and having it be basically understood. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Here's colon, use of the colon, one after an independent clause that precedes a list. So I was correct in that, but let's see how they use it. The use of, oh, shit, I, now I see it. Boom, boom. Oh, I got it. After an independent clause that precedes a list. So all I was doing was listing myself as a signer, not keeping it as the only signer. Oh, right. my God, I see what you're saying. Do you um, this? Uh, it's just a statement here, like um, when I do paperwork with people and they're doing, for example, power of attorney uh, for someone that they're signing for, they will normally uh, print the name of the person they're doing, okay, by, and they'll sign their name, and then, of course, they have a comma afterwards stating their capacity, like agent, uh, attorney, in fact. Um, yeah, when they were stating that the colon uh, part, that's what I was thinking. Like, uh, oh, you'd be listing, it could be you, and it could be somebody else, and it could be first C, or, uh, you know, man or woman C, man or woman B, uh, kind of going down a list. Um, does that make sense? Totally. Uh, yeah, I, what you just expressed was what popped into my head. Holy crap, what an idiot. Because by doing colon, I'm saying I'm just one of many. Whereas the semicolon right. keeps keeps me uh, essentially as only because that's the only one that I'm going to put there. Otherwise, I would put uh, Colin Derek, comma Colin Derek Yates, comma all these other potentials. I would I would then put a comma to indicate that 
the, the list would be complete, whereas with a colon, even though it is a list, it is a list, and therefore I'm only one of them on the list. Is that correct? That's the way I would take it. As to the semicolon, I've only ever used it in grammar, such as in connecting sentences, like with the word therefore or where it is pointing back. Um, so you're saying about users suggesting the use of the semicolon? Because to me, after you put by, like in those instances of power of attorney, um, or attorney in fact, or as an agent for, um, again, they just, the, you know, the name, of course, like on your driver's license is listed, and if you're putting the word by, and then you're putting your signature, that's already kind of putting you into the capacity of something. You're just not listing further that you're an agent or, you know, what your capacity is, uh, you know. So are you advocating, this, it sounds to me, to do it the right way would be, uh, are you advocating the colon or the semicolon? Um, in what I've done, I've not used it myself. I'm just stating in work that I have done with people who are signing uh, items. Uh, we were always directed to have them print the name of the person that they're asking for, if you would say, put the word by on, uh, not including any semicolon or colon at all. They would just with their signature. And um, and then after their signature, they would have a comma, and then they would print the word as to what they, their capacity was for the person that name they just printed for. Um, yeah, I'm confirming that. I'm reading this here under the colon part. This, uh, the Stems County Theatrical Company announces the opening of the following plays, colon, Lear, comma, May 10th, semicolon, Death of the Salesman, comma, June 15th, semicolon, and Camelot, comma, August, 2th, August 20th. So the way that they're using it, let me see, I'm going to read another one. There are three historical sources for belief, colon, reason of intellect, comma, custom or habit, comma, and in, inspiration. I agree with what you're saying. I think that I'm missing that, that what you said earlier is that I should even after I sign I need to comma and put beneficiary or some is there a symbol that we can use that would indicate beneficiary so that because my name is really long huh you could put you could put ls for living soul and they wouldn't I mean they shouldn't have a, um they can't come back on that the the problem that we discovered was this is Terry again um, okay. is that if you try to put comma agent or comma beneficiary they're gonna you know they're gonna ignore it they're gonna make you sign it some other way however if you put comma ls the living soul um, they, that that's just make and make that part of your autograph that's something they can't really you know come back at you with because how do they have first hand knowledge how do you how you autograph Autograph or sign your name. This is you know Go ahead. Um, I had I had one gentleman here just a couple weeks ago. We were talking, um, and he was talking about uh, he started using a signature, and he was putting. I think he said. He, I, I have to ask him again, but I believe he was saying he was using dot dot dot, and then his signature. 
And he said he kind of kept, you know, started structuring things that way. And then I think what he was working towards was having dot, dot, dot after his name. So he said the, the, the dot, I think he called it a glyph, if I'm stating that correctly. Not, again, I'll have to get a little more information from him on it. Um, but he said what it's doing is, is creating um, a structure and say the dot, dot, dot before or the dot, dot, dot after means that there is more to it, is the way he explained it to me. That's a good one. That's a good one. This is Terry again. Sorry, Colin. Um, okay, this, that information goes back to Franco Collins on uh, One Heaven. We did, uh, this was a while back again, <laughs> we did go through some discovery of that, and Frank brought that about when we were uh, later on when we started autographing a document. I haven't really been a part of that um, uh, group for a while, but yes, that is. Uh, an important part. It can't be any less. It's supposed to be three dots. Um, I could go back in my research on that information as well, Angie, and um, and I believe that that was an important issue as well uh, with the autograph. Anyway, that was a good one. Thanks, Angie. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, I think that was a better too. And there was also then I've heard Carl Lynch uses N uh, N A or was it or Donna Sunset, which is A. It would be N A Donna Sunset. But usually, NA usually means uh, not applicable if it's called capital. So maybe lowercase, not a subset. I don't know. Uh, yeah, those are important words on certain um, documents as well. And uh, there's a couple others that go along with that. But the reason I like that is I did look Go ahead. I believe, that, I believe that's how Carl Lentz is... Uh, you know, has success there, which is one or two sentence uh, uh, claims and files is, is by the punctuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because not a sunset does, in fact, mean that you are not assuming any liability, and I really like that one because that's ultimately what we're trying to convey um, is I'm not taking any liability here. I'm not the surety for it. And if you use that LS, is that just a standard that, you know, like a judge or somebody would read that, you know, the, the LS, would they know what that specifically stands for? Well, that's the whole point is that we don't want them to know because once they know, then they, they say, oh, we can't use it. But if you put it in there as part of your signature and they don't necessarily recognize it, then they let it go by. See, it's like everything else. They have all these little guards as they go along, little 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 guard dogs, you know. It's like, oh, you 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 got a funny smell on you. They don't understand it thoroughly, but they've been told anytime you see some words after, it's not a signature. So, uh, you, you know, this is why the the punctuation, I believe, is going to be key as to what you use. Perhaps this is where the semicolon would come in, or the comma would come in. Uh, I think actually it would be the semicolon because that'd be a compound. I'm thinking here you would do the signature and then the semicolon and either non or subset, which is probably the come to think would be the best one because living soul, in my opinion, as wonderful as it sounds, uh, I believe it's still kind of making a, a claim, um, and and I've long since uh, decided not to make 
uh, claims on anything. Now, I will make claim to property or claim the name. I, those kinds of claims I don't have a problem with. But to making other, these types of claims, which they can uh, mix you up with, I, I try to stay away from those until I have evidence otherwise. But I do like the idea of the non subset but I do I like the idea of a semicolon. Right, the, the three comma. dots. The three dots, uh, there's like there's more to it. I like that one. Yeah, and the dot, dot, dots, I'm looking up, and I cannot find anything. It has it, but it's not defining what dot, dot, dot means that I can find yet. But I use it all the time when I'm when I'm writing. I always right. go blah, 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 and then I go dot, 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 and then I will give more information concerning that concept, or I'll use case law, or I'll quote case law. But that's just my personal use. I don't know what it means so far as the legal world, I guess, is what we're actually looking to really, think about. It, I use that a lot, dot, 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 just in my uh, day-to-day right. text messaging, yeah. you know, yeah. texting on my phone. And, all this. And so on, it means and so on and so forth, right? And, oh, by the way, here's another example, dot, dot, dot. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, there's stuff, like she said a minute ago, there's stuff in between, uh, but, I, you know, it, it's almost like yada, 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 and then, you know, picking it up kind of thing. But yeah. I don't know what, 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 its significance it would have. I'm right now. I'm magnetizing for some reason to the semicolon, which she just revealed to me how powerful that is after the signature. And then you would do non subset, not making any claims. In fact, what you're saying is I'm not liable for anything. That would make the most amount of sense, wouldn't it? Now the by semicolon or by nothing. I'm almost beginning to think that you want. Huh? Or by comma, just or I'm by comma. That, that's what I'm thinking too. Mhm. Yeah. Exactly what I'm thinking. Wow, this is a great. This finally turned into a great conversation. Thank you, guys. Keep contributing. What more you got, guys? Come on. This is wonderful. Shut me up. <laughs> How would uh, parentheses? Hey, uh, can I make Can I make a comment? Please. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm just thinking. I. I. Uh, I work for a, a company, and I notice when on like contracts, um, a lot of them are written uh, out. It'll be like for, and you have the company name, and then you have by, and then say my name if I'm the authorized signature, um, or you know on behalf of that company, I'll sign that contract, um, and then then my title which would be project manager. Right. Agreed. So now, what that, is the punctuation on that? So you write F-O-R. Is it comma, colon, or semicolon? There is none. Nothing. There is none just, that I've seen on the contracts. It's just, <laughs> it, it's just separate, but it's separate lines. You got above, the, the first line would be for uh, uh, the company name, and then below that would be by my name, and then below that would be the title. There was no, there's no punctuation. I don't know if that makes a difference, but that's just something I've observed when I've, when I've signed some contracts. And, uh, you know, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, this is Angie. That's what I was explaining. But in the case of, in this case, since it's considered a person, an entity, an individual, you know, a person, an entity, you wouldn't necessarily have to put the word for because you're already, you're already pointing out it's already coming through that name where that person, that entity is, by, this is me. And then, of course, you're stating your capacity, but I guess what we're trying to figure out is, is 
how are we listing the capacity? I think the gentleman that I was talking about before, uh, what he was telling me is, is he, on his driver's license, put dot, 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 and then signed his name. He was, he, I, I believe from what I was trying to think about it a little bit more, he said he did the dot, dot, dot first because he said he wanted to create a bliss because he said you know how they get picky about how you sign your name when it comes to a thing. So he said now if they let me do it one time on my driver's license, he said they can't say anything about it any other time. So I think that's what he's trying to do with the dot, dot, dot first. Then I think what he meant is shifting it to the signature of his name, dot, 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 after. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he was getting. But, yes, the capacity is is you're listing who you're signing for, whether it's a company or another person, uh, such as in attorney in fact. Or, for example, when people are doing settling estates, they are signing um, the person who has, Seized a state of blah 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 by, let's say it was myself, and then my comma, and then executor is stating, or executrix is stating my capacity as to why I have the capacity to sign. Hmm. I have a question. Yes. On that dot 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 on that driver's license, the the um, guest was just talking about. So does that mean that the guy is not a licensed driver? No, I think like you said, he was just trying to establish um, a different marking than what his signature was before. Um, like the whole idea is to not be the surety. That's the whole thing we're after here is to not be surety for the all right. uppercase name. So we're trying to attack this problem from different directions. The previous conversation, just I'm just summarizing here, the previous conversation was how can we take control so that that all uppercase entity name becomes ours so that they can't use it against us anymore without our authority, without us authorizing it. The second way is to alienate ourselves essentially from any liability to the all uppercase name, and I believe that's what we're trying to do now. Am I so correct? Who is, uh, like, who is who is the licensed driver then? When when he offers that to a cop, I mean, who? I mean, uh, if he's let's say if well, he, change, if, we not going to, if we're not going to yeah. be liable, if we're not going to be surety for that person, that driver, then why even get a license? Well, that you know that that's uh, part and parcel to the actual license. The 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 licensed driver is always the uppercase name. Um, acting in that capacity. And again, the, and this is why this, this uppercase name, as much as people run away from it, I believe it is the center of everything. Um, because, as I, and, I, and I'll recap here for those who didn't hear it, uh, recently, uh, and, and if, uh, if Shay wants to share it with you guys, and then she'll give me, I'll, I'll ask her. But I can show you a document, in a court document, where they put in a bill that they... Can you answer my question pay. first before you move on? Can, can you answer well, my question I'm, first? I'm answering your question here. But, um, but if we're talking about the driver's license. If 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 I don't want to accept surety or liability for that entity called the driver, which is the all caps name, so why would I even waste my time walking in there to get a license? So you don't I get arrested. If you present that license and then say it's not you, you're going to get arrested. Do you understand? 
Well, no, I don't understand that. I don't agree with it because the reason people you get will. I know you don't agree with it, but you will. The okay. reason that people get a license. Okay, you're interrupting again. I'm going to have to mute you out. Why are you interrupting? Wait? You're not it's answering questions. Again, here we go. It's being rude again. Yeah. Um, so you know, you just can't. You just for some reason, I, I guess it has to do with age. When you're when you're really young, you just can't help yourself to be rude. Um, so. The, the 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 reason my understanding I know the reason I and most people get a license is because they're compelled to do or they feel they're compelled to do so out of fear, out of threat, out of the knowledge that people have gone to jail. Uh, that if you've had and I've had it happen to me, I forgot my quote unquote driver's license, was unable to quote unquote produce the driver's license, even though I had the registration and everything else. They still towed the car. And I had to pay two, three hundred dollars before they auctioned it off because that's another trick they do. They'll tow the car, they'll keep it in a compound, charging fifty dollars a day. And when it gets up to the value of the car, they auction your car off. And they won't even sometimes won't even let you get your stuff out of the car. So been there, done that. It's actually really, truly happened to me. So I said, well, I better have a license so that that doesn't happen to me. Uh, so that's the reason. If anyone else uh, has a reason to get a license other than that. The, the real reason to get a license is so that you may operate a motor vehicle and engage in the activity of transporting a passenger's property for compensation over the highway. That's the real, true, and valid reason to get a license. Other than that, no, you don't need one and probably should not get one um, in that yeah, sense. Anybody I, want to contribute? Yeah, I, I can contribute to that. Um, and and this, was, this was something that uh, I, I learned um, uh, from a person on the Skype groups is is um, is about adhesion contracts and the Uniform Power of Attorney Act, um, and the I guess the argument is that all these contracts that we sign, these adhesion contracts, unilateral contracts, are basically powers of attorney, and when we sign them unrestricted, we give them unlimited authority over us. We we basically uh, subject ourselves to all their their codes and their laws unknowingly. Pause, please. Pause, please. Right. Let me pause for one second. Quick uh, point of order there. You said us. The only thing that's on there is the all uppercase name. So are we giving them power over the name, but because we're the surety, we're held liable? Or is it? Do you mean what you're saying that you are giving them power over us, the man? Um, I, I I don't I don't know the answer to that question. Probably I, I'm going to say. It's probably over the the, 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 the the fiction, the name, okay, which um, I, I unknowingly, I guess, um, be, you know, assume responsibility for. But let me just let me just say what I, what I've done with my license, I, and I've actually done this, okay, um, and with a lot of a lot of things. Um, I when I went and got, I renewed my driver's license. And I attached a limited power of attorney, uh, a signature page. And when I signed my name on my license, um, uh, I said, see, signature page attached, dated such and such. Okay? And they gave me a hard time. They really, they, they fought me over it. At first, I didn't want to sign my name. Um, but I, 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 I ended up signing my name under, under pressure just to get the license, but I, I, I put a restriction on there. And basically what I did was 
all I said was the only reason I'm signing this is to prove that I'm competent to drive on the public highways and roads and for no other reason or for, and for no other purpose. That's important to say, for no other purpose. And basically, um, it takes away um, – I'm not subjecting myself to all their driving codes, all their vehicle codes. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not granting them that authority. And if you look in your state, and I, I, I've done this, uh, most states um, have a, a uniform power of attorney act. And if you look at it and read it, um, when you sign something, you're, you're basically giving over. You're giving over everything. You're giving them power of, over of everything over you. So, so everything I do now, any government form that I fill out, uh, I fill them out usually under. You know, uh, under compulsion, like for a job, I have to get, you know, they want you to fill out these forms, so I fill them out, but I always restrict my signature, and that is my out. That is that is my way of saying I'm not subjecting myself to all your rules and regulations. The only reason I'm signing this is for this purpose only, period. Okay, and how do you restrict your signature? How do I say that again? Yeah, how do you restrict your signature without, I mean, is there a symbol that we can come up with that would cause, I think that's what we're looking for is essentially that's what we're doing. We don't want to be surety, and we don't want it to be used for any other purposes except for this particular one. So how do we restrict or eliminate the assumed power of attorney? That's what we're trying to what Can you put on there your name and then just put the, the word void after it? No, I, I don't do that. Uh, I'll tell you, here's what I do. I, I write C signature, C attached signature page, period. That's it. I, well, I don't put period, but I say C, C attached signature page, and I have a form. It's a one-page form, and it's notarized, and it's called limited, limited power of attorney, and it's a signature page. And it spells out basically um, why I'm signing that, that, that form. And and it's different for each case. If I was getting a hunting license, I, would, I may say to prove that I uh, – um, you know, and and uh, have and competent at uh, hunter safety. And that's the only purpose. But it's important. What what I was taught, and and I believe this. I agree with this. Uh, it made it made sense to me. Is that you know I, I I put on there for no other purpose, and it's important to put that on there. Uh, to you know, so you state the only reason I'm signing this is. For this reason, and you come up with a reason, you can you can make what whatever reason you want. So become and an NOP then. Well, you can start your name and then go comma NOP, which is basically the more inclusive one would go back to non assumpset That would accomplish the same thing. I'm, that's why I like that. But you basically, it, it sounds like you could do comma NOP, no other purpose. Yeah, I, I don't I don't put that on there. I I, I write C signature page attached. Right, and that makes sense. So you're right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't sign my name because the signature page is my signature. What it does is it modifies the terms of that contract. So you don't sign it. You just you put on that line C signature page? Yes. Interesting. Attached. Uh, right, C signature page attached, page. right, and then you attach it, firmly attach it. So it becomes part and parcel to it. Yeah, that I got that. That's uh. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Anybody you want to have a discussion on that? Anybody? Yeah, I think that sounds awesome. 
What about the uh, one, Colin? I think it was you, or maybe somebody on Angel's show. Is that technically, uh, you know, when you, uh, by signing your name there on a driver's license? Uh, in all reality, you could say, as a defense, I wasn't given full disclosure. Yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't work. They don't care about defense, and that's why they want you to be a defendant. Because if you're on the if you're defending or you're in the on the defense, you're considered guilty. Unfortunately, that's the way things have turned around. You're supposed to be considered not guilty until proven such, uh, but that's not how it works today. At least not in the corporate world. You are presumed, particularly in civil. And let me let me go back and 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 state this. And and I found this out the kind of the hard way in civil suits. I actually looked it up. Anyone filing a, the petition or the plaintiff in the suit is considered to be telling the truth until rebutted. So you essentially, in civil, non-criminal, you do essentially have to prove your quote-unquote in, uh, in, um, innocence, but it wouldn't be called innocence. It would be called you've got to prove that you don't have an obligation because that's what contracts are about. So, yes, that's absolutely true. It's true in case law, and this is why people miss the boat so many times because they feel like, oh, well, you have to prove your case, well, the courts generally, and there's lots of case law on this, that they consider the plaintiff to be telling the truth until shown otherwise. Now, once you show, once then they call it tipping the scales, once you show sufficient uh, question uh, as to the validity of the claim, now, once you get past that point, then it flips to the other side, and the other side has to prove uh, uh, now much more so than before. So, so the key here is to tip the scales. So in a way, let's apply this to this thing here. If you're tipping the scales, how would you tip the scales in this case? I mean, let, 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 let me go to what we had today because this is all kind of coming full circle. This is the thought. Part of what I had her say today was I am without sufficient knowledge to answer that question. Okay, what are we saying? I don't have knowledge of these terms. I don't know what your term means, do you understand? Uh, you know, you go to a lot of websites, you go to different people, and they say, well, understand means to stand under. Well, I don't stand under. I only stand under God. I don't stand under the skies. I don't stand under anything else. But if that's what the legal term means, when the judge says, because why else, here's the key, why else would the judge be asking, do you understand? Well, because what they're trying to do on the, on the alleged open side is, do you cognize what has been said to you so that you, you quote-unquote, uh, can comprehend uh, what it is that you're you know, agreeing to, admitting to, or otherwise? We all think that, wait a minute, there's something more going on, otherwise it wouldn't be so specific. Well, the judge can't move on without, he's not, you can't create contract if the other party says they don't understand. And that's why what the strategy we used today was, no, I don't understand. I do not understand these terms. I don't have sufficient knowledge. I don't know what you're thinking when you're saying that. I don't know what's written in your book. I don't know what's written in your laws, your statutes, your codes, whatever it is, because I'm not party to that. I'm not party. I don't have, so, again, can I sign a contract? If I do not understand, now, you know, is there something that we can put in there? I do not understand or do not do what a do not understand, D-N-U, which means do not understand. I don't understand what I'm signing, but I'm signing because you asked me to. Uh, would that be a courtesy? So I would write, um, 
my name and then comma courtesy signature. Um, I really like this one here, which you're talking about is C signature page. I think that's beautiful. Attached, signature page attached. I don't want to miss, miss, misquote there. So go ahead. Hello? Somebody? Are we still yeah. open or live? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, could I order a cheeseburger and a big Mountain Dew? <laughs> Anyways, I, I, uh, I call and I... Uh, I, I really like this limited power of attorney. It, it made a lot of sense to me, and uh, uh, and I use it on everything. I, I go back. I've gone back, and uh, I've used it for my registration for my vehicles, um, um, and I've gone back and changed some other things. I've used it for taxes uh, when, it, when I, I've sent in uh, tax returns. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's uh, limited success there. <laughs> Um, that's a, that's a different story. Um, but I use it to, uh, basically I, I take away their authority. I, I don't grant them authority. Uh, I basically, in a sense, reserving all my rights and I take away their authority. Um, and, you know, um, basically protect my rights. I, I, I don't know how else to, how, mm, how yeah, else to yeah. On that one, on that one though, I believe you would have to say reserving all powers and rights, because you you can give power to somebody else and not give up any rights, because you, it's your right to give up to give some power to somebody else or to sign on your behalf. You're exercising one of your rights. So to me, I just when, when, reserving all rights doesn't necessarily deny them any power. Uh, and they would actually say, well, you actually granted me, that was your right to grant me the power to act on your behalf. So that's what we're trying to nip in the bud. How, as you said, I think most poignantly, what are we trying to do? We're trying to take away any power that they might presume that they have. Right. And that's what that's what I believe this does. It it takes away their power um, by, uh, you know, we, 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 we grant them the power when we sign them their form. Like you said, we, we become, even though they wrote the form, they created the form, we sign it, we author it, we become the authority, okay? So we, you know, or I, when I, when I sign the form, I can modify it. I can say, you know what, I don't like the terms of this agreement, so here's what I'm going to do, okay? You know, and I'm signing it, so... You know, unless they want to sign it, you know, have at it. You go ahead and sign that form, and you take liability for it. But I'm signing it, so this is how it's going to be, period. And that's how I look at it. But, you know, um, and, and, and I believe it. I, believe it's, I, haven't had, I haven't had the opportunity to um, actually put it into practice. Like, I haven't been pulled over and had to turn over my driver's license. I actually... Um, Took the eight and a half by eleven, reduced it down to basically uh, a driver's license size card, and I have it with my driver's license in my wallet, so I can hand them both. And, and, and if, if, if I'm asked for my driver's license, I will include that with it. And I will, you know, if he asks me what it's for, I'll, I'll just say, well, uh, you know, that just basically takes away, 
takes away your authority to do what you're doing. Um, you can read it, so. But yeah, you know, uh, you know, you said something that went ping in my head when you sat there and said, "When we sign it, we're taking liability." And you know, it just it just rung so true that what we don't know we're doing. We think we're just signing something, whatever, giving our autograph or whatever. But in actual fact, we're taking liability, and I think this is the key. And what we want to do is sign something without taking liability. And once again, I'm coming back to non assumption. I mean, yeah, and I actually I use that. I put I put in a I, I learned that from Carl Carl Wentz, and I put that after every signature I have. I put NA on it uh, as a as a backup, meaning that I'm not contracting with you. Um, period. So it's this is not a contract. The only reason I'm doing it is out of out of uh you know uh necessity, basically. You know, so I don't get shot when I get pulled over or something like that. Yeah, no assumption here, yeah. Um it's interesting that they don't have really clear definitions of non assumption. They only have definition of a sumset and then you have to figure out that non assumption means that you're not taking on any liability or responsibility. And yeah. so uh, as as a group, um, um, I'm trying to think. It seems to me like we've sort of come to an agree, a somewhat of an agreement anyway, that you want to do uh, BY, um, and we're thinking now, put nothing, no comma, no colon, no semicolon, the signature, and then you want to do, would it be comma or semicolon non subset? Comma. No, I don't say comma because comma is saying, it's like saying, comma is like when when you use it in power, when you use it in, in, sorry. Because it's stating capacity, remember, Angie, so the comma, when you say comma trustee or comma agent or whatever, so comma right. non-assumpsit is still uh, stating capacity, that we're not assumpsit or not liable for that. Uh, well, well, maybe you would want to use I, a semicolon, wouldn't you? You'd want to use a semicolon for the reasons that we discovered a minute ago, that it's a compound. Right. It's, it's going along with the thought, but it's still, it, it's going along with the thought, but it's another statement, I think, right. is how you would. You'd want a semicolon, not a comma, right? Okay, so I would say semicolon. semicolon. Uh, I would say semicolon because, again, it is adding another thought in addition to what just happened. Mm-hmm. Let me ask another you know, question that comes to mind. Why is it we don't put a period? That means stop. That's the end. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Shouldn't yeah. we do Carl, that? If you listen to Carl, no. when he reads, he says stop. And then he reads on, he goes stop. And that's a period. It means, to me, to me that means the end. Okay, so it it completely changes um, what you're going to do afterwards. I concur. Yeah, I've heard Carl say that. What's that? I couldn't understand him real clear. He does use a period or does not use a period? If you use a period, like like in telegraph messages and stuff like that, um, period means stop. So if you're typing out something and there's, Peyton something and they put the word stop. That means that thought has ended. Right. Now another statement is made. Um, but in the case where you're putting non uh you want it to show that it's attached to what just happened. 
So I believe the semicolon would be most appropriate. I agree. What I'm asking is what about putting a period at the end of everything? Whatever you choose to put down there, I just all of a sudden occurred to me, why are we not putting a period there? We're leaving, like, leaving ourselves wide open to anything that comes after it, aren't we? Oh, you mean like no, after non-assumpset putting a period? Yeah, put, put a period after non-assumpset. That puts an end to it. Yeah, I, that would be doable, yes. I, I want to worry about your signature, right? Yeah, so basically the last thing on the page is supposed to be your signature, whatever you choose to be. But my point is, is that now I've done this in contracts where there's any blank space, I automatically put lines through there. I just go zip, zip, zip. I put lines. Any area where somebody could stick something in there, I always put lines through it because, so that they cannot. Because when I was doing real estate, that was happening all the time, particularly with these loans. They were getting people to fill out these loan applications, and they were telling them, leave this blank, leave this bank, leave this bank. There's lots of case law on it. So to prevent that, what you do is you cross out any area that's blank as well as anything you don't like. So I'm thinking a period will suffice as the same thing. If you do, you know, BY, uh, the, your signature, semicolon, non-assumpset, period, end of story. Yeah, but you know what, Colin, I, I think, and I, and I don't have any proof of this, I, 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 what I have heard is your signature is the end. So when I, when I use it, when I put NA, I put it before my signature. Anything ab above my signature is, is part of it, okay? When I put my signature, that is the end. I don't put a period after it or anything like that. Now, I, I, I'm not, believe me, English and grammar, that is, Definitely not my my forte. I'm a I'm a math kind of guy, so I don't know. But that's I, I've heard that I've heard that said that uh, you know put anything above your signature is 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 applicable. Anything below it is not. So, but well, I, I tend to agree with that assertion that uh, that the signature is the last thing. In other words, when you put your signature, your that signature only uh, is uh, is corresponds to anything that came before it. So if that's true, then the anything that coming after it, even though we're trying to state our capacity, it's still coming after the signature. So maybe you might be right, and you, we might want to do uh, by, uh, and then we have to determine and start all over again. By non assumpset, and then the signature. Yeah. Well, you think about it, just common, common sense. When you write a letter, you, you write, you address it, you write the body of the letter, and the very last thing you do is sign it. Yeah, you always put, right? like, sincerely yours or... Uh, yeah, and then you sign your name. And then and, you and, sign and your and name. You, All right, girls, let's go through that. Your let's try this again. So we're going to do... And, and now it even box the question, do we need the BY? But let's start with that. All right, so we got BY. Would we put a, uh, a semicolon? We pretty much established that we want either nothing or a semicolon. And then we do non-assumpset, uh, establishing what, what the signature is valued at. Uh, and then you have the signature as the last thing. And, the, and then we don't need a period because the signature is the last thing. Let's have a discussion. Opinion. Brother, we, were we putting a capital BY? No, we already determined that lowercase seems to be the most 
the, the most appropriate. Let's put it that way. Okay. So it seems to me we would be BY, semicolon, not a sum set, semicolon, and then the signature. Yeah. I'll go Monday morning and I go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles and get my driver's license renewed. I'll sign it that way. Well, hold on. Let's have a discussion. I'm just throwing something up in the in the air here. You've got a lot of smart people on here who, who are helpful. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I don't think it would hurt doing it that way. The semicolon doesn't stop anything. It just, it's just a, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a break. It, 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 it doesn't stop, you know, so at least from what I understand, the semicolon is kind of a, it, but it does separate thoughts. The semicolon. No, it, no. It, it, no it, we it, already it, established it, that what it does, it's part of, it's called a compound sentence, which means uh, it, it's, it's two thoughts that are connected together. It connects them. That's the yeah, beauty of it. They are connected, yes. But, yeah. but they're, 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 they're connected, but they're kind of. They can be independent thoughts of their own, but they are connected by the semicolon. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's, okay. that's my understanding. Now, here's another question. What if we were to do non-assumset semicolon by semicolon or non-assumset by uh, non-assumset semicolon by signature? No comma, no colon, by, as we said before, but before that becomes non-assumset. So now I'm asking you a question. Should we put by non-assumset and then the and then the signature, or would it be advisable to do non assumset b y and then we'll determine the the uh the whether it's uh, i think i think we're all in, in agreement that the semicolon is the is the proper way to do this so my question is and do we even need the b y if we do the non assumset i'm beginning to think that we don't if we do non assumset we don't even need the b y anymore yeah, this is uh, all making I, sense. This is make all making sense because keep in mind, guys, that on that driver's license, there's a reason why that that box is so 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 small to put your name in. I mean, barely you have enough room to put your name, just spelling it out on that little line. Versus back to your credit card when you sign your signature, look how much room they give you to sign your name for that. So I'm thinking, how are you going to put all this in that little line down there? Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have seen when I went to get my driver's license. Uh, you know, you, you have to fill out an application, right? Well, I, I, I fill out the application, and I put C signature page attached, and I pa- attached my limited power attorney signature page. Well, a lady was like, well, I've never seen this before. She's like, I'm going to go talk to my manager. And uh, she went and talked to the manager, and the manager came out, and she said, well, that's fine, but you have to sign your name. You can't just write C signature page attached. You have to sign your name. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to write uh, C signature page, signature page attached and sign my name below that. And she said, she said that's fine. And uh, when I went to do it, you know, they do it digital now. So I went to write it digitally. The lady's like, oh, you can't do that. And she said, i got to go see my manager again. <laughs> and she went back to see the manager. And she said, she said, she said, yeah, he can do that. So she let me write out C signature signature page attached, dated such and such, and then I wrote N-A, signed my name, all on that electronic page. Now, it's it's small and hard to read. Like you said, they don't give you a lot of space, but I was I was able to get it on there. So. Hmm. 
Hmm. You know, and the way it was explained to me was, um, you know, it it it, it takes. Uh, it, I am no longer because the way I did that, I I am not, and I and I actually put a cover letter with a lot of these, and and I explained to them what it means, and basically I say this this takes away your authority to subject me to the vehicle statutes or the vehicle codes, um, and. Uh, you know, if I if I got pulled over, um, and and and, and I, I would do like like uh, Carl says, like Carl, Carl Miller says, and be polite, yes sir, no sir, um, do my thing, and then and then basically say, uh, well, uh, and I haven't had the opportunity to try this, but you know, um, I did not grant them the authority to to. to 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 do that, I I did not give them jurisdiction over me, and and like Carl says, and I've heard before, jurisdiction means authority. I, I'm not granting them that authority. Well, there's okay. one something he also said a minute ago. I don't recall filling out an application because don't you sign the application? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That to me is more is, is as important as the license itself because the application is the evidence. Remember, I said before. Show me the evidence of the application for the all uppercase entity in the first place. Where's the application? Now, clearly this application. I, I, and I didn't sign it. I didn't sign it. I I I um. See attached. Yeah, see signature yes. page attached, right? Yes. Okay. But they 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 demanded that I signed it, and I, right. and I signed it, but I included my restriction above my signature. Okay, which made that that limited power of attorney signature page part of that document, so it can't be ignored. It's part of the the application. See what I'm saying? Wow. You know, I'm. I just have what... to say, awesome, Joe. I just have to say that that's really awesome because a lot of places. Well, I, I can't. I can't take credit. Uh, uh, someone much much smarter and much more knowledgeable taught me this. Um, no, but here's the thing. You have the guts to go ahead and do it, um, and that's the real key, okay? I mean, I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, I don't like anybody telling me what to do, so <laughs> so I, I don't have any problem, uh, uh, you know, button authority. <laughs> but, yeah, it does It does take some guts. Uh, you know, most people, most people don't even want to learn it, let alone... Uh, you know, even try it. You know, it's it's. Yeah, you're exactly right. People, yeah, when I talk to my neighbors, uh, you know, and friends, and try try to talk to them about this, they they don't even want to hear it. They're just like, you know, oh yeah, okay, right. But you know, there's there's only there's there's only a few of us limited in, in these groups uh, that really um, you know try to understand it and try to you know we're, we're we, we, I think, I think we all, the seed has been planted in our mind that something is wrong, and we may not know exactly what it is, but we know something is fundamentally wrong, and we're trying to figure it out. Okay, and I listen to everybody. I, I listen, you know, I know, uh, Colin, you, you, you got it. They gave you a hard time on some of the Skype groups, and I'm like. Well, why this guy's smart? He knows what he's talking about. You know, he's he's got some good stuff, and and I try to be open minded to everybody's stuff. And and as I read 
and listen, you know, um, you know, you try to tell someone about the birth certificate, it's like, oh, yeah, right. You know, they're, they're going to think you're nuts. But as you start digging into this a little deeper and a little deeper, you start thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe these people are right. You know, there's something, there's something here. May not know what it is. It may not have proof, but there's something here. And that's where I'm at. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not that knowledgeable. I, I, I've got, you know, I try to read um, and, and learn as much as I can and try to understand. But it, it's, it, it is. It's like a whole different language, and, and it is a code. It is definitely a code that is very hard to crack. And uh, but well, the reason it's hard to crack is because of the corruption. And this is this is the thing. We're, what we're doing is we're trying to look at how this complicated machine, which actually originally started out to be very simple, um, is working. We're trying to understand how it's working against us when we know that, as I've, that's why I keep repeating it over and over again, that, yes, you can say it was conspiracy. Yes, they set it up to make us believe it from the beginning, but it was really designed. But here's the thing. I, I love to take a disadvantage, turn it into an advantage. So from my point of view... Uh, like a lot of people say, oh, the founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence and, you know, it meant for only them and da 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 And I go, well, that's great, but the fact of the matter is it's in writing and it's there. And it's like anyone knows with contracts that you have negotiations and you can negotiate and have all sorts of dribble. Uh, you know, this is one of the things that we were that we were taught in, in real estate is that you do what's called a wish list and you make a list of a minimum of 10 to, to 20 things that you want either this, whichever party you're taking, the seller or the buyer, to do, knowing that 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 of those, depending upon, you know, two-thirds are going to be knocked out, but you're going to get one or two or five or ten, but if you don't put a list, you get nothing. And so this is a technique. Well, here we're looking at uh, a situation where, um, again, they cannot create contract that harms anybody. So, you know, and you know, you don't, you, you you can't harm somebody else. So therefore, you can't get together with two people and say, oh well, now we got two people who want to harm them. No, rape is rape, wrong is wrong, harming is harm. So, and, and here's the key: we know that they, and this is why I love the the statutes and whatnot, because they're regulated by the statutes. We know that much. Whether we're regulated by the statutes, we're saying that we aren't. Uh, the attorney says the other way. Says, oh no, there's laws, and that's the law, and you're you you have to abide by them. Well, what I do know is that they're not abiding by the law, and to me that's hugely important, um, and, and, and that's why I want to know it. But the, the point I'm trying to make, I'm getting, taking a long way around it, um, is that we, you, it's all supposed to be for our benefit. It, it can't be any other way. And the fact that it's not been, the, the outcome, the evidence, the prima facie evidence is, look, and I'm studying cases right now in deception and fraud. Fraud has the tendency to mislead. Fraud has the tendency to hide. Therefore, and this comes under the statute of limitations, because it says the statute of limitations is not beginning until you discover what the fraud is. Well, can you ever discover the entire amount of fraud until you somebody confesses to it? So here we are. We happen to be investigators and investigating the fraud. That's really what's going on. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And, and any fraud is unlawful. It's not enforceable. As we said, there was no disclosure. We don't know what's going on. But I'm saying a prima facie evidence is that in the end, what the purpose of 
government, again, I go back to Hale versus Hinkle, uh, that, that it clearly states that all creations of the state is to benefit the public. Well, it, it's clear that that's the reason there. The unanimous declaration says what? That to secure these rights. And organizing its powers in such form as to them to seem most likely to effect or cause their safety and happiness. We're not feeling safe and we're not happy. We've got a problem. Either they're in breach of the contract or there's something wrong with the contract. And I think what's happening is so many people are trying to attack the contract and, and finding a way to blame us. Well, you signed it. You gave them the power of attorney. You signed it. You did this. Well, wait a minute. Was that my intent? Is that what the signature means to me? You know, there, there's got to be, again, here goes the word consideration. What was the consideration? Well, wait a minute. I gave cons- my signature. Is not my signature valuable? And I've heard somebody talking about, well, it's an autograph, and your autograph is worth a million dollars or more. So, you know, if they have a piece of paper with your autograph on it, you know, that's, you know, the, you, you can look at it that that's your property. That is how I look at it. And, in fact, I've found something that backs that up on this foreclosure stuff, that when you actually read it, that judge, I could never, ever get her to talk about the note and the deed of trust separately. She always said, the documents. So, And when they talk about the package, and then there's a guy that was talking about the patent, that they have a patent on selling, uh, they have a business that sells these packages. But you, you, everyone's got it wrong. He's saying basically all of the documents that are in there is what they're selling. That is the product that they're selling, and that's why they have control over it, because they're selling a product. I mean, there's so many things, but from my point of view, in the end result, a prima facie case is the fact that in the end, you've got my money, which I worked hard for, and you didn't give me anything in consideration. I've been harmed. I don't know how you did it. All I know is that I'm not happy, I'm not safe, and I don't have my property, and my rights, in my opinion, have been violated. So to me, the prima facie action, and consistently, this is the beauty about a 42-1983, is that you have to show a pattern of activity. Well, the pattern of activity is that they're not, they didn't just steal my property under these alleged, these fraudulent tax code, property tax code, which is there then selling. How is that possible? Where's the due process? And he said, really, if when you get somebody in court, if they know nothing else, you just simply say, where's the due process? Where's the due process? There is no due process. They did not take you to court. They did not make a claim. They did not say, well, you owe me $2,000. Uh, you know, pay up the $2,000. They sent you letters in the mail, but they didn't bring you to court and then put a lien on the property and say, well, I'm going to sell you $300,000 piece of property for $2,000 so that I can get paid my $2,000. Well, wait a minute. You just stole the other two hundred eighty-five thousand, uh, two hundred ninety thousand uh, uh, dollars worth of equity from me. That that can't be right. Let's go to what I found in Shay's uh, information that she sent me on the um, on the bankruptcy thing. One of the things I found when I started reading it said that you that the uh, that the one who files for the bankruptcy must be better off for having filed the bankruptcy. What? Well, there it is. Are you better off having done the bankruptcy? Well, wait a minute. You got no house, no food, no rent, no money, no nothing, no nothing at all. Everything is gone. They stole everything from you. And you allegedly have now a $300,000 bill you've got. How are you better off? And that goes back again to the final easy definition, uh, you know, that, that a contract is lawfully, mutually beneficial agreement between two or more people. How can it be anything else? 
not, anything that harms another is not enforceable in law. So let's say we signed a thing and we took full liability without our knowledge, but wait a minute, what are we being liable for? And how can you be liable for something that you don't even know what you're being liable for? So there's all sorts of problems, and every single time we look at these problems, we're seeing that somewhere along the line, it's not to our benefit, it doesn't make us safer, it doesn't make us happy, or happier, so we got a problem. And we're, we're being deprived of our rights, not, not having our rights protected. So somewhere along the line, we've got a, a, a serious problem, and we're trying to solve it by our signature line, which is absolutely ridiculous. We shouldn't have to be doing this. But well, wasn't, maybe, it, wasn't it, Colin, uh, when you said uh, being held reliable, uh, like for a foreclosure on a house, uh, <laughs> well, you, you're late on your mortgage payments, and therefore uh, you're, you can be held liable for that. Well, what ends up happening on that, that specific thing is set up, and that's why I think uh, I've been attacking it, because to me it's crystal clear. What actually happened there is that um, uh, when you go in default, and, and the default is caused by many different things, only one of the ways you can go in default is by not making payments. That's only one of the ways. There's other defaults you can do. because there's a say that for circumstances. Okay, yeah, I, you could make the payments on it. Exactly. So if you fail to make the payments, you go into a term that's called default because there's nothing in there that talks, that says that if you go, if you fail to make payments in three months, then we can foreclose. It doesn't say that. What it says is if you fail to make payments, then you are in default and the lender at its option may foreclose. You see, there's a huge difference in the ways. The contracts are beautiful when you actually read them. You're like, wow, this has a lot of safety mechanisms. But what's going on, as I basically have indicted this judge, oh, by the way, I want to share a little piece here. When I was talking to this public defender lady, um, who, like I said, is very cool, very understanding, has tried stuff, um, I gave her some information that did slow her down a little bit. But in that, I was mentioning uh, about the contract and what's in there. She's like, oh, you're right, that's contract law. When I mentioned to her what I did to that judge, and that when the judge said, when I asked her the second time I'd gone in there after doing the misprism of felony thing the first time and the second time, and then I said, I said, um, um, have, I said, last time I asked you, have you seen the deed of trust, and you failed to answer. And I paused. I am now asking you a specific question. Have you read the note or the deed of trust and the provisions therein, very precisely what I was saying. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to read and understand the provisions therein. Why? Because that's the only thing that's enforceable. When that happened, um, uh, when that happened, and she said, I see nothing wrong with the documents, that is my answer. And I told the attorney, yeah, I said, once, once I got what I wanted, I turned and walked away. And when I said that, that attorney sat there and said, yeah, you got intent. She knew exactly what I got. I got the intent of this judge, and she actually said it. How on earth can a judge enforce contract that they haven't even read? And how can they enforce contract that's never even written? And there you have it. And I think this is part of what we're trying to do is say, not a sunset. There is no contract here. No contract. How is there a contract? I don't have any knowledge. Does anyone have knowledge of what they're actually signing when they get a license? Most people don't even know why they're getting a license. They don't even know what the term is. Oh, here we go. Another disruption.
There we go. And Face One tried to sneak in here. It was really clever, Face, but guess what? I muted you out. <clears throat> so, um, you know, here's, again, a, huh? here's just another statement regarding, like, the driver's license um, right. or when you get your permit. Here, here at least in Pennsylvania, um, like, I'm just looking at one of the forms because um, my son is supposed to be doing this this coming year. And it's saying that um, the fact that you certify that all the information on the application that you filled in is true and correct, you hereby authorize the Social Security Administration to release to the Department of Transportation information concerning your Social Security number for the purpose of identification. Um, and then you state, I hereby acknowledge to say that I have received notice of the provisions of Section 3709 of the Vehicle Code. Mm. which is stated on the back of the application and that vehicle code provision of section 3709 is stating for a fine of up to $300 for dropping, throwing, or depositing upon any highway or upon any other public or private property without the consent of the owner thereof. Basically, you can't throw out garbage or you're going to get fined up to $300 for doing so. So, that's basically what they're telling you. That's what you're signing about. You're signing for. The other thing, which we just dealt with this here like two years ago, and me and my husband were talking, and I said, this is kind of crazy because they're asking the applicant to sign, and the applicant is a minor, 16 years old. Um. Now, of course, there's an area for the parent to fill out, but they still are requiring the minor to sign. So it's like, how can you hold? Now, I understand, you know, they're trying to draw in, okay, the consent of the parent. Okay, so the parent is stating, the parent signature line is stating that you're certifying that you're the parent. Uh, you're at least 18 years of age of the applicant named herein, that the statements here are here, made here on are true and correct to the best of your knowledge and that this application is made with your full consent, my full consent. Again, they don't state out anything about code. The only code they point out is Section 3709 regarding no littering, and that you are stating you filled in the application with your proper information. Well, that's kind of huge right there because what you have just exhibited is that they know how to put stipulations by putting that one 3709 or whatever it is, that they put that on there, which is part and parcel to that agreement. The fact that there's nothing else there indicates that there is nothing else there. That's number right. one. You can't, add, you can't add, you know, in law, you can't add something that's not there. You don't presume right. it's there. If it's not stated, it's not there. That's right. And the fact that they do, this is what I love about it, when they use the word accept or when they do add something like that and they're specific, then it only includes that. And what that means in law is that everything else is excluded. Otherwise, they would have written it in there. And the fact that they did write something in there indicates that they know how to do it so that they meant to, then they would have. So that which is not expressly included is expressly excluded. And there you have it. That's beautiful. 
Uh, by the way, um, if you're in Pennsylvania or on Pennsylvania, Truthmonger6, send me a quick email because hopefully I'm going to be getting um, some writings on property tax stuff from my mentor um, to help Jeff out, even though he believes uh, that Jeff is going to screw it up, not be able to speak it. Um, and apparently the, the, the strategy is that you can have the best filing uh, and everything's wonderful, but if you can't back it up, what they do when it looks dangerous as hell, what they'll do is they'll do a pre-council meeting room. And what will happen is uh, that guy, Jeff, who did not write it in its entirety, will have to go in and spell it out to them what's in that document. And if he can't do it, then they know that he can't do it, which means then they'll move for trials because they'll know he can't convince a jury. So the um, it becomes very, very important to be able to uh, know your shit, I mean, is what it comes down to, to really know it and, and grasp it. Um, which we're, And the key is, is that we're supposed to know all this stuff. Um, but what you just said on that license is, is extremely important because it, it's that which is not, and it's on the back. That's interesting, too. Yeah, and I'm trying to pull up. Uh, I'm trying to pull up. Um, oh, like for example, when you get your registration card mm-hmm. here, uh, I don't have. Like, I do. When you get your registration card here to renew your vehicle. I like the fact uh what that one gentleman was saying, these are my restrictions. Uh and it's on their driver's license on the back it says driving restrictions on their card. So I think that's pretty cool. These are my restrictions. Whoa, dude, you just said a mouthful. Oh my god, how about this? Light bulb just went off. Let's do a discussion. What if you woke restricted before your signature? Wouldn't that cover all your bases? Yeah. That, well, I don't know if you need to write restricted. Uh, and that's what my signature page does. Right. You know, well, I'm, I I'm trying to come up with one more thing that I can put in front of it without having to attach. Not that I'm saying don't attach bait. I'm just saying I'm just, I always like things simple. But what if you were to simply write restricted and then the signature? That kind of gives them notice that this signature is restricted, whether it's giving authority or or, 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 or duty, right? What's the official yeah, you, you definition could. of restricted? Yeah, you you could. You don't have to attach a page, a signature page. Um, you can, when you fill out an application, if you, want, if you want to write the restriction on there, like, for example, you're filling out your application for your driver's license or something, you can say, um, to prove that I'm competent to... Uh, to uh, uh, operate a, 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 or to drive on the public roads and highways and for no other purpose and then sign your name. You don't have to attach anything. Right there's your restriction. But, you know, then you got to write all that out, you know. Um, but you, you, you can do that. I, I do that when I fill out, um, uh, for, for example, um, uh, what, did I, what did I do that? I'm like, what, my doctors, they give you this privacy notice, right? And, uh, 
every year I have to throw off this privacy notice with my doctor, and, and, and they give you all this stuff about, you know, uh, privacy and the federal government, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, I, I would write on there, and you got to think quick sometimes, and it's hard. Um, I wrote, um, uh, not without, um, um, only with the consent of my my physician and for no other pur- purpose or something along that lines, and I signed my name. So I basically, I, or not, I said not without the consent, not without my consent, um, and for no other purpose, and I signed my name. So basically, they can't do anything above that unless I consent to it. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so a lot of times, you know, we fill these things out, and 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 you got to think quick. Um, you know, so but but if you start thinking about it now, I think, well, yeah, you know what? Uh, my driver's license or my hunting license, uh, I want to get a hunting license. Um, so I don't, you know, just to avoid getting any altercation with anybody. Uh, I, I'm just gonna say, okay, to prove that I am am uh, competent uh, or, or or competent in hunter safety force and sign your name, something like that. And for no other purpose. That's important. You got to put for and for no other purpose. Because that that takes everything else out that that they may presume um, you signed for, so, uh, that, and that's what I was taught, and that makes sense to me. And for no other purpose, when you put that down, boom! This is the only reason I'm signing my signature, and that's it. Mm, I like so, that too. Yeah. So you got to you got to think quick in, in certain cases, and, and that's why we're yeah, that's why we're having yeah, that's why we're having this discussion ahead of time so that we can know ahead of time. For instance, it just popped into my mind uh, again was also where you could have restricted. You could also have limited. So you could put limited that limits anything and everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I was I was taught that you put for no other purpose, and then yeah. and then anything before that, you know. It, it, you basically close the door on anything yeah. else. So that that for and they use that in 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 their codes in their laws. And if you read, yeah, they, yeah they you're right. right. For for no other purpose. I agree. I think um, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know so how much just, time we have left. Uh, so I, I'm going to put this out there. I'm not saying I'm more confused because I'm not confused. I have more information, more clarity, but it seems that we have more options and i would love it if people would continue researching and and i want to uh before so we don't get cut off before we do i want to say thank you so much to everybody it's been the most enjoyable uh show i've done yet so i really appreciate you guys contributing and jumping in here um so go ahead i'm sorry no i, I was i was done i was um yeah that sounds like a winner anybody great anybody want to jump in on that on that concept and thought please yeah, you know what? Let me let me just uh, if if y'all if y'all when you got time, go into your um, your state codes. Most states have them, and it'll say Uniform Power of Attorney Act. And you read that act, and okay. it'll say it'll it'll tell you. And I can't I can't quote it. Basically, it it, it says that it doesn't have to be called a power of attorney. Okay, so you can be signing it signing these forms which are actually powers of attorney, but they don't have to call them that. So you're signing these forms that are actually power of attorney.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.